sorry. But I don't want to be a, an emperor. That's not my business. I don't want to rule or conquer anyone. I should like to help everyone if possible. Jew, Gentile, black man, white. We all want to help one another. Human beings are like that. We want to live by each other's happiness, not by each other's misery. We don't want to hate and despise one another. In this world, there's room for everyone, and the good earth is rich and can provide for everyone. The way of life can be free and beautiful, but we have lost the way. Greed has poisoned men's souls, has barricaded the world with hate, has goose-stepped us into misery and bloodshed. We have developed speed, but we have shut ourselves in. Machinery that gives abundance has left us in want. Our knowledge has made us cynical, our cleverness hard and unkind. We think too much and feel too little. More than machinery, we need humanity. More than cleverness, we need kindness and gentleness. Without these qualities, life will be violent and all will be lost. The aeroplane and the radio have brought us closer together. The very nature of these inventions cries out for the goodness in men, cries out for universal brotherhood, for the unity of us all. Even now, my voice is reaching millions throughout the world, millions of despairing men, women, and children, victims of a system that makes men torture and imprison innocent people. To those who can hear me, I say, do not despair. The misery that is now upon us is but the passing of greed, the bitterness of men who fear the way of human progress. The hate of men will pass and dictators die, and the power they took from the people will return to the people. And so long as men die, Liberty will never perish. Soldiers, don't give yourselves to brutes. Men who despise you, enslave you, who regiment your lives, tell you what to do, what to think, and what to feel, who drill you, diet you, treat you like cattle, use you as cannon fodder. Don't give yourselves to these unnatural men, machine men with machine minds and machine hearts. You are not machines. You are not cattle. You are men. You have the love of humanity in your hearts. You don't hate. Only the unloved hate, the unloved and the unnatural. Soldiers, don't fight for slavery, fight for liberty. In the 17th chapter of St. Luke it is written, the kingdom of God is within man, not one man nor a group of men, but in all men, in you. You, the people, have the power. The power to create machines, the power to create happiness. You, the people, have the power to make this life free and beautiful, to make this life a wonderful adventure. Then in the name of democracy, let us use that power. Let us all unite. Let us fight for a new world, a decent world, that will give men a chance to work, that will give youth a future and old age a security. By the promise of these things, brutes have risen to power, but they lie. They do not fulfill that promise. They never will. Dictators free themselves, but they enslave the people. Now let us fight to fulfill that promise. Let us fight to free the world, to do away with national barriers, to do away with greed, with hate and intolerance. Let us fight for a world of reason, a world where science and progress will lead to all men's happiness. Soldiers, in the name of democracy, let us all unite! Can you hear me? Wherever you are, look up, Hannah. The clouds are lifting. The sun is breaking through. We are coming out of the darkness into the night. 
We are coming into a new world. A kind world. Where men will rise above their hate, their greed, and brutality. Look up, Hannah. The soul of man has been given wings. And at last he is beginning to fly. He is flying into the rainbow. Into the light of hope. Into the future. The glorious future. That belongs to you. To me. And to all of us. Look up, Hannah. Look up. Let me give you one piece of advice. Be honest. He knows more than you can imagine. At last. Welcome, Neil. As you no doubt have guessed, I am Morpheus. It's an honor to meet you. No. The honor is mine. Please, come, sit. I imagine that right now you're feeling a bit like Alice, tumbling down the rabbit hole, hmm? could say that. I can see it in your eyes. You have the look of a man who accepts what he sees because he is expecting to wake up. Ironically, this is not far from the truth. Do you believe in fate, Neil? No. Why not? Because I don't like the idea that I'm not in control of my life. I know exactly what you mean. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life, that there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there, like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. It is this feeling that has brought you to me. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Matrix. Do you want to know what it is? The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now, in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window, 
or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. A prison for your mind. <sighs> Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. so sure was real. What if you were unable to wake from that dream? How would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world? This can't be. Be what? Be real? It's going into replication. Hey, Pop. It's still nothing. It's gone. Tank, we're going to need a signal soon. We got a fibrillation. APOC, location. Targeting almost there. He's going into arrest. Lock, I got him. Now, Tank, now. This is the construct. It's our loading program. We can load anything from clothing to equipment, weapons, training simulations, anything we need. Right now, we're inside a computer program? Is it really so hard to believe? Your clothes are different, the plugs in your arms and head are gone. Your hair has changed. Your appearance now is what we call residual self-image. It is the mental projection of your digital self. This... This isn't real. What is real? How do you define real? If you're talking about what you can feel, what you can smell, what you can taste and see, then real is simply electrical signals interpreted by your brain. 
This is the world that you know. The world as it was at the end of the 20th century. It exists now only as part of a neural interactive simulation that we call the Matrix. You've been living in a dream world, Neo. This is the world as it exists today. What is the Matrix? Control. The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world, built to keep us under control in order to change a human being into this. No. I don't believe it. It's not possible. I didn't say it would be easy, Neo. I just said it would be the truth. Stop! Let me out! Let me out! Until this century, the damage we could do to each other in war was limited. No weapon, we thought, could kill all our enemies. No war could last forever. In regard to all this bad news and those who would run for cover and say it's all nonsense, I don't want to hear as they're covering their eyes and their ears and, and pretending it'll all go away. Stockholm Syndrome. Many don't know what Stockholm Syndrome is. And pseudo-patriotism, because these two go together. There's an excellent report here. I want to read through it quickly because I have a lot of ground to cover still. And it gives the listener an idea 
on what Stockholm Syndrome is and how it applies to populations, especially the U.S. population in, in many regards. A government has the power. This is, this is by uh, a report by Harriet Elliott, by the way. My thanks to him. It's an excellent report. A government has the power in most cases to enslave us at a moment's notice for a war we may not support and to silence anyone who speaks ill of its military plans. It forces us to send our children to school whether or not we approve of it. It forbids us from agreeing freely with an employer to work for less than a minimum wage. It tells us what we may and what we may not buy, sell, eat, drink, watch, smoke, drive, and consent to. Most concerning, it demands up to 40% of the money we make to fuel these acts of coercion and has the power to incarcerate and fine us if we refuse to pay up. One would perhaps expect, given we have come to value freedom and individuality, liberty, over the last century or so, that people would loathe the state. Yet, to the contrary, any effort to shrink its size or scope is met with indignation. It's hardly surprising that within the structure of the state, individuals seek to maximize their own political and economic interests. A lot of selfishness. That's how we got in this dark corner again. Report continues. Unfortunate though the results may be for the bankers and energy companies of this world, it is curious, however, that people not only support the process of the state, but also the entity of it. There appears to be something deeply embedded in the psyche that may, many would label, quote, patriotism. However, it is difficult to tell why somebody would feel patriotic to a state which has, does, and will deny its citizens vast swaths of rights, which persistently evades transparency measures, and which bullies people into paying for its services. Patriotism becomes even harder to explain when we consider just how arbitrary nationality is. We have no choice as to when or where we were born, so it seems odd that we should exhibit specific loyalty to the particular government within those borders we came to, to be in, especially when this loyalty also compromises actively fighting people from other nations. There is one particular psychological condition, however, which sheds some light on this quandary. It is named after a 1973 incident in which four hostages repeatedly sympathized with and sought to protect two bank robbers who had held them for nearly a week. In the last 40 years, a handful of more examples of the Stockholm Syndrome, that's what we're talking about here, Stockholm Syndrome, have occurred, each involving victims showing compassion to criminals, often in improbable and shocking circumstances. Psychological precedent would suggest that four conditions are required for Stockholm Syndrome to develop. First, the criminal must pose a serious threat to the victim. Second, the victim must be isolated from outside influences. Third, the victim must feel completely unable to escape his captivity or to defend himself. Fourth, the victim must feel that some compassion has been shown. This does not entail a bank robber offering burgers and cookies to a hostage, but simply means that the captors have not been as aggressive as they theoretically could have been. While Stockholm Syndrome is hard to pin down, owing to the panic of most situations in which it occurs and the rarity and range of its appearances, these four conditions remain fairly stable. The first three are necessary to trigger the primal response. Again, that's important to consider. It's a primal defense mechanism, Stockholm Syndrome to which the phenomenon has been attributed. Victims must be 
powerless, at the mercy of an all-powerful assailant, and far away from others who can help. The fourth condition causes humans instinctively to believe that the otherwise bizarre behavior of capitulation, respect, and sympathy is the utility-maximizing action to follow. Stockholm Syndrome seems to be a long-forgotten evolutionary response to large-scale overpowering threats. Think about that. Stockholm Syndrome seems to be a long-forgotten evolutionary response to large-scale overpowering threats, a primitive defense mechanism. This is epidemic in our society. The denial of what's happening around us, no matter how obvious it is, no matter how threatening, no matter how dark the horizon, we have this primitive defense mechanism going off in people. Continuing, let us therefore try to link the four defining traits of Stockholm Syndrome to the situation of a citizen within a modern state. First, we must establish that the aggressor poses a threat to its victims. This is, in fact, precisely how the government functions. Every violation of the law is met with a series of powerful responses, up to and including life imprisonment. Indeed, if no overwhelming threat existed to citizens, they would have no incentive to obey laws. Second, we must show that the victims are disconnected from the outside world. In the context of government coercion, outside influences most accurately means people from other countries. However, it then becomes obvious why these outside influences fail to hold back Stockholm Syndrome. They are all also under the power of an oppressive state. This is uniformly true around the globe. Given that hostages exhibit Stockholm Syndrome, even alongside other hostages, it follows that this sort of external contact has no impact on the condition. Third, we have to show that citizens are unable to escape their captivity or to defend themselves against the force of the state. While constitutionalists like to protect the Second Amendment rights for fear of totalitarianism, it is reasonably self-evident that no individual has any hope of defending himself from a modern government. No denying that fact. This is arguably most true in the U.S., whose military spends more than every single other military in the world combined. I think it's the top ten militaries is, the, is what they're referring to here, but that's imagine that. We spend more than the next ten countries combined. Escaping to another country means nothing when the country is also an oppressor. And in regard to this, the, those that would de defend the Second Amendment... I want to weave this into the Hammond event that just happened. I know some people were killed. And I, I hope if, if such a protest occurs again in the future, I, I think it's tragic that there were mortalities in that event, but I hope people who protest leave your guns at home. Do not bring your guns. That is exactly what those in power want you to do. Don't buy into that. Leave your weapons at home. They have no place in such a protest as that. And I hope we can avoid such an outcome in the future. And it would have gone much better had weapons not been brought to that protest. I want to continue with this report on Stockholm Syndrome and the, the epidemic it is with American populations and populations around the globe. Having plausibly satisfied these three burdens, our only task remaining is to show that the state exhibits, the government exhibits some compassion towards citizens. Luckily, 
This is not difficult. The state furnishes children with free education, the unemployment with welfare, pensioners, uh, guaranteed social security, everyone with roads, hospitals, other public services paid for in a significant part by a small population of a portion of the population. Even if thousands of social services the government provides do not seem sufficiently charitable, we can look to political theorists who suggest that our present government is permissible because past states abused their power even more. So we accept the lesser of the evils, at least in the public mind. While saying that slavery, slavery's abolition magically makes income taxes legitimate, is akin to arguing that carpet bombing London is acceptable because we could have launched a nuclear missile instead. This sort of discourse directly affirms that states could theoretically be less compassionate than they are at present and yet continue to function. In other words, with Stockholm Syndrome, if the victim perceives that they could be abused even more, this is the, the fourth trigger point for Stockholm Syndrome. And many people we know live in fear right now, don't they? How many people have I heard from that say, I would speak out about climate engineering and other issues, but I'm afraid. I'm simply afraid. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? If the ship is going down and you're on the ship, why wouldn't you make your voice heard while you can? Why wouldn't you try to help plug the leak and change the course of the ship while you still have a chance to do something? Final paragraphs of this report. The above suggests that Stockholm Syndrome may well exist in citizens towards their states. As a result, it is unsurprising to see the symptoms of such a condition in a society. People often ignore or actively deny how oppressive their government is and disregard or rapidly override the harms of coercion when discussing the legitimacy of a particular policy or patriotism, or whichever term you would prefer since the word has other meanings tied up with it is a rational response to an all-powerful subjugator and once entrenched becomes hard to shed. Once these ideologies are adopted, once Stockholm Syndrome is ingrained, it's very difficult to break that paradigm, to break that programming, if you will. This all-powerful government father figure that people want to blindly go along with, if you will, no matter how how tyrannical it becomes. Is this what built this country? This is the paradox. I hear people that they claim to, to stand for the Constitution and that uh, they, they want to stand on the principles that built this country, yet they don't behave in a manner that seems to back up what they're saying. They don't. They're not even willing to show up and peacefully, I, I use that word uh, strongly, peacefully protest the fact that we're all being sprayed like rats from the sky. And there's no denying this. There's no denying. We have film footage of a crime happening. How do you deny it? We have film, undeniable film footage of these tankers spraying at altitude. We have lab tests to prove that this material is showing up in our, our air, water, soils. How can people pretend that's not going on? How can people pretend that uh, what happened in Vietnam was right? We know now it was a false flag event. How can people ignore the 9-11 issue when you have 2,500 architects and engineers from around the world saying the official story is absolute nonsense? Again, I'll use Building 7 for an example. Who could rationally believe that a 47-structure steel high-rise building could collapse in seven seconds, free-fall speed, because of some furniture burning in the first floor? If you believe that, 
You need to seriously recheck your reality because you have a very serious case of Stockholm Syndrome. That you are willing to blindly defend those that are actually tyrannically running the, the country of which you are a part of. The fact that this report finishes with this, the fact that the government seems to be an institution for good, not evil, is what makes this thesis so hard to believe. Yet, of course, that is precisely the point. Unnatural feelings of support for those within arbitrary borders and dislike for those without. Tribalism, I mentioned it earlier, this is tribalism. It's, it's, it's part of what's destroying the planet. Can only be explained as the product of a deep psychological phenomenon. Breaking free may be hard, even counterintuitive, but unless we do so, we risk being forever engulfed in blind obedience to a state that should command neither our will nor our support without first justifying its existence. This is the silent epidemic that has brought such darkness and destruction on the planet and all life. This tribalism that's rampant even today that we can see hundreds of thousands of people showing up for a, a Super Bowl celebration game. And yet, who do we see protesting the atrocities that are happening around the globe right now? Where's any mention of that? To watch mainstream media and know what's really happening in the world is appalling. It stirs a sense of righteous anger inside that that forces one to speak out. To speak out. It's our responsibility. It's not an option. It's an obligation. You can't look at your children and tell them you love them and ignore what's happening in the world that will soon cost them their future. Period. to cast a spell is simply to spell, to manipulate words, to change people's consciousness. And I believe that this is why an artist or writer is the closest thing in the contemporary world that you are likely to see to a shaman. When you hear these talismanic words like control, security, stronger, stronger America, strength, realize that they're talismanic words that are being used against you. They're, they're seduction words to try and get you to accept this because you don't have that. Well, you've been raped of that. The people who are selling you one story here have actually taken away the very things that you needed that were in your psyche to begin with. I am continuing and I am increasing the search for every possible path to peace. We maintain our strength in order to deter and defend against aggression to preserve freedom and peace. No one, friend or foe, should doubt our desire for peace. The United States wants peace. We seek peace. We strive for peace. I pledged in my campaign for the presidency to end the war in a way that we could win the peace. I respect your idealism. I share your concern for peace.
I want peace as much as you do. significant quantities of uranium from Africa. There is no doubt that Saddam Hussein now has weapons of mass destruction. Weapons of mass destruction. Botchman, VS, sarin, nerve agent. Iraq and Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda. Iraq and Al-Qaeda. Terrorism. Cyber attacks. Nuclear program. Biological weapons. Cruise missiles, ballistic missiles. Chemical and biological weapons. Iraq has weapons of mass destruction. President Bush has said Iraq has weapons of mass destruction. Tony Blair has said Iraq has weapons of mass destruction. Donald Rumsfeld has said Iraq has weapons of mass destruction. Richard Butler has said they do. The United Nations has said they do. The experts have said they do. Iraq says they don't. You can choose who you want to believe. The sources that have deceived us so constantly don't deserve our trust. And to the extent that we give them our trust, we set ourselves up to be scammed again and again. There are reports that there is no evidence of a direct link between Baghdad and some of these terrorist organizations. There are known knowns. There are things we know we know. We also know there are known unknowns. That is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns, the ones we don't know we don't know. I will build new partnerships to defeat the threats of the 21st century. Terrorism and nuclear proliferation, poverty and genocide, climate change and disease. And I will restore our moral standing so that America is once again that last best hope for all who are called to the cause of freedom, who long for lives of peace and who yearn for a better future. This is, this is used endlessly in the media by the drip feed method of just const constantly downloading the same idiotic memes that you consciously would think you resist. But if they're repeated for the 10, 20 years and you've been growing up, before you know it, you're a parrot of all of that. You don't even realize it was in plan. That's the whole point. You're not meant to realize that your thinking is not your own. That's the smokescreen I was talking about. You're not meant to know that you're under hypnotism. You're, not, you're meant to think you're perfectly normal. So they're going to sell you the most irrational, most satanic, most vile, pornographic lies, but they're going to sell it in a capsule that makes you think that you're perfectly spiritual, perfectly adjusted, totally normal. As this continues, as this process continues, the division between the outsider who's really sane and the unsane gets wider and wider and wider. What are people com complaining about? that they can't believe the world they're walking around in. Saying people are going, I can't handle it, I can't work, it's terrible that people are idiots. Yeah, but you didn't, that didn't happen last year, that didn't happen two months from, that didn't happen, you know, two months ago. You're seeing the symptom, not the cause, you're seeing the symptom of an immensely long, phenomenally detailed and interested, interesting and complex. What, what was Soviet Russia? You can sum up the whole gig. Experiment, social experimentation. Then you can split hairs as to whether it was a Darwinian experimentation or an Orwellian Darwin, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's an experiment in how to control human beings who very easily were controlled. 
Oh my goodness, 33 people are shot dead. Everybody is just tripping over themselves with awe and amazement and anger and frustration. Let me see, what else is going on in the world right now? What else has been going on since, 19, since 2001? Let me see, what's happening in Iraq or Iran right now? Can we ask a question about that? What was going on during the previous George Bush? Was there a thing called Desert Storm in which millions of people were killed, children were wiped out, incinerated? In Panama, were people not burned to death with lasers and incinerated in their own cars, completely innocent people? Then we have Grenada before that. Grenada. There you have, you know, where do we stop? How many wars do we need? But your children die. Of course it's horrible. But can we have some context here? Can we have some sanity here? That just because your little pathetic, mediocre lifestyle has not been shaken up by something you don't understand, that's the only violence you, th you think it exists in this world? Somebody has to be wielding, you know, a 38 in, in, on your own street, in your own backyard, before you realize that there's such a thing as violence in the world? I'm here to tell you that all of that kind of violence, including the, me the genocide, including the mega death, chew on this, that all of that, all through history, is a tiny aspect of the violence that exists in the world. That's the stuff you can see with your five senses. But as any competent psychologist will tell you, that is a very small, sadly, that is a symptom. That's what that is. That is a out, that's an outpouring, an outletting, a playing out in the world, obviously helped and assisted by those who would like to have chaos rule in the world. Yes. But it is, it is, it's, where is its roots? You're going to keep studying the, you know, leaf? You're going to keep studying the, the bloom and not ask where the root is? Or we'll have a wonderful society tomorrow where they'll be able to prune that really easily. And we won't have any of that violence because, in fact, we'll have a new world order. The chaos out of control. Everything's in chaos. People killing themselves. And we have a perfect structure now that will always deal with that. But will the root be ever looked at? If the root is not looked at, I don't care what kind of order or system is involved in the world of man that, you know, prunes that or, you know, keeps that nicely culled or caged or whatever. I happen to know that the root is twofold. The root, the root of all of this mayhem, chaos, and destruction, and, and immorality, is actually a twofold root. The one root is in man's inability to look at his dark emotions, which is a psychological look at look at this. so fast it's, it's it's all in such high gear that sometimes it doesn't feel like me so it makes sense when do you think all this oh nights i wake up sometimes it's as if none of it really happened as if nothing were real anymore next time you wake up bud look over at me lying there beside you i'm yours and I'm real. Yes. But you're the only thing that is, Laurie. The rest is a nightmare. I, I would like to jump in, actually, make a distinction from something you guys just said there. Um, and that would be the difference between force versus violence. So 
Okay. Violence is is a violation. And I, and I'm sorry, Carlton, because if we can't get past the difference between somebody not being, you know, having the right to not be harmed, the non-aggression principle, if we can't agree on that, then a lot of the discussion really doesn't, it's really actually not even relevant. No, we do. The thing, the thing um, is, we do agree but, about that. All I'm saying, though, is all I'm saying, I mean, we do agree about that. I don't, I'm not challenging you on whether or not I think that that's a valid moral principle. I do. All I'm saying is it, 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 it's not reified. It's not something that I can demand of somebody else to see that way. That's okay. all I'm saying. Okay. And, and so w- maybe we can build from there then. I mean, we can, we can agree to disagree there and then build t- from there and say, you know, we can extrapolate further, but, 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 but to say that, um, you know, there is no third party as in there is no baseline consensus of what morality is ties right back to your opinion. So you agree with the fact that nobody else should be harmed. You agree with this moral, um, standard or was yeah. you're considering it a standard, well, but you, it's did, my, you, it's you, my morality, you don't yes. feel, you don't feel that it's a universal Thing. I don't feel like no. I don't feel that there's any okay. way if 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 Oracle didn't hold to that 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 precept, I don't think that there is any authority that I can hold over his head to say, well, you should because it's right. All I can do is convince him that I see it that way, and here's why. But I can't say he's wrong in, in from his perspective. And there's, there's no there is no external moral authority that I can use to say he's he's incorrect. I can simply disagree with you know, his way of looking at things. I know that sounded, that yeah, sounded very yeah, close to the same thing, the but I didn't mean it that I way. See it as, I see, I think the moral authority, I guess the way I think of it is that the moral authority is distributed, essentially. It's democratized uh, natu- by way of it natural is. order. Yeah, I, I think it and is. That, that authority has been vested in the vessel uh, of your physical body. And, and only, you know, some people will suspend themselves from hooks from the ceiling for pleasure, right? Other people might find that to be torture. So, the difference between assault and boxing right. is consent, right? From the difference between lovemaking and rape is consent. Like from space, they, they might look I, exactly the I same. I would agree. Some um, so it's the, the only logical uh, answer to this quandary because, of course, if there is an external authority, let's suffice it to say, none of us appear to be in communication with it. So yeah, act- we are left to solve this problem as human beings on our own. And I observe through scientific method that people who do not initiate force against their fellow man tend to live more peaceful, happier existences as do the people around them. And so I simply observe this as a cultural scientist. And I notice that the most peaceful civilizations tend to be the happiest and most prosperous and the most peaceful people tend to be, exactly. uh, you know, so it just, it just seems to make a lot of sense. And then the question is, well, how do we become peaceful? And I think what Tyler's getting at is that there's a, cognitive virus that has run rampant through humanity that has allowed us to otherwise extremely well-meaning people to sort of accidentally be uh, find themselves in the position of advocating some fairly um, uh, violent and and horrible things that that in many cases they're so disconnected from that uh, they don't even know it occurred you know for example if i were to ask for uh, free cell phones from the government you know there's always the case of the the marginal taxpayer, you know, the person that was just, but for that little increment, they were just hanging on, right? Like just hanging on to that house. And now this little bit of an extra tax is the difference between being $50 ahead at the end of the month and $50 behind at the end of the month. And now they're unable to meet that requirement. So for the 
people who requested this quote unquote free service, they're now effectively, uh, you know, tacitly and, and unknowingly, you know, there's certain, I don't believe anyone's wanting this to happen, but the reality is that that bill has to be paid and the, the, well, the, that bill is handed to someone else. And if they can't pay it, then they're yeah. asked to I don't, leave I don't have any problem with that. If they don't want to leave their domicile, then they're ushered I, into their... I actually think Tyler and I probably are. I think we agree far more than we than we disagree, and I think our disagreement is simply over maybe maybe hair splitting on on the word choice. I don't know, but activist activist says God doesn't like that. I said, you know what, activist? I'm far more worried about Oracle coming from my computer than I am God. So, (laughs) well, (laughs) I I said I'm far more worried that you might come from my computer than I am that God's going to punish me. Okay, so if as you hear as well. If, if there is no baseline morality, then the problem is is that we – and we just highlighted this, so I'm just re-going over what was just said. Yep. We empower man to decide for us what is right and wrong, whether yep. it be through government, whether it be through religion, yes. whether it be through social pressure. Not for we, us. We, not we, for empower, we empower these groups to decide for us what is correct no. and what is not correct. No. And they do because that's right. what legislation is. And it's, it's not, forced. No. It's whoa, used whoa, whoa. through the, hold on, let me finish. I, I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm not God. able to I'm ever sorry. make a point because sorry, I can't even finish out my thought. I'm sorry, God. So if we empower these groups of people to decide what's right and wrong for us, they do force us to abide by what they have decided what's right and wrong. So for example, we can use examples like prohibition on drugs or the war on drugs or the prohibition on alcohol as an example of me, I can decide for myself that using alcohol is perfectly okay and moral to me. I can also recognize that through my use of alcohol, I'm not causing harm to anyone else around me. I can yep. easily extrapolate. I mean, I could. I could definitely potentially use alcohol and then go harm someone, but that's different than just using, having a couple drinks and going to, to bed at night. I don't see that as immoral, and through my... Uh, like um, the previous guest who dropped off just said, um, through my extrapolation of reality and scientific method of just the fact that I have the right to do what I'd like to do with my body based on the fact that I own my body, then I'm perfectly fine with having that drink. But there were groups of people during a certain time period that thought that they were suddenly empowered to come and bang down my door and throw me in a cage for making that decision. Now, if we don't know the difference between right and wrong as a society and we empower large groups of people to decide for us and enforce their morality upon us, then then this is what we get. We get um, immoral things such as throwing people in cages happening and then people agreeing that it's okay. We get chaos. That's chaos, basically. We get large groups of people wandering around the planet we have the united states currently you know invading countries that have not aggressed against us and deciding that we somehow have the right to invade and aggress against them even though they haven't aggressed against us so it's violating the non-aggression principle which is in violation of the very basic point that i'm making here that there is you know a right to inhabit your body without being harmed and also you do not have the right to harm other people which is the non-aggression principle which is what the discussion is based on for me it's the non-aggression principle that i'm getting at the point that man does not create the difference between right and wrong no tricks now i dub you pinocchio's conscience lord high keeper of the knowledge of right and wrong counselor in moments of temptation 
and guide along the straight and narrow path. The fifth and final expression for natural law, how it operates in our lives, is what I call the manifestation, or the result that we create. So, again, here's the foundation for that little four-part building, right? Here's the first block, knowledge or lack thereof. Here's the second block, understanding or lack thereof. Here's the third block, wisdom or lack thereof, which is why we're in a society that's completely based in control, because we, we're drowning in knowledge and having a, a, a lick of wisdom, you know, or very, very little, I should say, certainly not enough to go around, okay? Uh, that's the action stage or the wisdom stage, what happens externally, right? This is that top block. Remember the top white block that sat on top? We had the uh, blue block at the bottom, then the red, then the green, and then the white block. This was the manifestation, the result that we create. Remember what I, little question I put on the top of that white block? Who can tell me what it was? The manifestation. No, the manifestation was either order or chaos. What do we ultimately create? So the positive manifestation is order. Or what we would call all the things we say we want. Manifested goodness. Everything being okay, not creating self-inflicted chaos or suffering. This would be, we get what we say we want to get. And there's requirements for that, and here they are. There's the requirements. you got to be in this vibratory energy of consciousness. You have to accept the truth and develop knowledge. You have to have an understanding that you're a sovereign being, and you have to work toward the manifestation of true freedom. Then you'll have all the things you say you want manifested goodness and order in your life. And that's the only path to it. I'm telling you that's the only path to it. Blanket statement. The, the human mind has a hard time with blanket statements. Has a hard time with always, every, without exception. The ego doesn't want to hear that. Again, humanity's greatest fear may be that the truth is absolute. I, th I would say an even greater fear it has is that the truth is singular. That there's no such thing as my truth, your truth, his truth, her truth, their truth. There's just the truth. And whether we align our perceptions to it or not, that's humanity's biggest fear. So this is what I viewed order as being like. Okay, We have beings that are actually full of the light. And they're working toward a world that is based in freedom, cooperation, knowledge, sovereignty, no control. Okay? It's what I call, in some of my former presentations, cooperative spiritual anarchy, which is the natural condition of humanity. The natural, meaning spiritual, natural condition of the human species that has been blocked from manifesting through mind control, indoctrination, fear-based, trauma-based methods. So that's what I call order. The positive manifestation, manifested goodness. It represents everything we say we want, and it only results when there is balance or justice. Justice comes about through adherence to natural law. Justice can only be present when truth has been accepted in our lives and our behavior has been brought into harmony with natural law. Cannot manifest any other way. That's the positive manifestation. The negative manifestation is the opposite of order, chaos. Chaos is manifested evil. 
I just put this as, you know, complete disregard for other people, a breakdown. Me, me, me first. Knock everybody else down. Get what I want. Don't worry about anybody else being hurt. Don't worry about anybody else's freedom. Don't, wonder other, don't worry about whether anybody else's rights are being tread all over. Doesn't matter. Let me get mine. Self-preservation is the highest law. Survival is all that matters. Even if I have to step on somebody else to get it, to make that happen. Yeah, it's an animal. That's exactly right, sir. That's exactly correct. That's not a human being. That's an animal. That's how animals in the animal kingdom behave. And again, natural law doesn't work the same way for animals as it does for human beings because they do not have the same capacity for consciousness that a human being has. So let's not start saying that's the natural order. No, it is not. It's the exact antithesis of the natural order. The natural order is just that. Order. It's in the word. It's in the phrase. Natural order. What people are describing as the natural order through this utter nonsense concept called social Darwinism is, as I've called it before, psychopathic chaos. And break down that word. Psychopathology means an illness of the mind. Psychopathy is mental illness. Psyche in Greek means the mind. Okay? And patho pathology is an illness, sickness. Psycho psychopaths are mentally ill. And they don't create anything resembling order. All they can create is chaos, which is why they want us to mimic their mindset. Because they're just bent on hell and destruction to manifest. And they have to have our complicity and cooperation to make that dynamic happen. Our energy has to be given over to them by our mindset being made like theirs. Otherwise, their worldview can't come into manifestation, which is one of chaos and disorder. The negative manifestation, chaos, or manifested evil is the exact opposite of what we say we want. Chaos results when there is imbalance and injustice, which results whenever there is ignorance of truth and behavior which is in direct opposition to natural law. So that's our chart, and one last thing I want to say about it is that the, the manifestations or the expressions of natural law are what I would call, they're, they're unilateral. They don't cross into each other, okay? There's no such thing as, well, I've accepted the truth and I've developed knowledge, so now I'm in a state of confusion. It doesn't work like that. Hey, you can't go from ignorance to sovereignty to the understanding that you're sovereign. You cannot cross this air, the area of these charts. Once you're here, you can only go here. In order to get here, you gotta come from here. In order to get here, you gotta come from here, 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 and here. You, you don't get there from any of these, you don't get here from anything in this column. You don't get here from anything in this column. Okay? Please keep this in mind. These expressions are unilateral. Okay? Can't skip. Can, can, no, they cannot be skipped either. Good question. They must proceed in order and in the same column of expression. So you can only get to order through freedom, which comes about 
through the understanding that we are sovereign, which comes about through taking in knowledge of truth, and which comes about through staying in a vibratory energy of love or higher consciousness. The openness to truth. That's it. Same thing here. We can only create chaos, chaos when our society is bent on control, okay? Because we are confused beings that don't understand our sovereignty and think other people can legitimately own us or rule us, and that comes from a place of ignorance or refusal of the truth, which is based in fear. Can only manifest that way. Blanket statement, too. And I will not retract on that blanket statement because this has nothing to do with what I think or feel or my beliefs. This is how laws operate in creation. Not a belief system, not a religion, has absolutely nothing to do. I, I did not develop this. I came to an understanding of it by seeking truth. I'm telling you, this is not my information, never has been my information, never will be my information. There's no copyright on it, I don't claim it. It's eternal truths that have existed forever and will exist forever, whether human beings are here or not. Take it and share it freely and widely to anybody that's capable of comprehending it, because it's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Okay? Those are the expressions of natural law. Now, when I say living in harmony with natural law or living in opposition to natural law, what do I really mean? Well, what this has to do with is knowledge. And we're going to keep going back to this trend. This thread is not going away. Okay? And guess what? Every time I, I, I teach any of this stuff, whenever there's the new age community around or present, okay, and you'll encounter them from time to time, They'll insist, they'll even see the word. It's like uh, you can tell knowledge is becoming a bad word to these people. No. When you say K-N-O-W, no, it's almost like they immediately have an avulsion, extreme negative reaction. And it is fear, but it's mind control moreover because they ha are being fed this poisonous untruth that there's not really any such thing as knowledge, and that knowledge is not the way out of this prison. And I'm telling you, it goes hand in hand with religious traditions, because they want you to externalize your power, externalize everything. And I'm not telling you, don't, I'm not saying don't have a model for behavior, and okay, this person, Buddha pattern, you want to pattern your behavior on the Buddha's life? Great. Live the great life. You want to pattern your behavior on the life of Christ? Whatever. And again, I'm not getting into this discussion here today about the actual historicity of the man Jesus, regardless of what you believe regarding that. I understand I could write books on astrotheology. Okay? I, I understand that, that being may never have existed in the way a lot of people believe he did. So what? Whether Siddhartha Gautama existed in the form of a man or not, or whether that's an allegory, who cares? Understand the, the spiritual teachings they were trying to convey to humanity and then apply them in your life. Live by the, that, that ethic, that code, and great. Okay? And believe, have whatever religious notion you want. Okay? What I'm saying is what this religion called the New Age movement and what many uh, uh, official um, organized regional religions okay, do is they try to take the emphasis off knowledge. Because again, if you're not seeking truth and trying to develop knowledge, that's how this information remains occult. 
and that's how the control system stays in place. They want you to externalize your power to a deity or a guru. Once you do that, you're, 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 you're accepting your chains. You're saying, I have no power. Let me tell you something, folks. I'm not powerless. I am full of power. Why? Because I have knowledge of how things actually work. Nobody can tell me that I'm owned by somebody else and can get me to believe it because I have understanding of my sovereignty. If they can take that away from you by getting you to de-emphasize the importance of knowledge, of self-knowledge, they own you. That's when you're owned at that point. Okay? Knowledge is the way out of this. Knowledge, understanding, and then converting that to true wisdom through actions. Not believing in something. Not accepting everything. Not waiting on somebody to come down and save you, whether it be Zoroaster or uh, the aliens from Zeta Reticuli or Ashtar Command or Jesus Christ. Okay? You keep waiting on an external savior, you're going to be waiting in your chains forever. The knowledge of truth is what the Christ figure himself proclaimed would be the pathway to true freedom. Now, whether you put any emphasis on even exoteric Christianity, I'm telling you, that's the core of all the mystery traditions, is that until you take in the light, you'll never dispel the darkness. And the light is knowledge of truth. That's what it has always been symbolized as and represented as. Okay? Knowledge is the answer. And here's what the biggest piece of knowledge that comprises natural law needs to be understood. There is a difference. It is a 100% completely polarized antithesis. These are diametric opposites that exist in nature. These concepts, right and wrong, do not exist as constructs within the human mind. Anybody who believes that is thrown completely off the path. They are, they are engaged in Satanism. Let me just say it just openly right out in, in, in a way that is completely unambiguous. If you believe there's no real difference between these things and that they do not exist in nature, you are accepting Satanism. It's a satanic belief system that comes directly from dark occultism. And once again, you could say whatever you want about believing that or not, I was a priest within this religion. So if you go up to a Jewish rabbi and you, you would expect you, he would have some knowledge of the Judaic tradition, would you not? If you went up to a Catholic priest, you would say, well, he has some knowledge of Catholicism and how it expresses the Christian tradition, would you not? If you go up to a, uh, Islamic, uh, um, uh, what do they call them? Uh, uh, yeah, right. You know, would you expect that that this uh, practitioner of his religion, who's in, in the priest class of his religion, would have some knowledge of Islam? Well, I'm telling you, I was a priest in Satanism. And I'm telling you, the concept of moral relativism is satanic belief. It is satanic ideology. It's one of their, te- it's their second tenet. They have four pillars. The four pillars of Satanism are self-preservation is the highest aspiration, and nothing comes above it. 
The second tenet is there is no such thing as the, the objective difference between right and wrong. Right is what's good for me. Wrong is what's bad for me, personally. And that's it. And I get to, I get to make that up based on my likes, preferences, and whims. Okay? The third tenet is social Darwinism, which is an extension of macrobiological Darwinian theory. Okay? Social Darwinism, an oligarchy or a ruling class gets to direct the herd because we know better. And it's just our right to do so because our intellect makes us superior. And the fourth pillar is eugenics. Since we are ultimately God, since we decide what's real and what's not real, and we give that perception to the rest of the herd, and we get to decide what's right and wrong, well, we're God here. And therefore, we get to decide who lives and who dies. That's the four pillars of Satanism. And you know how many people believe that nonsense? A whole lot. Way more than people in the priest class of this religion, because they are propagating these tenets everywhere in human society. So many people are Satanists and do not even know that they are Satanists. It is a secret, infectious ideology. And I'll, I'll tell you a personal anecdote real quick. And I'll tell you who it is now, because I don't care anymore. My own grandmother. All right? Let's make it personal. All right? Okay? And I hope she sees it. My own grandmother, who it was, I believe was in her late 70s or maybe early 80s at the time. Okay? Oh, I think she's in her mid-80s now. And I don't speak to her anymore. Um, uh, I took a, I took a uh, printed sheet of paper that I printed out of my printer, printed it out of a laser printer, and I put a little piece of white tape. I taped a piece of white paper over the heading, the title of the document. And I asked her to read this. It had four paragraphs, right? And the paragraphs described each of the tenets of Satanism very briefly. Self-preservation is the highest law, et cetera, et cetera. Moral relativism is what we believe in. Social Darwinism is what we believe in. And we believe in eugenics. Okay? She said to me, well, I pretty much agree with everything that's written there. And I said, you do? And she said, yeah, that's how I think. I don't see anything really wrong with it or bad with it. I said, okay. I said, peel that little strip of paper off that I've taped to the top. I want you to see what the document's called. And on top it said, the tenets of modern Satanism. And you know what her response was? Well, then I guess that makes me a Satanist, doesn't it? Not horrified. Not, oh my God, what, do, what is my belief system? What do I believe in? No. Well, guess that makes me a Satanist, doesn't it? As if it was just no big thing. And you know what? You know how many people were in that mindset? Hundreds of millions, if not billions, and don't even understand what it is. Because they think Satanism is something that it is not. They don't understand what the ideology of Satanism is. They, under, they think you have to be associated with the trappings of Satanism. Okay? That you have to dress like, the, as if there's such a thing as dressing like a Satanist. Or you have to have certain things on your walls in your house or in your garage if you're a Satanist. Well, let me tell you something. Satanists are the owners of banks. They own hospitals. They own schools. Okay? Yeah. 
certainly that university right across the road. And many people ascribe to this religion in their thoughts, emotions, and actions and do not even understand it because they don't even understand what that belief system is about. They don't understand what that ideology is. They don't know its tenets. So, again, going back to this, if you don't know that there is an objective, meaning in nature difference, okay, between right and wrong, that is a satanic belief system. Morality, it's not right versus left. It's about right versus wrong. This whole left-right paradigm that people are, oh, you fall in with, with the left, with the Democrats or the right, the Republicans, has nothing to do with any of that. It's a false paradigm. The, the thing that all of that's a distraction for not getting you to pay attention to and understand is the difference the real, true, and objective difference between right and wrong. And we're going to explore what that is. Because it can be known. It can be known, and most people will be shocked and horrified to understand the real differences between right and wrong, because they'll have to look into themselves and recognize in many ways that they are cooperating with wrong. And that they don't really truly know the difference between right and wrong. When you tell people this, I'm telling you, I told this to somebody in a bar once, which was a big mistake of even trying to bring up this, this discussion in that environment. But occasionally I even, you know, make asinine mistakes like that and think I'm going to be talking to even a semi-conscious being when you're talking to a block. Okay? So, I said, you understand what actual morality is, is true common sense. We're going to look at that term, common sense, and explore what it really means. And she said, so what you're saying is if I think that there's no really objective right and wrong, that I don't have common sense. And I said, yes, that's what it, no, I said, that's not what I think. I'm trying to explain to you that's what it means by definition, not by what I think. The definition of common sense is to truly know the difference between right and wrong. And I said, you're, because I say that you are, are not fully in that state of awareness, don't even take it personally because m billions of people on the earth are in that same state of awareness. You're, you're not special and it's not a, a personal attack against you. And I thought this person was going to throw a glass at me. <laughs> Literally got so enraged because she's associating the concept of common sense with that you are functional and can adequately perform the daily activities of living. And that's not what I'm talking about as common sense, okay? Having common sense about, oh, well, I can eat, prepare my meals and eat for myself and wash my own clothes and, you know, go to work. That's not what I'm talking about as common sense. That's your every man's definition or connotation of common sense. We're going to talk about what common sense really is. Okay, A deep understanding of morality, which are the principles concerning the distinction between right and wrong behavior, lies at the very heart of natural law. This is the essence of it, folks, right here. And here's the difference between right and wrong, in a nutshell, about as simply as I am capable of describing it. All right? Now, we use the words correct or to, right to mean correct and moral. When you say, okay, what's five plus five? It's ten. You're right. 
Meaning, you are correct. That is true. That is the correct answer. That is right. Okay? And then we say, was, was, uh, stealing from, was stealing that money from Jim, was that, was that right? To mean, was it a moral behavior? So now, wh- why would we use the same word, again, like the ancient Romans used the same word, book and free, okay, the, the, those two different concepts were represented by the same word, liber, right? And there's a reason, because reading will put you on the path to true freedom, if you read the right books, Okay? Why would in English, in the English language, we not really, we have other words to mean the same concepts, but the word right means two things simultaneously. It means both correct and it means moral. There's a reason. Because they mean the same thing. Correct is moral. Correct meaning that is, it is in alignment with that which is true. Means, literally, by definition, If it is true, then it is moral. The more you are following something that is false, that is not based in truth, the more you are going down the path of immorality, of wrongdoing. So we have to come to know what is true regarding right and wrong if we are going to be able to correctly, with wisdom, choose between these two modalities of behavior. So, right again, it means both correct, which is based in truth, and moral, which means that the action, if taken, if acted upon, is in harmony with natural law. Actions based in it do not result in harm to other sentient beings. That's the definition of right. Now, look at how simple that that definition is. And, And think about it for a moment. We're talking about what is a right, meaning what do you have a right to do? And what you have a right to do is no different than what I have a right to do. What I'm telling you here is every single human being on this planet has the exact same rights. Not one person has one more right than another being. Not one person has one less right than another being. To think that anybody has more or less rights anywhere on the earth at any time in history is a fallacy. It is a lie. It is a deception. It is wrong. It is not correct. It is not based in truth. Rights are universal and the exact same for every human being. Blanket statement, absolute truth. Let the ego chew on it and deal with it. Okay, And again, the ego will have a hard time with this in many cases, with many people. They'll hear that and they'll want to throw a glass at me. So, look at the definition again. A right. So, when you, when you make a definition, right, this is a noun. Right? Noun's a person, place, or thing in the English language. We're talking about a noun here. You look up the word right, it's a noun, meaning a right. A right that we have to enact, to take, is an action. You have to start a definition with the same type of word. You're defining a noun, you got to give it a noun to start the definition. A right is an action. Most people will never even be able to tell you that. 
to say, can you define what a right is to me? They will not give you this noun. A right is an action. So is a wrong an action. A right is an action that if you take it, it does not cause harm to other sentient beings. That's the simple and easiest definition that anybody can give for what a right is. And I guarantee you, you go and engage as many people as you want on the street. I have not asked this question and had anybody raise, ever raise their hand or even contact me later and say, you go up to somebody on the street and ask them if they can define what a right is. Nobody can give you the correct definition for what a right is. Now, if you don't know what the definition of a right is, you certainly don't know whether you're choosing accurately between a right and a wrong, between right and wrong behavior. You can't. It's not possible. So, so many people believe that they're allowed and they can do actions with no consequence that actually aren't in alignment with natural law because the taking of those actions do result in harm. And they don't really even understand that. So let's look at what a wrong is. We're going to deeply look into what a wrong is. We're going to focus on what wrongs are. Because in reality, to even start this, right, what have we based this definition on? Actions based in it do not result in harm, right? That's the negative of another definition. Well, it's the negative of this definition. So you can only actually define a right by knowing what a wrong is. A right technically cannot be defined outside of the negative. A right can only be defined apophatically, meaning understanding what a wrong is and then stating that it is anything that falls outside of the parameters of wrongdoing. Okay, and we're going to get to what those parameters are. All right? So, I'm sorry, I want to focus on wrong for a moment. Okay? Wrong, again, we say this, what's five plus five? Nine. Wrong. It's not true. Incorrect. Incorrect answer. It's not based in truth. We use the term wrong to mean both incorrect and immoral. Well, that was wrong what you did to, to that person by hitting him for no reason. You didn't have the right to do that. Immoral means in opposition to natural law. Because Actions that are based in it result in harm to other sentient beings. That's the simple definition of a wrong. Now we can go, we can go deeper into the definition of what a wrong is and look at different types of wrongs, which is what I'm going to do in a moment. So this is the concept that is referred to as apophatic inquiry. Very, very critical to understand concept. And you have to apply this concept. What this essentially is, is it's a filtration process. This is the process of the, the, the middle process in the trivium. Okay? It's, it's weeding through the inconsistencies and saying, well, is this inconsistent? Is this inconsistent? Is that not true? And you're, you're, you're setting those behaviors aside and you're saying, here's the behaviors that are wrong. Don't engage in those behaviors. It's negative. It's a negative process. It's a destructive process. You're taking away from the body of everything that can be done, and you're saying, I'm pulling all of these out through a weeding down process and saying, these are all inconsistent with truth. It's called apophysis, apophatic inquiry. And that is to be delineated from what's known as cataphatic inquiry. Cataphatic inquiry means you're reasoning in the affirmative. And you're not trying to weed down through a um, uh, 
a process of elimination to get to the truth. Okay, so cataphasis or cataphatic inquiry would be equivalent to inductive reasoning, whereas apophatic inquiry or apophysis would be akin to deductive reasoning. All right. Rights are most easily understood when they are considered through apophatic inquiry or what is known as the process of apophysis. This process helps us to understand what a right actually is by understanding actions that are, which actions are not rights because they cause harm to others. They are the cause of harm. Here's what apophysis is. It's been called apophatic inquiry. Okay, really look this up. Understand what apophysis is because it's part of the trivium process. All right, it comes from the Greek noun apophysis, written there in Greek script, which comes from the Greek verb apophanai. Okay, so apo in Greek means away from or the negation of, and phanai in Greek means to say or to speak. So when we put them together, it means to say no or not to say, or to say what something is not, in other words. That's what apophysis is. You're saying this is not this. It's the opposite of that. Okay? So it is a method of logical reasoning or deductive reasoning that is employed when you are given a limited set of possibilities in order to arrive at knowledge, arrive at knowledge, by way of the exclusion of known negatives. You're setting the logical inconsistencies to the side and saying this is not what this thing is. That's called apophysis. Okay? You are describing what something is by explaining what it is not. This is called affirmation through negation is another term that this truth discovery process is known as. Okay? So, what we're going to do is apophysis. We're going to do apophatic inquiry regarding right and wrong. So, what is not a right? What are ways that people can cause harm to other people or animals? Ways that we can cause harm to other sentient beings. One of the first thing, so what we're doing here is we're going to list the boundary conditions for natural law here, for breaking natural law. If we take these actions, we are breaking natural law because the action is a cause which results in the effect of harm to another being. All right? So these are what are simply, I call them the natural law transgressions, which means sins or wrongdoings. They're simply harmful actions that a person is capable of taking to another being, against another being. That's all. So, of course, many people will get the first one, What's one of the main horrible wrong things that somebody can do to another person? Kill them. Murder them. Take their life. Okay? Murder. And, and I would distinguish murder from killing as well. Because occasionally, to defend oneself, killing may be necessary. But murder is always immoral and wrong. Okay? See, the fifth commandment in Hebrew... Do you know what it says in Hebrew? It does not say thou shalt not kill. The term for murder in Hebrew is tirzach. The fifth commandment in Hebrew is lo tirzach, which means do not murder. 
Murder, as a verb in Hebrew, is a completely different word and a totally different connotation than the verb to kill. Because what they're saying is, don't take life without any right to take it. Meaning that you initiated the violence, and that's what murder is. It's the initiation of the taking of somebody else's life when you had absolutely no right to take that life. Now, if someone is coming after you, your rights, there may be times when you do have to take defensive action uh, and forceful action up to and including deadly force. We're going to talk about that later. But murder is the first natural law transgression. And if you want to go down to a subsection of this transgression, you could list it as a totally separate wrongdoing. I'm keeping it in the same basic category. Assault, meaning you're directly physically accosting without right the well-being, the bodily well-being of another being is also, it's like it would be you could consider it attempted murder. Because assault is something that you do without right. If someone assaults somebody, they have no right to commit assault. Never exists. The right to commit assault does not exist. The right to commit murder does not exist in any circumstance ever. Blanket statement. The right to defend oneself through physical force exists, and possibly in certain circumstances the right to kill exists. But murder and assault can never be rights because they always are done by being initiated without the right to do so. It is the initiation of violence. All right? Rape is the second natural law transgression. Okay? You're coercing the free will of another person and making them sexually associate with whom they wish not to. That's rape. And it's always wrong. Blanket statement. All right? The third natural law transgression is theft. It is the taking of property that does not belong to you. Someone else, you know, got that, that property through lawful means without hurting somebody else. That's their property for as long as they are using it and being responsible for it. And you don't have a right to just take what doesn't belong to you. Nobody has a right to take my projector or my remote control or my computer any more than I would have the right to take Richard's cameras. Okay? It would be theft of somebody else's property. It's not mine. And this is the problem. We don't understand property. As we're going to get to, all rights are property rights. We'll get to that in a moment. That's the third natural law transgression. The fourth is trespass. And that means going into somebody else's lair that they are using, that they own lawfully and that they're responsible for, without their permission or consent, and you're just invading their, their privacy and their space, and you're taking their security away from them in that process. And we do have a right to set aside a place for ourselves for our own lair. Okay? And to, to violate that is to trespass against somebody else in, in their own property. The fifth and last natural law transgression is coercion. This is forcing somebody through the threat of violence to have their will comply with your will, whether they don't wish that to be the case or not. Making somebody do something that is against their will. Coercing them. And that's also not a right. Now, that's a small list. Very small list, right? We could add one more. We could add lying. Lying is also a wrongdoing. And I would consider that a theft of truth or a withholding of truth that somebody needs to understand to make accurate and informed decisions, lying to them. Okay? But essentially, these five are the overarching natural law transgressions. 
I challenge anybody to come up with a wrongdoing that doesn't fit into one of these categories. So far, I've never had one person able to do it. Any wrongdoing, any action that you could think of that doesn't fall into one of these wrongdoings. <laughs> yep. It, 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 I would probably categorize it as pure ignorance, but, uh, you know, I would say, hey, maybe, maybe you could look at it like that because that's propagating the slavery system indirectly. So, you know, you're actually, uh, you're not doing anything to help anybody else's freedom, certainly. I don't know if I would categorize that as a natural law transgression because, it, you know, it's, uh, it's giving consent and propping up that system. It's not technically what I would call an action, but um, it's more of like giving consent. Hey, you could say that is a wrongdoing, I guess, because you, giving your consent is tacitly saying yes to control, and that's ultimately affecting everybody else's freedom negatively. So, you know, possibly. Um, uh, but in general, what I would say is, if you could think of an actual physical action that doesn't fall into one of those categories, let me know. Because that's a pretty comprehensive list, and it's only like, you know, six words. So, uh, now, what if I told you I could narrow it down? What if I told you I can get rid of five of those words and take it down to one? Okay? These are the wrongdoings. Let's try to narrow it down, right? Okay? Every harmful action that a human being is capable of taking is a form of theft. Now, many people will hear that for the first time. I've never heard that said. There is no action that you can take that causes harm to another person that is not a form of theft in some form or fashion. I challenge anybody to come up with an action that isn't a form of theft, uh, that is a, a, that an action that is a wrongdoing that isn't a form of theft. You won't be able to do it. I put that challenge out on my, on my podcast. Say, email me if you know. You know, no, not one person. The only person, one person challenged it and tried to say, uh, Lying. I say, okay, it's, it, that's really taking the truth from somebody, thieving truth. And whether you want to look at it as you're, you're simply dissuading them from looking at the truth too, deceiving them or not offering correct information, still you're taking away their ability to, ta to make correct judgments based on the availability of information. So it is a form of theft. Some form of property. Now look at that word. Property. Proper, meaning right, is always being stolen when a wrongdoing is committed. All rights are property rights. All wrongs are theft of property. Once again, I challenge anybody. It's an open challenge. If you can find me a right that is not a property right, or a wrong that is not the theft of some form of property, please do it. Please let me know. Okay? Life is a form of property. So taking life you had no right to take, murder, is stealing property that wasn't your own. Because that was that person's life. Possessive. They own it. And I didn't have a right to just go and take it for no reason. Rights are a form of property, meaning actions that you may do because they are in harmony with natural law and do not cause harm to others, I don't have a right to stop you from taking. If you're not harming somebody else, nobody has a right to stop you from taking a right, taking an action. You may perform any action which does not directly result in harm to somebody else. Okay? Rights are a form of property. 
Freedom is a form of property. Somebody doesn't have a right to take somebody else's freedom and hold them against their will just because they don't like what they're doing. They have a distaste for what they're doing. Or they want to, them to comply with their behavior, with their commands. Okay, They want them to make their behavior comply with commands that they're being given. So if you really break it down, let's look at the wrongdoings once again. Murder. Is that not the taking of somebody else's life? Assault is the taking of their right to remain unharmed in their person. You're taking their health if you assault them, right? Their homeostasis in their body is being is put, being put under assault. And that's robbery. That's somebody taking something that isn't theirs to take. Rape. You're taking somebody else's free will to sexually associate with whom they choose to sexually associate. And therefore, that's a property theft. Because that's their property, their free will. Theft itself says it right there. You're taking physical possessions that aren't yours to take from somebody else. Stealing. Trespass. You are taking someone's security in their own lair, as we talked about, which you don't have a right to take. That's also their property. Coercion. What are you taking? Somebody else's free will, which isn't yours to take. That's a gift from the Creator, which belongs to each individual. And if somebody's coercing somebody by telling them, you must do this because I said so, and if you don't do this, I will come and do some form of harm to you, that's not a right. That's a wrongdoing. Coercion. And it's a form of theft. Exactly. Sure. You must buy this. Imagine this. Great. We're going to take five more minutes and then we're going to take a hour, uh, an hour and 15 minute break. So all of these things are forms of wrongdoing. And they're all ultimately one wrongdoing in different forms. They are all theft, every one of them. There is only one wrongdoing. There's only one way anybody can wrong anybody else. Stealing. That's it. Every form of wrongdoing is a form of theft against another being and their property. A living being or their property must have been harmed in order for a violation of natural law or wrongdoing to have taken place. Any action which does not cause such harm is a right. There's the apophatic definition of a right. Through understanding what a wrongdoing is. And I'm telling you, billions of people, not millions, not hundreds of millions, billions of people on this planet do not know this. Could not tell you this. Because this is it. This is it, folks, right here. This is the crux of natural law. What is a right? What is a wrong? And I was laying, I couldn't sleep last night. But after we got home, and I never have problems sleeping, ever, ever. I'm just going to tell you this before we break. I was laying in bed last night before we went. I went to sleep for the night. Could not sleep because all I was thinking of is how preposterous, I told, I told this to some people at lunch. I'm just sitting there thinking about how preposterous and ridiculous it is for me to even ever have to utter any of this. The fact that this is not 100% pure common sense knowledge on the earth is so abominably preposterous to me that all I was sitting there thinking is, how could I be going out and explaining this to people? This is what I must do? Me, though. And I, I, I was almost, it was almost like schizophrenic in a way. Because I was just thinking, th I was waking up, 
and then falling back to sleep and waking up thinking, where am I? Why am I here? And I, I'm the person who's coming out and doing this. And it's just so absurd and ridiculous to me. Some punk from South Philadelphia taking in the knowledge of the mystery traditions and teaching them to people. Me. It's, it's the most ridiculous thing. I, I can't even imagine it, you know? I still can't. I can't imagine that it's necessary, you know? That that's the position that our society is in. It's so profoundly sad that, I, you know, I can't believe it. And unless we deeply start to understand this and propagate this knowledge to other people, things are going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. And there's no reason for it. There's no reason to go down that path. We want to choose the way of maximum pain because we don't want to give up thoughts that we're addicted to just because the pattern has been there for as long as we can remember. We would rather go down the path to the grave and the abyss rather than admit we were wrong and just say, I need to give up this negative way of thinking. You know? I'm going to leave it right there and just say, the bottom line to what this section comes down to is if someone hasn't been harmed, no wrongdoing has been committed. No victim, no crime, in other words. Many people insist, oh, there doesn't have to be a victim for there to be a crime committed. You know how many people are rotting away in a jail cell right now as we speak who have never harmed another living being? You know how many people? Tens of thousands. Okay? And there, there, no, no one has any right to hold them. Unless you've harmed somebody else, nobody has a right to stop you from continuing to take the action that you are taking. Okay? We're going to talk about some of those things in the last section. So let's take a, an hour and 15 minute break and we'll be back here at about 520. Well, I said I agree with Mr. Zappa that the first line of defense and responsibility is the parents. But what I do not agree with is that the parents have to stand alone and we are not entitled to call upon our government to help us in the fight against well, this kind minute. of filth. What, what is, I mean, I, I what government, you wait a minute, John, what government, government censor, yeah. what government censor is going to decide for you? It's not. Tom, I've heard you say repeatedly on this show that we are our government, that we're allowed to call on our government. Well, you have to things. have a man who is the censor or a woman. Well, well, the way, they what? have to decide this Tom. often can hear and this That's often right. cannot hear. Tom, it would work the way the uh, implementation of any law works. You pass a law, it has words in it, and then the uh, elected representatives of the people try their best to apply it. It's the way you do it with everything else. Will they apply it perfectly? No. But we're entitled to use the force of our civil government uh, to help protect our families. How could you oppose that? Is, does like the government you. have any purpose, Frank? Yeah, it has what? a number of purposes. What is it? I'm one. not going to give you a civics lesson here, but yeah. I'll tell you one thing. We must not see eye to eye on the idea of a government that must forbid things in order to really? protect families. Really? What is families. the government's role? You've told me several times how what about it should do. How about national defense? Yeah, I consider this things. national defense, pal. Our families are under attack from people like you with these lyrics. John, you don't have to buy them. Could I make a statement about national defense? Yeah. The biggest threat to America today is not communism. It's moving America toward a fascist theocracy. And everything that's happened during the Reagan administration is steering us right down that pipe. Oh, Mr. Mr. Zappa, do you, yes, do Mr. Zappa. Do you really think? I mean, I all, really kidding, think that. all kidding aside, in this country, with the...
Defensiveness that we are moving toward a fascist theocracy. Anything goes. Yeah, we are, but you know, do, you, do you think things like this would ever be permitted? Give me that thing to smile again. When we, when, we were 20, 20, when we were kids, you're about my age, maybe I'm a little 45. younger. I'm 45. I'm 55. Do you think when, when I was a kid that they would permit songs like that to be sold? I mean, permissiveness is the game. I mean, well, exactly. I mean, you're not you're not really serious if, if you're saying we're going toward a fascist theocracy. <laughs> That's right, we are. Wait a minute. In what way? Give me, give me uh, one example. Wait, 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 wait. Well, one example. What, what? One example of a fascist theocracy. When you have a government that prefers a certain moral code mm -hmm. derived from a certain religion, and that moral code turns into legislation mm -hmm. to suit I'm, one I'm, certain I'm, religious I'm, point of view, and if that code right. happens to be very, very right wing. Almost toward well, until the Hun. Well, then you are an anarchist. Every form of civil government is based on some kind of morality, Frank. Morality in terms of behavior, not well, of in course. terms of theology. Well, of course. But look, I mean, I couldn't believe in your John, theory. John, your okay. Hearing. Wait a minute, gentlemen. We we uh, we have to take a break now, okay. and back. we'll be back with John Lofton and Frank Zappa talking about rock music. I think after these messages. Have you no morals, men? No. No, I can't afford them, Governor. Neither could you if you was as poor as me. The great evil, in my humble opinion, which haunts our enterprise, and I say this realizing I'm setting the fox among the chickens, the great evil that has been allowed to flourish in the absence of mathematical understanding is relativism. And what is relativism? It's the idea that there is no distinction between shit and shinola. <laughs> that all ideas are somehow operating on equal footing. So one person is a chaos theorist Another is uh, a follower of the revelations of this or that New Age guru. Someone else is channeling information from the Pleiades. And we have been taught that political correctness demands that we treat all these things with equal weight. Because we have no mathematical ability, no logical ability, we don't know how to ask the questions that expose some positions as preposterous, trivial, insulting to the intelligence, and unworthy of repetition. So uh, we all are very comfortable bashing science and flailing away at that, but that isn't our enemy. Science is capable of undertaking its own reformation and critique and has been engaged in that fairly vigorously for some time. Uh, the enemy that will really subvert the enterprise of building a world based on clarity is the belief that we cannot point out the pernicious forms of idiocy that flourish in our own community. And this problem is going, growing worse all the time. I mean, just pick up a copy of Magical Blend or Shaman's Drum and you will discover an appeal to the level of intellect that makes what's going on with television advertising look like a meeting of the Princeton Institute of Advanced Study. Uh, we have tolerated too many loose heads 
in our uh, community. We are not willing to take on the karma involved in argument and discourse that actually gores somebody's ox. So that at the end of the day, iridology or Mormonism or some other form of institutionally supported foolishness lies in shreds on the floor. We consider this politically incorrect. I can feel the tension in this room because people sense I might gore their particular thoughts. Uh, if we had learned mathematical logic or reason or rules of evidence, when someone approaches us uh, excited to inform us that uh, the ruins of Lemuria have been spotted in the deep sea off Big Sur or something like that, uh, we would be able to respond to that with the contempt it deserves. Uh, I, I had a conversation about this recently with someone who if I had to describe their job category, I would describe them as uh, mafiosa. And I said, uh, what do you think of uh, the abduction phenomenon? And without hesitation, this person said, there are just so many foolish people in the world. And to me, all of these things are intelligence <coughs> tests. And the people who pass the intelligence test are not worrying about pro bono proctologists from other star systems. <laughs> <laughs> in their bedrooms. So, uh, you know, we, we have perfected politeness. We have perfected the ability to listen to damn foolishness without betraying by so much as the flick of an eyebrow that we realize what we're in the presence in of. Now, I think, it's time to refine our mathematical skills, learn to think straight, and not be afraid to uh, denounce the pernicious forms of foolishness which are vitiating the energies of our community and making us appear uh, marginal and absurd in the discourse about truly transforming society. <laughs> Well, I can't wait to see this laboratory of clarity unfold before me tonight. As all nonsense has dispelled, the scalpel of reason is, is brought out by Terence. Yes, well, it is an ambiguous enterprise and fraught with contradiction, but forward, ever forward.
Welcome to the Creature of Control podcast series. This is episode four. The reality of relativism. Understanding right and wrong in nature. I am your host, Tyler Bloyer. My website, www.withinthestones.com. My email address, tsbloyer at gmail.com. Or withinthestones at gmail.com. And in this podcast series, we are here exploring together and attempting to paint a tapestry. And I'm hoping that the listeners will pursue further research into the topics being discussed here. Stop by the website and make a donation if you find this information valuable. Thanks for your support and thank you for listening. I'm not attempting to take a moral high ground or present a moral high ground in this episode. I'm simply recognizing reality and discussing it here and attempting to present the truth as I have come to understand it. And the things talked about here today are things that can easily be discovered using logic and reason, and they are sciences. They can be discovered through using the five senses and processing that information, using tools like the trivium for truth discovery and discernment. And again, I'm not an expert in this information. I'm not presenting this as some type of expert who's trying to dictate uh, what things are. You know, I'm also just here exploring like the listener is. And we can relax and enjoy the ride as we cruise down this series, the Creature of Control podcast series. So something I just wanted to bring up briefly here before we jump into the topics of this episode is just that recently I've had countless discussions with people where I start to bring up real-world issues that we're facing and the actions that I'm taking and the actions that I feel like other people should be taking in order to resolve those issues. And often I get back a response with something along the lines of, well, yeah, I hear you, but, you know, I just want to be happy and, you know, I don't want to have to deal with all that stuff and, Again, people claiming that they want one thing, which is a lot often I hear happiness, and but they're not willing to perform the actions that would ultimately lead them to more happiness. And what I see is just people keeping their heads in the sand and trying to make it through while fulfilling their desire in order to gain some type of perceived happiness while they're not really actually taking any real-world action and they're not actually doing the work on themselves to keep uh, the tyranny of this world at bay and to keep evil at bay. And ultimately, that person will never get what they claim they actually want. And they might fulfill their lowercase self-desires in this world and achieve perceived happiness. But if they are not willing to work hard and to learn about reality and align their actions with it, then they ultimately will not get what they claim they want. You know, just saying baseless baseless things when presented with the hard facts of what needs to be done in order to change the current conditions 
humanity is faced with. You know, doing what's right um, does not always mean you're going to be immediately happy from that action. Sometimes doing what's right has nothing to do, whatever, at all, with being happy, so-called. You know, and one of the things that needs to be understood and practiced, but is currently not being recognized or practiced by the overwhelming majority of people on this planet, is understanding the real meaning of what morality is and the real definition of what right and wrong actually is. And it seems like everyone has been given some kind of false understanding of morality, and this understanding has been obfuscated and there's reasons for this and here in this series from our angle we can see that the creature dwells in a world of moral relativism that if a people were living in accordance with the laws of morality real morality that would kill the creature the creature cannot survive within beings that are living lives according to the non-aggression principle so with that i mean what is morality and if we just look from my Webster's Dictionary here, there's a pretty good definition of morality. It says, of or relating to principles of right and wrong in behavior. So, therefore, morality or immorality is derived from right behavior and or wrong behavior. And rights are derived from or based in property. And what we can also pick up from that simple definition is that a right is based in behavior, or a wrong is based in behavior, so it's an action. Something that somebody does, something that somebody performs as an action. So, what is moral relativism then? Um, a moral relativist thinks that they can, each individual creates the difference between right and wrong by themselves, so that you know, there is no difference between right and wrong in nature. And, you know, we have to ask the question, is there a definitive difference between right and wrong? And if so, then what is the difference? And there is a definitive difference between right and wrong, and it can be known. And it's not as complicated as it's been assumed to be or as it's been taught to be. And it's not this thing where everybody creates their own individual moral code, and that's the also the objective truth in reality, that each individual can create their own moral code and have their own moral compass. Now, individuals do do that, and I'm not arguing that they don't do that here, but there is an actual definitive difference between right and wrong. And as we heard in many of the clips discussed here in this episode some people don't necessarily like to hear that broken down and spoken to them in a simplified manner because part of the ego's defensive mechanism is to reject things that sound too simple or, or truths that sound like they might challenge current or existing belief systems. So the ego will lash out at something when put plainly or in a certain way as a defense mechanism and those who have worked through this can sense and understand that that's happening within them and that really actually is one of the marks of true intelligence is to be able to hold 
two opposing thoughts at one time and not necessarily decide right away if one is correct or the other, but being able to not decide and have that uncomfortable feeling of unknowing and not being able to define everything for a moment and not react and process rather than immediately reject. And again, I think anyone listening to this podcast would greatly benefit by having an uh, understanding of that way of um, working through information, the trivium process. And the trivium will be touched on in this episode a little bit, and then in future episodes we'll definitely get into that as more of a solution to the problems once we start getting more into solutions and we'll also start weaving those in to the episodes like we'll do here in this episode. So the difference between right and wrong cannot be decided on by humans or groups of humans acting as governing bodies. So the difference between right and wrong also cannot be decided on by modern religious institutions. The difference between right and wrong is objective in reality and not something that can be changed by humans. So does the action you are about to take cause harm or damage to an individual's property? And if the answer is yes to that question, then it's a wrongdoing. And if the action does not cause harm to that individual or that individual's property, then it's a right. So yes, your rights and what's right are the same thing. Why is it important to know the difference between right and wrong? If we don't understand the difference between right and wrong, then we cannot discern properly when to say no to something. And that's one of the large reasons why this knowledge has been obfuscated and it's hidden from people and made so it's not understood is that people will not know when to say no and stand up to the, for their rights if they don't understand the difference between what right and wrong is. And it sounds silly as it is, but, you know, yes, I am explaining this and yes, I am taking the time to go through this because it's important. So because the creature can only survive in people who, in the aggregate, do not understand the real difference between right and wrong and then they act on this ignorance. So it is ignorance. It is ignorance to have this information out there and people still keeping their heads in the sand and ignoring it and not wanting to align their own lives with this understanding. And we'll get into more of what I mean by that later when we talk about some of the examples in our society that do not seem to operate uh, with the knowledge of what true right and wrong behavior is. We have to use proper discernment and if we use this understanding of what right and wrong really is and then we look at the real world around us you know what do we see and what we see is modern religions these false religions modern religions that people adhere to they're basically boxes for the mind put in place to control people and they attempt to tell people what right and wrong is. The priest class of these modern religions are not communing with God, you know, surprise, surprise, but they are passing along their moral code to the masses that follow these religions 
even though, like I said, they're not actually communing with God, by the way, and, you know, big shocker, but uh, these modern religions, as I said, are put up as corrals to herd off the majority of people into boxes for the mind so that they can easily be controlled and manipulated. And they do attempt to dictate morals to their followers while not actually teaching the difference between right and wrong. Again, because we'll get to the examples later in this episode of how followers of these religions in their daily lives are not acting upon what's actually moral. They are in a large sense, in a large, in most cases, they take part in immoral systems because they're, through their ignorance, they do not understand what the actual difference between right and wrong is. So the New Age religion is also just another form of these modern religions. It's um, not any different in the fact that it's just a belief system and it has its own set of principles and rules and dogmas that people follow when they get into the New Age movement. And even though there is a lot of good teachings there, it is just, you know, also in this category of these modern religions, it's not just Christianity, Judaism, Islam, the big three, we're also talking about this, the New Age religion and the other box for the mind there. The, the, the next cul-de-sac after these other religions that catches the people that don't fall into those categories and corrals them into another false belief system and something that doesn't actually teach true morality. So the New Age is a huge propagator of moral relativism and getting people to tolerate moral relativism from others. So both things, not just being a moral relativist yourself, but also allowing others to hold the, the belief system of moral relativism. And a lot of these religions are getting preference or, you know, some, what somebody prefers and confusing that with what actually right and wrong is. So again, it's not about preferences and, you know, just because we don't, we have a distaste for some particular action or behavior that somebody's taking, if it's not actually harming another individual, then, you know, you can still not like it, but it's not a wrongdoing if it's not actually harming anyone. So if someone's doing something to their own body, taking a substance into their own body, if they're listening to a certain type of music that you don't like, or even if they're saying things that you don't like, if that's not actually harming anyone else, then it's a right, and it's something that you cannot actually use any force to stop that person from doing and make that okay. It will always be wrong to use force to stop individuals from doing things that you don't like out of distaste. Rather than it actually harming someone, then the person who's using force to put that person down, like we have with modern legislation and modern police, they're using this authority to legislate behavior basically and there's a lot of behavior out there that large groups of people think is you know wrong and should be looked down upon and they use force and aggression to put down that behavior even though the behavior is not actually harming anyone and i think 
some people could already come to think of some examples of that without me even having to say it, but we'll go into a few examples here. But basically, if you can hear the tone of this episode, I'm not necessarily pointing the target at some big thing out there that's coming after us and doing things to us like I have been throughout the Creature of Control podcast and talking about psychopaths and the the Anglo-American establishment and the social Darwinist eugenicists that are running the show, so to say. A lot of the episode has been gone into talking and at, as the creature in that manner, but in this episode, we're going to all. I'm a, right now. I want to highlight that there's a duality of the creature. It's not just them. It's not just the big bad guy out there that's doing all these things and these groups of people. You know, it's also the people. It's also the vast majority of people, and more actually, more accurately, the creature of control is the people around us, the vast majority of people that you go and see on your day-to-day life is the creatures of control. So maybe a better title would be the creatures of control with an S (laughs) rather than creature of control. But the duality of the creature is not just them, quote-unquote, that we're talking about. The creature or the creatures that are allowing themselves to be controlled like rats, you know, surprise, surprise, the creature isn't just some big, powerful, elite, ruling class of psychopaths. The creature of control is the vast, overwhelming majority of people living on this planet. It is the overwhelming majority of human beings on this planet that are actually the creature of control. The endless masses of mind-controlled children who are happy with the status quo and actually enjoy their servitude, as recognized by Aldous Huxley, You can hear this in his rhetoric and his novel, Brave New World, an allegorical fiction of a dystopian future in which people would be completely controlled and actually enjoy this state of servitude. He was not very far off in his predictions. We have a society much like the one described by Huxley, you know. People are massively sick and they love their tyranny. They love it because this system makes them feel like they are less responsible for their own actions. They feel disconnected from the wrongdoings happening in their own names, and they don't have to use critical thinking in everyday thought to determine for themselves whether or not what they do is right or wrong. Buying into the collective, into empire, into the village, removes the individual and the struggle and soothes the collectivists into feeling comfortable and in the conformity, the so-called normality. Tyranny can only grow and fester in societies of mentally sick people. This creature has been created through trauma, trauma upon trauma upon trauma. The dark occult, the other side of this creature, They are manipulating the masses through more and more trauma, whether real or staged. And they use what I like to call the dark Hegelian dialectic. And this is a prominent tool in the abuse cycle. And to understand this abuse cycle, we will have to explore fear tactics being used to continue the trauma being played out on the human psychology 
and we will explore the use of false flags, the choppy economy, constant threats of disaster, terror, war, the boogie monsters, you know, the hidden dangers. They all keep this trauma playing in the minds of the controlled servants. And we'll definitely explore these topics in future episodes and leave some links in this episode for further investigation. And so we need to touch on something here to get a better understanding of this duality of the creature. And one of those things, which we heard discussed by Dane Wigington, is Stockholm Syndrome. If we look at the overwhelming amount of trauma that has occurred and is still occurring to humanity, it's not hard to see that humanity is suffering from Stockholm Syndrome. Stockholm Syndrome, or capture bonding, is a psychological phenomenon described in 1973 in which hostages express empathy and sympathy and have positive feeling towards their captors, sometimes to the point of defending and identifying with the captors. Stockholm Syndrome can better be understood when looking at Freudian theory, suggesting that the individual can become the role of the victim and identify with the aggressor as a psychological defense mechanism. So we can see this if we look around at the, like I was talking about with the trauma, and if we understand human psychology and the use of the ego and Stockholm Syndrome, we can start to see that there's a large possibility that those who do have the intuition or even start to understand some of the things that are happening in their own name by their own governments in this country that I live in, I don't like to use the words us, and I know in some of my interviews I might have said us and we when talking about the country, but I really don't include myself in any you know national boundaries or groups of people that claim to be part of a certain governmental organization such as the United States of America. So sometimes I do slip up and say we and us, but you know maybe that's part of my psychological or Stockholm syndrome. So identifying with the aggressor is one way that the ego defends itself when a victim believes the same values as the aggressor, they can cease to be perceived as a threat. It's a defense mechanism to feel that the person doing such horrible things to you couldn't possibly be that horrible because, you know, you yourself hold those same values. And it seems to me that someone who is a moral relativist would be more susceptible to becoming a victim of Stockholm Syndrome. And again, if you don't understand the definitive difference between right and wrong, how can you stand up for what's right? And how will you know when to defend yourself against oncoming aggressors? And, you know, one of the emotions I get back a lot when even discussing topics like this or, you know, psychopathy or social Darwinism, overpopulation and eugenics, stuff like that, or even other things not related to those topics and kind of going back to what I opened this episode up with, is that defensiveness in someone to immediately reject something when they hear it. So people feel like you're attacking them directly when you start talking about morality. So, you know, it's like you're going to start telling them what to do or something like that. 
And my point in bringing this topic up is not to point fingers or dictate or try to tell people what they should be doing. It's just a reaction to a perceived lack of understanding by the majority of the population when it comes to knowing what the difference between right and wrong are. And this platform here is more convenient for me because I can express how I feel and leave this information archived online on my website and not have to put it in anybody's face, but it's there if someone wants to come along and pick it up and listen, and if they're interested, that's fine. If they're not interested, they don't have to be. So this platform is a way of getting this information out without having to face the defensiveness of the individual face-to-face or in a group of people, co-workers, friends, family, even though I do work with a lot of people close to me as well uh, in my own growth and theirs, it's not, again, a finger-pointing contest, and I'm not attempting to dictate and try to tell people what to do. This is something that was explained to me and has been something that I've been able to come to understand and again it's a more of a reaction to what I can see as maybe a a lack of understanding of this information by the vast majority of people at least that I come into contact with and that I can see out there so another thing besides the defensiveness and breaking down and letting things in and and marinating rather than just rejecting them immediately you know We also have to use discernment, and we also have to use discrimination. And discrimination is not necessarily a negative word. We have to discriminate certain things from others in order to determine what's bad and what's wrong, what's not, what's okay and what's not okay. And people being tolerant is kind of another thing being pushed, especially if you talk to younger kids coming out of these colleges and with modern educations this is really being pushed in the education systems and the whole political realm is being tolerant and being politically politically correct and you know like i said earlier moral relativism not just for me but also being tolerant of whatever everybody else is doing and that you know you can't judge people and you know we just need to allow certain things to happen and we can't jump on people and get on them and we just need to tolerate everything and we just need to allow evil to reign and not lift a finger not try to oppose it not do anything to try to beat it down and refuse to comply with it no 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 just just tolerate whatever you know just allow whatever to happen and don't do anything about it and what do you think that could possibly lead to, you know. We can see how this way of thinking could easily lead to large amounts of negative things happening without actually getting upset and angry enough to do something about it because these people don't actually think there's an objective difference between right and wrong behavior and they're being taught to just allow everything, you know. This is a lot of the New Age teachings as well. You know, we need to be more open to people and their lifestyles and you know basically no that's incorrect and if there's something happening around you that is obviously causing harm to other people and you understand that then it's almost at that point your responsibility to step up and actually take some action to put down that wrongdoing and especially when it's occurring directly to you I mean you don't even really have to get into talking about what other people are doing 
and stepping into situations maybe you don't belong in, but how about things that are occurring directly to you and your family? Maybe you are, you know, kind of in the role of protector in your family, your household, and we cannot just allow certain things to happen, like the fluoridation of our water, as discussed in previous episodes on eugenics, and you know, what that is really all about anyways, you know, if we're just taught to tolerate everything and, oh, big daddy government's going to be fine and take care of it all for us, and we don't use critical thinking and question these things, then after a while, you know, rat poison in the drinking water, well, you know, we can't get upset now, we can't, just because there's, just because people are putting rat poison in the drinking water doesn't mean we can get all in a huffy puffy now, you know, we don't want to create any waves, we don't want to cause any problems and you know obviously that's just absolute bullshit really i mean that's incorrect and again the demasculinization of the men and people who typically lean more onto the masculine side of their being to bring out that self-defensiveness and that anger you know getting anger getting angry about things that are occurring to you and your family that you you know should be taking action on and not being tolerant and passive and moral relativist and oh it's all really not really known and we don't know really anything you know um there's a reason why we're all led to think that that's how we should be behaving and it's a cultural marxist agenda it's egalitarianism uh, radical multiculturalism you know political correctness Ideas pushed out by institutions like the Frankfurt School and, you know, floated out there ultimately to undermine and overcome individuality, to build the global village and to put a group above individuals, to put groups of people above individual rights. And things like tolerance for others are being manipulated to actually being intolerance, actually, and, you know, intolerance of certain points of views and opinions, and shutting down free speech, and shutting down the right to defend oneself, and, you know, what do these cultural Marxists' ideas play on people? You know, they play on people's apathy, they play on people's laziness, you know, the unwillingness to use critical thinking and discernment. Uh, to discern for themselves when something is wrong. The word discernment has been polluted into a being a negative word, a bad word. And it's not a negative word. And we have to look at it in the... Well, it is a negative word when we look at it in the apophatic sense. If we're, you know, defining something in the negative, then you know, by defining it by what it's not. And discrimination or discernment is, it's being bred out of people to accept everything, to tolerate everything, to accept, 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 never judge, never point out flaws in others that are causing harm to people. You know, no, 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 just tolerate everything. It's all equal. It's all good. And everything is not all good. We can just look around at the immorality in capitalism. You know, profits matter. Harming others do not. When you look at 
corporations polluting the air, the water, the food, the land, us, our children, um, unborn children will be affected by what corporations are doing. You know, there are people or groups of people who speak out and stand against corporate corruption, greed, ruthlessness, and overall harm being caused by blind corporate greed. However, for the most part, people are not doing this, and they are supporting the very corporations that are poisoning them, killing them, and raping the earth. And again, this accept and tolerate, you know, oh no, success is good. Oh no, look at how much money you're being is being made for the stockholders and the shareholders and the board of directors. You know, that's what capitalism is. Capitalism is, is the quarter... You know, the quarter profits increased from last quarter, and if not, that's a terrible disaster. And if they did increase one or two or three percent, then you know, everything's all good. And all those other things the questions of where did the things come from, what land got polluted, what vital resources were used, are we ripping people off, is it something that's just, is it you know, moral? These questions are not questions that come up, you know at the board of directors meetings. They might be perceived to be this way and they could be jumping into this whole sustainable development, new United Nations, kind of almost like new agey stuff of saving the earth and all this on their, on their PR, on their propaganda. But really, that's not what's happening on the back end. And all you have to do is look around at the earth around us and see what's occurring to us and the earth. And who's causing it and obviously capitalism is not something in alignment with you know as it's being practiced now is not something that's currently in alignment with the true difference between what right and wrong is obviously because if you're causing harm to millions upon millions of people then that's not (laughs) something that you have the right to do so we can also look around and we don't have to look far to see taxation being practiced and taxation is basically coercion you know the threat of violence imposed on people who would probably otherwise not give up their property to certain systems that are occurring now especially certain um, programs by the government that we're funding with the sweat and labor of our you know own energy And so taxation is basically using people as batteries to siphon energy off of them to be used for whatever those that are doing that see fit. And taxation is the mandatory claim of ownership on someone's property. It's the claim enforced through the threat of violence, again, coercion or the use of violence, you know, jailing people, hunting people down like animals to force them to pay the state. And most people think that the income tax is used to pay for services and certain protections offered by the government, but that's largely not the case. You know, the income tax and the IRS were created to pay back interest and the debt of the United States government, which they create through selling bonds to the Federal Reserve in exchange for loans. So as a citizen of the United States of America, you're a co-signer on that debt the U.S. government signs on to. And so we'll have a whole episode on the monetary system and how it's used and how it's used as an arm of the creature of control system. 
but the fallacy of mandatory taxation which we have here can easily be seen using a logical ar argument you know that it's not possible to properly delegate a right that you yourself don't hold and grant that right to somebody else and a statement like that you know it highlights the broken structure of our modern government that you can't delegate something to somebody else that you yourself first don't hold and possess so if i don't have the right to forcibly you know coerce others and use violence to take their property from them then i can't also go and grant that right to an, a group of other people called government and expect that they now have a right to force others to give them their property a right that i never had and now suddenly i've granted that right to groups of people to take out and for me and so if a person does not hold a right to force another to pay for their ideas then you can't delegate that right to someone else. You can't delegate a right that you never held to someone else or a group of people to carry out that behavior for you. You can attempt to delegate that right you don't even hold, but you will never change the wrong action into a right. If I cannot personally force someone to give me their property, then I cannot vote for rep, you know, representatives or representatives to represent me and go out and carry out that action for me however this is you know something that is moral relativistic you know and it's accepted in our society and we seem to understand that we ourselves can't use violence and coercion to force others to perform certain behavior but we've completely been manipulated and brainwashed into thinking that we can somehow get others to carry out these behaviors for us and that somehow that makes it right and that logic not only applies to taxation it applies up and down with statism or the belief in authority the belief in man's laws and we see this with the idea of just following orders or people that carry out actions bureaucrats for the state and just following orders just doing their job or anyone else that just says that for a justification for what they do for a paycheck you know I was just doing my job just following orders this is a form of moral relativism um, enforcing immoral legislation or legislation that humans are attempting to impose on other humans even though the action that a person is taking you know is not harming anyone else and we're putting nonviolent offenders in a cage through legislation people somehow think that they can make wrongdoings you know taking action against someone who's not actually doing anything wrong and violently you know harassing them and coercing them and throwing them in cages if someone is doing something that is not causing harm to other people then there is no magical right that anyone holds to suddenly give them power to stop that person from taking that action violence is something that is not equal to force. Force is, you know, an amount of pressure being applied to something, but it doesn't necessarily mean that anyone lost a right. For, you know, I can defend myself using force to someone who's violently attacking me by, you know, violating my right to exist without being harmed. Then I can use force to put that person down, but that's not a violent action to take that person down. That's just using the proper amount of force that would be required to do so. But that's not what we see 
the people that are just following orders doing. They are aggressing against people that are not harming anyone. So, again, if someone is doing something that is not causing harm to other people, then there's no magical right that anyone holds that suddenly gives them the power to stop that person from taking that action. They do it, and they do it all the time, but it isn't right. It's still a wrongdoing. So yes, they're doing it. Yes, people are acting in this manner, and they're doing things that are wrong to other individuals, uh, you know, as police and military, uh, other bureaucrats of the state, taking away other people's right to speak or shutting down free speech assemblies or stopping people from using substances and they're not actually harming anyone or pulling someone over for not having a particular sticker on their car, you know, when they actually didn't harm anyone, that's a wrongdoing. Whoever's taking out that action, you know, stopping them and pulling someone over on the freeway for not having a particular sticker on their car is carrying out aggression and violence against someone who isn't actually harming anyone at all. They're just driving down the road. And so, you know, every order follower and bureaucrat that is carrying out actions which are stopping others from performing behaviors that are not actually causing harm to others, they're doing wrong. There is no way around this. They are in the wrong by carrying out those orders. So it doesn't matter, you know, what their intentions are or how good of a guy or girl you think they are or if they think they're doing uh, right you know, what they're doing is wrong. And, you know, what do we call people who are consistently carrying out wrongdoings for long periods of time? We call those people bad people. You know, we call people that are consistently carrying out harm against other people over long periods of time without changing their behavior. We call those people bad people. And so what does that mean? You know, It means that anyone who is following orders for the state without first considering for themselves if the action or the action they're about to take is causing harm to others and doesn't consistently without their own consciousness, you know, change their behavior and not continue to carry out that behavior, then that makes them a bad person if they're continuing that behavior. And that's there's no way around that. You know, man's laws and the issue with people believing in man's laws is that you can't legislate morality, you know. Legislating morality is redundant because something is either right or wrong based on if it's causing harm to someone or someone's property. So, therefore, writing things down or passing legislation is redundant and unnecessary, However, that's not what man's laws are for. They are there so that humans can pretend to play God and make up the difference between right and wrong behavior. We see this in examples like prohibition or the war on drugs. Again, someone who would like to sit back one day and partake of a particular substance, if we just use marijuana as an example, can go within the confines of their own home and ingest some marijuana and relax that afternoon and not harm anyone and they have every right to carry out that behavior however we have many states in this country still and large groups of people thousands upon thousands of people walking around believing that they somehow have a right to go and stop those people from taking that action those people who aren't harming anyone else 
and use violence and aggression against those people and somehow they're granted this right magically through the power of government or through the power of man's laws or through the power of legislation uh, the power of authoring things and writing them down and just creating reality like that and we have like I said the vast majority of people on this planet think that this is how things work and that that's how the difference between right and wrong is created or that they somehow have magical rights that other people don't have if they're working for these institutions known as government and, you know, writing things down and passing legislation, it's, it's redundant and unnecessary. Again, because you either have the right to do something based on the fact that it's either going to cause harm to somebody or not, or you do not have the right to take that action because it is going to cause harm to somebody else. And all this moral relativism and this way of thinking in our society is pushed down through, again, the modern education system. And we'll have an episode coming out on that. And eventually in the future, a presentation from within the Stones Media Network um, on the intentional dumbing down of American education and the history behind that. I've been working on a presentation for quite a while now that would still require a bit more research on my part, but we'll also get into that in a future episode, maybe after that presentation has been completed and we can do an extended cut on a Creature of Control podcast series episode. Um, but this moral relativism ideology or worldview is also pushed, pushed through collectivism, this globalism, socialism, communism, whatever you want to call it, it's collectivism. This new global government, the global village, you know, moral relativism is hand in hand with that tolerance, you know, just getting along with everyone and tolerating everything. And, you know, there is no real difference between right and wrong behavior. And, you know, the global village being created right before our eyes. Well, while really what that means is all of our individual rights get taken away and the individual is, you know, reduced to the group, to being no more important than what the group is thinking. And moral relativism has to be a part of that. You know, the egalitarianism, that everyone's equal and that you know, the duality of that is that everyone's not equal. And yes, it would be great if everyone was living in an equal world where everything was fair and and worked that way. But, you know, we do all want to be afforded and have our rights recognized. Have We want to be afforded the right to exist without being harmed. But... Again, the the New World Order, the collectivism, the global village, the empire is going to use egalitarianism in a different light, in a different way. And we see this with radical multiculturalism as well, and you know, political correctness again, or the New Age movement. And definitely the people propagating this are, you know, we can refer to them as the dark occult or... If you don't like the term the dark occult, we can just talk about, you know, the elite or the people that are so-called running this show, which is, again, I've spoke about. They're not actually running anything. 
and there is no one in control. Surprise, surprise again, you know, lots of surprises on this episode. There is no big apparatus that's actually in control of anything. It's all just some big, again, wet dream that they are pushing out and thinking that they're going to accomplish. But unfortunately for them, it's just not going to happen. You know, in the long run, it just won't work because of this flawed stuff. Like, moral relativism doesn't work. It's the... The destruction of evil is built within it, you know. It's it's an underpinning of how those structures are built. So if it's not correct, then it's wrong, and eventually it's seen for what it is, and eventually people will grow up and raise up to high enough consciousness to realize these things, and this episode won't be relevant far in the future. You know, it'll be ridiculous to have to kind of explain this type of a of a of an episode or have this type of an episode it it will be silly honestly but at this point in time it's not and it applies directly to what we see around us and so you know with the dark occult's superior knowledge the knowledge of the occult you know they know what the real difference between right and wrong is. And they also know that if people understand this, then they would not be able to manipulate them into carrying out actions that cause harm to others, such as items already discussed in this episode. Knowledge of the occult is not bad in and of itself. All that means is knowledge of the hidden, things that have been obfuscated, things that have been hidden from us. That's what knowledge of the occult is, knowledge of hidden information. And it's the use of that knowledge that makes it either good or bad. But unfortunately, there are large groups of people who have superior knowledge of human psychology and how we work and how the universe works, and they use that in order to manipulate people and get things for themselves, even though they might understand that there is such a thing as the true difference between right and wrong behavior so that they don't end up taking actions that are going to end up reaping karmic consequences for those individuals, they can still propagate the belief system out to other people and get other people to do actions for them that they would never do if they really understood what the difference between right and wrong actually is and how it applies directly in our lives and how we're failing to apply it in most people's lives. And once understood should be the goal of someone to try to apply it in their lives. And if we look at something that the researcher and presenter um, portrayed in this episode, Mark Passio, we'll have something coming up of his later, and then you already heard something from the a presentation he gave. You know, he talks about the, the law of freedom. And now that we understand the difference between what right and wrong is, we can talk about the law of freedom. And... Basically, it is that the more morality we have, the more freedom we have. As in in the aggregate, overall, in, in the vast majority of society, the more moral we are, the more freedom we'll have. And the less moral, the less freedom that we have. And that's because the more harm being done to other people, the more theft, the more coercion, the more violence being done to others and their property... Obviously, if you have more of those things, then you'll have less freedom in the aggregate because those things are being taken from people overall. But if you have more morality, less harm being done to others, less coercion, less fraud, less violence being done to people, 
people living by the non-aggression principle, people living under the understanding of defense and self-defense for their own property, and that they don't have the right to aggress on others' property, then you would have more freedom in a society like that, because people's rights would not be being trampled on by governments and institutions being propagated through these false belief systems. So, if we look around at the state of society as it is now, then the only logical conclusion that can follow based on that, the law of freedom, is that we have an immoral society because we do not have a state of ultimate freedom and a state of uh, ultimate prosperity and freedom for the individuals. We have rights being taken away. We have the slow erosion of rights over time. We have governments taking people's rights away from them slowly over time and, be, and we have based on the law of freedom and that understanding a less moral society because of that and we have an immoral society because of the losses of freedom we can see occurring around us and that have occurred over time so there's obviously alternatives to all this there's alternatives to living in a moral relativistic society and having people be under systems like f mandatory taxation and being forced to do things even when they're not causing harm to other people so I just mentioned one of the things would be the non-initiation of force or the non-aggression principle NAP you know what is the non-aggression principle again it's a solution and the non-aggression principle is in alignment with the real difference between right and wrong and it's basically again you don't have the right to aggress on somebody else if they're not causing harm to anyone especially you and if we look around do we have a society that appears to be living in accordance with the non-aggression principle and we have to be honest and we have to answer no to that question because our societies are built on aggression and another solution to this would be voluntarism or and it goes hand in hand with the non-aggression principle you know having a voluntary society um, people only do things under their own will they only donate to causes that they would like to donate to you know no one can be thrown in a cage for putting something in their own body because they're not harming anyone else you know one of the newer terms that I've come across recently and kind of falls in line with this stuff is algorithm and algorithm is a philosophy that advocates the goal of bringing about a society in which all relations between people are voluntary exchanges by means of counter-economics or you know and counter-economics is the sum of all non-aggression human action which is forbidden by the state so with these things I mean is a truly voluntary society possible can we live by algorithm and voluntarism and the non-aggression principle while there are still rules you know there's still self-defense you still have the right to defend yourself there's still natural law there's still rules in place we're not talking about a, a completely lawless society well we are as for when it comes to human laws but not when it comes to the natural laws or the laws of morality or the spiritual laws that govern this uh, plane of existence you know, a lot of people start to feel like you're talking about a society in which no rules would be present when you're starting to talk about stuff like this, but um, 
we're not talking about a, a society where there's no rules, and that's the point of clarifying what the difference between right and wrong is, because those are the rules. You're not allowed to take actions against other people which cause harm, such as the examples outlined in this episode, and many more. You know, it could go on endlessly, the things that are being done in society nowadays that are opposed to true morality. And with that, I'd like to get into the episode notes from this episode. And the episode opened up with Charlie Chaplin's speech from The Great Dictator over the music of Locrimosa Dies y La by Mozart. And just because I used that clip from Charlie Chaplin doesn't mean I agree that we should all unite under democracy. You know, wink, wink. I don't advocate for that. I don't advocate for external authority in the form of a representative government, as in democracy or even a republic. So, But still a great speech there, and it's still inspiring, and I think, you know, you can check it out. It's going to be in the show notes along with these other clips. After that, we heard clips from the movie The Matrix and the scene of Neo meeting Morpheus, and then the Morp- Morpheus describes The Matrix. And if you haven't seen The Matrix, I mean, you have to check that out. And it's more like a documentary, really, than anything else. But it's a good allegorical film. After that, we heard a clip from Dane Wigington from geoengineeringwatch.org. Please go by and check out that website. And he was talking about Stockholm Syndrome as being an American epidemic. And again, I mean, I think if we look around and be honest with ourselves as to what's going on and the things that Dane talked about that have happened, and again, going back to the trauma that we can see you know, that being a defense mechanism being deployed by people um, to fall in love with their captor, to take on the values of their captor and in their own lives in order to relieve that sense of pain that the person is trying to avoid. After that, I've weaved in another clip from Michael Tessarion's Architects of Control, which was also heard in episode one. This clip I felt was relevant to this episode. If you haven't seen The Architects of Control, go check it out. It's there on YouTube. After that, we heard a clip from my talk there, Occult Morality on the Meaning of Right and Wrong in Nature. And that's a conversation I had with some folks on Blab. And you can stop by the Within the Stones Media YouTube channel to check that out. After that, we heard a clip from Mark Passio's Natural Law Seminar. Natural Law, The Real Law of Attraction by, again, Mark Passio and the Tragedy and Hope crew, Richard Grove, over there, put that recording on and edited it and put it out, and Mark was talking about the difference between right and wrong, and if you haven't seen that full seminar, I really suggest, you know, putting it high on your priority list and checking it out. It's a six or seven hour long seminar, and you can watch it in chunks. There's a morning, afternoon, and night session. After that, we heard Frank Zappa, you know, and he defined his fascist theocracy. And that was a 1986 clip from CNN's Crossfire. 
And if you haven't listened to a lot of Frank Zappa stuff, you should really check out some of his interviews and go on YouTube and just watch some Frank Zappa. Really interesting person. And after that, we heard a clip from Terrence McKenna, and he was denouncing relativism. Excellent clip to weave into the episode, regardless of what you think of Terrence and his background and his involvements. I still think it was a good clip, and I still think there's a lot of things that Terrence put out that was really good work, even if he was, you know, an agent of the state or uh, what we can see being, you know, uncovered through the works over there at Gnostic Media. And after that, we heard the Weaver music from the band Pucifer, and that was the Palms Virtual Vacuum Remix. Coming up after this, we're going to hear a talk from Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio, Radio, and it's a clip can be found on his YouTube channel, Property Rights and the Non-Aggression Principle, and I think Stefan probably does the best job of explaining the Non-Aggression Principle, and that's a great clip there. And then we heard me playing around with a few clips over some music, We heard social control, law, and human behavior, control, and customs, a 1940s film on ethics, and it was just my attempt at injecting some humor, you know, about man's laws with some music into the episode. After that, a small clip from a YouTube video, CIA Mind Control Techniques, MKUltra Program Brainwashing, And that's a little prelude to future episodes, and I thought it went well with the music. (laughs) Talking about, you know, CIA mind control operations, and that was an operation where the German science experiments that went on during World War II were carried on um, from the scientists, from the scientists that were brought over from Project Paperclip, or Operation Paperclip, and other covert programs being carried out by the CIA to uh, acquire German scientists and, you know, under the guise of fear of the Soviet Union acquiring them. Um, But uh, as we can see, that project went a little over the top, and we'll get into that in future episodes and the vast reach of that program and other programs like it, including SRA and Project Monarch and things like that. After that, we'll hear the full clip that I edited from my talk on occult morality on the meaning of right and wrong in nature. Again, I had some a talk with some friends on Blab, and that can be found on my YouTube channel. Then we'll hear Mark Passio again, and from his podcast series, What on Earth is Happening?, episode 78, which can be found at his website, whatonearthishappening.com. And to round out the episode and finish it off, we'll hear a clip from Things to Come by H.G. Wells, a film from 1936. It's an ending to that film, and I think it's a great ending to this episode. And with these clips and kind of how my intro comes in an hour and a half into the episode, I like to let the audience guide themselves through the clips and discover the information without me giving any input or giving any guidance. And 
we critical thinking needs to be used as you know discovering what the episode's about and what is being talked about here and you know it's put together in a sequence in order to kind of guide through the information and not just presented in a really dull way it's i'm trying to you know talk to the left and right brain here and i like to come in and just give my little thing in the episode and come in with what i feel like needs to be said in that episode and some episodes i might not come in at all or maybe i'll come in at the beginning or the very end but i feel like i like to come in where i feel it's necessary and it's a good injection i can add a little bit to what i'm trying to say and clarify a couple things and then again let the audience decide and explore and enjoy the episode however they want to after that and these episodes are archived for free on my website and they will not be taken down any time that I can see in the near foreseeable future. And, you know, download, distribute, share, put on your social media. And that's the whole point is to just kind of archive the information online and get it out there and have it carry through. So, you know, hopefully this weave can start to be seen and, and, I, and you can start to see why the series has gone this way and why I'm taking it in the direction that it's going. So I'd like to finish off the episode with a quote. And in this quote, just keep in mind the duality of the creature and how I was discussing that earlier. You know, the creature is not just some big scary thing out there, but that Every person needs to look at themselves and do the work on themselves in order to deeply understand the information and apply it in their own lives. This is a quote from David Icke, another great researcher, author, presenter. Say what you will of David Icke, but just like anyone else, you have to take what you like from them and what what is the truth that you can find from their information and leave the rest. And so it doesn't matter that I'm bringing David Icke up here, that I, I weave Terrence McKenna into an, an, an audio clip, or that I want to talk about Mark Passio and present his work here in this episode. It doesn't mean that I agree with everything, every word all these presenters have said, and I have to concur with every theory that they hold as well. No, some of their work might be very good that I can use and that I agree with, and then other of it I might leave and not use, and it doesn't mean that that person represents how I feel completely. And But in this quote, you can see why, why I chose to put it in this episode. And it goes, Accept responsibility for yourself and your actions, thoughts, and words. You alone make choices. You alone are answerable to the consequences of your behavior. The feeble excuse that your boss required it the establishment expected it holds no truth or justification. So again, you know, take responsibility for your own actions and behaviors. And it's not actually possible to remove that responsibility and put it onto somebody else. And understanding that and applying it in your own life, if it hasn't already been done, is, in my case, the big project to be worked on. And it's the path that I've decided to walk down. And it's not, again, taking some moral high ground and putting your nose in the air. It's just understanding reality around us and aligning our thoughts, emotions, and actions with that. And with that, thank you for listening to this episode, episode four of the Creature of Control podcast series. Check out Within the Stones at Twitter at Within the Stones. Uh, I'm on Facebook, the Within the Stones Facebook page. 
Tyler Bloyer on Facebook. You can friend me there. The Within the Stones YouTube channel has a few videos, and we'll be getting more content up there as time goes on. And this podcast is also on Podomatic and iTunes. And again, you can find it on withinthestones.com. You can also check out my new Patreon site and support my work there. Again, that's Patreon, and I've been putting my podcasts up on that site, and it's a way to support artists and creators like myself. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the rest of this episode, and stay tuned for the next episode, episode 5. Hey everybody, it's Steph. Hope you're doing well. Oh my goodness, I'm going to be 45 years old tomorrow, so... Make your text bigger and speak up, Sonny! So this is an article. Why the non-aggression principle is useless as a moral guideline. I'll put the links to it below. And it goes like this. Right libertarians, anarcho-capitalists, and assorted proprietarians very frequently cite the non-aggression principle or zero-aggression principle, commonly called NAP or ZAP. It's good to base a philosophy on sounds that would come out of Batman punching someone in a cartoon. <laughs> as a core tenet of their ideology, it is brought up as the building block of voluntarism, on which free markets can be built and proudly displayed, to show how morally superior such a society would be compared to anything else, which, by the absence of the NAP, is defined to have an involuntary aspect. Kind of snarky. <laughs> morally superior is not really the... the it's not sort of one-upmanship. Um... Einsteinian physics is not a one-upmanship on Newtonian physics. It's just trying to be more accurate, more consistent. Now, if left to this end, this is not a half-bad principle, basically saying that people shouldn't attack or threaten to attack others. What is a half-bad principle? I mean, uh, the, the level of imprecision in philosophical discourse is quite dismaying <laughs> at times. What is a half-bad principle? Uh, I, I don't think I ever handed in a paper with a proof of mathematics or physics where they said, that's not a half-bad solution. I mean, it's either accurate or it's not. Maybe it's slightly more efficient or slightly less efficient, but it's either true or it's false, I mean, propositions of this kind. And tr by true simply means, first of all, logically consistent, consistent with its own premises and its own arguments, and hopefully consistent with that which we observe within reality. You know, just like science. Anyway. He says, however, at this stage, it is also pretty much unnecessary to be given an explicit existence as a principle, as the generic principle of freedom already encompasses this, i.e., attacking another person would violate their freedom. Other moral theories, particularly the utilitarian variants, already encompass such rules, with stipulation, as a natural consequence of their suggestions. In the end, this basic form of non-aggression ends up sounding like a shallow, thou shalt not kill, which, while pretty clear, when strictly adhered to, can lead to worse results such as foregoing killing in self-defense, or requires a more advanced moral framework above it, which clarifies when it is, in fact, acceptable to kill. But proprietarians do not generally leave it at just that, but rather try to sneakily expand it by linking it with private property rights. You see, the NAP is frequently derived directly from the self-ownership axiom, and thus the wrongly derived property rights are treated as an extension of the self. Therefore, one can then treat violation of private property rights as an act of initiated force, even though no actual violence or threat of violence has been perpetuated. This in turn is used as a cause to use actual violence or threat of violence on the violator 
of property rights. Okay, so I mean, let's we'll get on with this in a sec, but let's let's talk about that uh, to begin with. While I agree that the non-aggression principle is a thou shalt or a thou shalt not, without a rational framework behind it, and I go into this in my free book, which is uh, Universally Preferable Behavior, a Rational Proof of Secular Ethics, available at freedomainradio.com forward slash free. But um, uh, basically, there's no way to consistently apply a virtue called the initiation of force is good, is, is, is universally preferable behavior, is the ideal human standard of, of behavior. You can't, you can't do it. Because um, in order for it to be force, it has to be resisted, right? So if I come up to you in an alley and stick a knife in your ribs and demand your wallet, it's only force if you don't want me to do it. If we're role-playing, if we're in a movie, uh, if I stick uh, a knife in your throat because you're choking and I need to give you an emergency tracheotomy and I saw a video on it on the internet once, then clearly that is a welcome <laughs> intrusion into your into your property. Um, so it has to be unwanted for it to be the initiation of force, whatever violence is occurring. And so it can't be universally preferable behavior because it has to be both universally preferable and not wanted at the same time for it to be force. Um, hot wax on the nipples. Not so great from strangers in the subway, depending. I mean, there are circumstances, but generally, we don't want that from strangers on the subway. If you're in an SMN role-playing dungeon and you fail your saving throw against hot wax, then you obviously get it on both nipples, and that's something that's voluntary and something that we like uh, until, I guess, the wax has to come off, taking a good deal of hair with it. But So you can't have the initiation of force as a universal moral ideal because it has to be both desired as a universal ideal and rejected or resisted. That's what makes it force. Uh, In the same way, you can't have um, rape as a universal moral ideal because somebody, for it to be rape, uh, has to not want it to be occurring. So one person is doing the raping and thinks it's a good thing and it's universally ideal. The other person, in order for rape to be universally ideal, has to not want it, so it cannot be consistently applied. Same goes for murder, same goes for theft, because if, if I go and steal something of yours, it's only theft if you don't want me to steal it. So you can't have theft as universally preferable behavior. It simply can't work, because it has to be both wanted and opposed at the same time in order to qualify as theft or rape or assault or murder or whatever. So these things can't logically work. And so a respect for property rights is the only thing that can work uh, in, in the world. Uh, now, yes, of course, self-ownership leads to property rights. And the reason that self-ownership leads to property rights is obviously we own ourselves. We own the effects of our actions. If I go and strangle a kitten, I am responsible for the death of that kitten. Uh, if I yell into your ear, I'm, resol- I'm responsible for you flinching. If I go, bleh! up near a cliff edge and you fall off, I'm responsible for you falling. I own the effects of my actions. That's as true in morality as it is in property. And the reason that theft is theft, really, is that you're stealing someone's time. If I go and make a model boat and spend three days on it and then you just come and take it, you've basically stolen my time. You've stolen three days of my life, which I'm never going to get back. Uh, And so it is the theft of time. This is why IP is sort of a tricky issue, right? I mean, if somebody downloads my podcast, they haven't stolen anything from me, which is why I give all of this stuff away for free and think that there really should be no, certainly no state-based intellectual property. So, I mean, that's a very, very brief overview, but it's not arbitrary to say that we should not initiate the use of force, uh, and it is not arbitrary to say that there should be 
uh, property rights and property rights should be respected. Uh, if I steal you and lock you up uh, in a cage for three days, I've stolen three days of your time. If you work uh, at something that takes you three days and I steal the effects of it, I have enslaved you for those three days by taking the fruits of your actions. And this is not right. This is not valid. This doesn't work logically. So it's not arbitrary, though I, though I agree that a lot of the defenses of property rights are not stellar, but it's not arbitrary, and it's also not uh, subjective. So let's continue on with this fellow. I, I like this writer, I really do, and I think he's very, very uh, sharp. It thus becomes that the non-aggression principle, when combined with self-ownership, conveniently becomes an excuse for someone to initiate real, literal violence against someone else. The right to freedom, or utilitarian moral rules... It reserves the right for people to defend themselves against aggression, that is, to take only as much action as is needed to stop the aggression against their person. That is, to take only as much... Sorry, this is pretty much self-evident when achieved both to the one being attacked and to any observers, i.e., it's obvious when two people have stopped exchanging blows and threats. When extended to private property, however, things get far, far more complex. While it's easy to understand that someone aggresses when they steal something from another person, which is why most... Other moral systems do not require an NAP to label theft as wrong. Things get pretty murky when one goes beyond that. Do I initiate force when I use a productive machine without paying rent? How about if I pay only enough rent to cover the cost of the machine? Do I initiate force when I toil the unused land that is owned by someone else? How about when I trespass? Well, um, property is uh, exclusive use. Now, I don't have to be using everything in my life that I own at all times. In fact, it would be impossible to do that. My 14-year-old car is sitting slowly rusting and falling apart in the driveway <laughs> as we speak. I swear I'm going to have to get some blocks to put it up on soon, uh, thus making my house look like a rural backyard in Arkansas. But um, if I use a productive machine without paying rent, well, it's somebody else's property. And that person made sacrifices or achieved something or gave up something else or works in some way to get a hold of that or inherited it, which means somebody else granted them the property right, which is fine. And so if you use someone else's property without contractually fulfilling an obligation, that's pretty bad. Now, I mean, trespassing, um, I mean, obviously you can't shoot people for, <laughs> for trespassing. But uh, the problem is, of course, if you're in some rural area, and somebody's walking towards your house across your fields when you've got these signs saying no trespassing, you don't know what they're there for. That's the problem. You know, maybe they're coming to uh, give you a winning lottery ticket because they like your, the look of your, the cut of your jib, but you don't know. And so you have the, you know, you should warn those people off and ask them to leave and so on. But no, you don't, obviously you wouldn't have the right to blow somebody away who puts one toe on your property. But that's not what happens in the real world. What, people don't violate each other's property rights in the real world in any substantial way. I mean, I remember I used to take a bit of a shortcut to get down to uh, the the woods near my house where I like to, to hike. And uh, the, the property owner said, listen, I don't want you to take a shortcut. And it's fine. Okay, I don't take a shortcut. I mean, it was a purely verbal exchange. That's what happens all the time in these kinds of situations. I mean, if they'd blown me away, that wouldn't have been particularly good. And I'm sure they would have received, in, even in a free society, some pretty <laughs> negative repercussions about that. But... Degree is not as important as morality, right? Is it on the sunny side of the fence or is it on the shadowed side of the fence? That's really what, how dark is the shadow, how bright is the sunlight. That doesn't really matter as much. That's stuff that gets worked out in a free society. But as ethicists, as philosophers, as thinkers, as moralists, we have to define what is good and what is evil, what is consistent 
consistently achievable in universally preferable human behavior and what is contradictory and because it's contradictory fails. The great thing about UPB is since it validates the bans against murder, uh, theft, rape, and assault, then it explains why societies that violate these moral rules tend to fail. Uh, communism, uh, fascism, the mixed economy sliding towards fascism that characterizes the modern West. You have empirical evidence as to why inconsistent theories don't work, just as you do in engineering. right? Uh, you build a bridge with uh, a design that is inconsistent with the properties of reality, most likely that bridge is going to fall down, or it's going to be way over-constructed. So, uh, further complicated by the claims that the NAP proponents of the NAP proponents that the NAP does not excuse any and all acts of self-defense, but is rather limited by the level of aggression. We're informed that it does not, in fact, grant the right of shooting trespasses. But this, again, does not really clarify the matter, whereas in literal aggression, one is always aware of the level the initiator is using, threats, shoving, punching, lethal weapons, etc., and can respond in kind. In this extended field of aggression, you're left to comparing apples with oranges. What is the correct response to someone trespassing your property? Trespassing on their property? Sorry, trespassing on their pro uh, property. Forcibly taking them out, threatening to shoot them, and then follow through if they don't comply? The truth of the matter is that, unlike literal aggression, you cannot discover how you can respond in kind intuitively. But this, I mean, this is not what people do. This is not what people do. And they don't sit there at their, uh, their windows with high-powered rifles waiting for people to put a toe on their property so they can blow them away. But this doesn't happen. The reason you're not going to shoot a trespasser in a free society is because you're going to face a lot of paperwork and questioning and cross-examining afterwards. And the society may say that you're kind of lunatic and we don't want to respect your property rights anymore. More so you can live where you are, but nobody's going to come and defend you anymore. And we're going to warn everyone that you're a lunatic. And you may not be able to buy groceries. The electricity company may shut off their delivery to you. I mean, that's why people aren't going to do stupid stuff like shoot someone for trespassing. I mean, this just doesn't happen in the real world. Uh, unlike actual aggression, where equal reaction can cancel the aggression, shoving can defend against shoving, punching can defend against punches, etc. In aggression on property via the NAP, the self-defense enacted is, and must always be, different and stronger than the act of aggression. A trespasser cannot be removed by counter-trespassing. They must literally be forcibly removed, and this is very likely to require threats of lethal force if they do not comply. This gets even more complicated if that person does not accept the NAP and considers the literal acts of aggression against them as the initiation of force. It is, and defends in kind. Well, property is property is property. Um, obviously, you can't plant a flag on the moon and claim the whole moon, and the homesteading, you have to do something with the land. You can't just make a million-mile fence. You know, I mean, I mean, these things all get worked out in a free society, and the reality is that People do work these things out. There's a great article in Jeff Tucker's recent book, uh, It's a Jetson's World, about how property is distributed at tailgate parties in uh, sports events, right? So people have the same areas or they set up these tailgates and people don't trespass. Property works itself out really, really nicely. And there's very little trespassing. You know, when I have my neighbors, when we were first putting up fences, we checked things out. There were no fights. There's no problem. If my neighbor's kids come over to get a ball from my yard, that's no problem. I mean, again, these things don't, there's not a particular problem with property rights in a free society. Pro uh, problems with property rights arise in a state of society where you get thrown in jail unless you hand over half your income at gunpoint to the state. That's the kind of stuff that we really need to focus on as moralists, not creating all of these logical maybe problems somewhere in a future society where people are setting up landmines and 
in their front yard. I mean, this is not what happens uh, in the real world. And this is an issue I have with ethicists as a whole. Now, not this guy. And again, I like this guy. He's a good writer, and I'll post a link to the article below. But I'll sort of end here with this sort of brief explication by saying that there's a common argument that you'll hear about ethics, and it's posted on some critique of UPB that wasn't really worth responding to. But it sort of goes something like this. Oh, you say that telling the truth is a virtue. But if I come up to your house with a gun and say, where's your wife? I want to shoot her. Well, are you going to tell me the truth about where your wife is so that I can shoot her? Well, of course not. Therefore, truth is not a virtue. It's conditional, blah, 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 blah. And that's um, substantial nonsense. I mean, it's nonsense because virtue is like lovemaking. You do it to Barry White. And it requires voluntarism. So if you make love to someone against their will, that's rape. And so virtue, the moment that compulsion comes into it, no longer counts, no longer matters. Just like lovemaking no longer counts as a, a way of describing an action the moment that there's a knife to someone's throat. You don't call it lovemaking anymore. You call it something else. And so when someone comes up to you and says, I'm going to kill your wife, They've got a gun, they're going to do great violence. Morality does not exist in that interaction anymore, any more than lovemaking exists when someone sticks a knife to someone else's throat. Virtue is voluntarism. Virtue can only be evaluated in a situation of voluntarism. And so when you're under a situation of coercion, there's no such thing as virtue. There's no, then you're in a state of nature. You're, you're a, uh, an antelope and a lion. Uh, you, you do not have a moral commandment. And of course, that, I mean, the amount of agony that people put into uh, things like, well, I did this under coercion or this under compulsion or whatever. I, you know, I, I didn't protect my brother when my brother was being hit by my mother or whatever, right? I mean, but this was a situation of coercion, a situation of violence. And so there's no morality where there's violence. What, what amazes me is that people will say in this situation, you know, a guy comes up to you with a gun and says, where's your wife so I can shoot her? The moralist comes up and says, well, let's turn the moral spotlight on the guy who's got a gun to his neck. No, let's turn the moral spotlight on the guy who's putting a gun to someone's neck. And let's not worry about the ethical choices of someone with a gun to his neck because they simply don't exist. They simply do not exist. It's not a wedding if you force the bride to be there at gunpoint. You didn't get the job if the only reason you're allowed in the office is you kidnapped the boss's kids. Right? That is not called hiring, right? That's just called blackmail or, or terrorizing. So wherever, you know, when the gun comes into the picture, <laughs> when the gun comes into the picture, morality evaporates completely and totally. Like ghosts at dawn or vampires in the full sun, morality evaporates. And if there is going to be any moral, moral examination of those situations, you look at the guy with the gun, not the guy with the imprint of the gun on his neck. What business is it of yours what I do, read, buy, see, or take into my body as long as I do not harm another human being on this planet? And for those of you out there who are having a little moral dilemma in your head how to answer that question, I'll answer it for you. None of your fucking business. Take that to the bank, cash it, and go fucking on a vacation out of my life.
But see, here's their argument to that each and every time. But we have to protect the children. We have to protect the children. Welcome, Greg. While Greg connects up again, the title of this episode, Occult Morality and the Meaning of Right and Wrong in Nature. And the reason why we're talking about occult morality is basically I feel that morality has been hidden and obfuscated from people to be more complicated than it really is. And this has caused a lot of chaos in the world around us. And it's easily addressed. It's just that people... Well, we could get more uh, into good. it. Thank but, you so much Greg, for letting I see me you're in. connected um, up now. How, how's it this going? This is a beautiful conversation. Um, um, when you talk about the Federal Reserve and the IRS and freedom, um, there's the depth and a vibe to the conversation that most people, uh, A, are not familiar with. B, if they're slightly familiar with it, they're afraid of it because it doesn't feel normal or natural to them. And more people need to be talking about this. And just one thing you made me realize just in terms of the basicness of what a law is. This is what a law is. It's a bunch of people that get together, 51, 51 out of 100 people get together, and they write something on a piece of paper, and they go, this is the way you're going to act and behave. And then everybody in the masses goes, yes, we agree with you. So what's money? It's a piece of paper with a bunch of ink on it. What is any holy text? It's a piece of paper with a bunch of ink written on it. And the, the, here's the thing. They're all connected. They're all the same thing. And the only thing that gives them power is your belief in them. You're being my, you're being anyone's, right? I'm not pointing any fingers here. I have some beliefs that didn't serve me. And when I said, what is this belief doing for you, Greg? Nothing. It's hurting you. Abandon it. And I've had some beliefs that were hurting me and I held on to them. And they kept torturing me and hurting me because I was allowing them to. So the point is, just because 51 out of 100 people say something is good doesn't mean shit. It just means 51 people said, we're going to use our aggression to extract from you your human labor. And that's what taxes are. And I love the way you articulate this. That's what taxes are. But this is, this is the blind spot in Western culture in the U.S. Well, this is the most common response I get. Well, Greg, who would build the roads? If the government didn't force my money from me with the barrel of a gun and a cage, you're forgetting. There's plenty of people out there that own companies that would say, look, we'll build the roads and we could probably do it. I'm, I'm assuming at a lesser price than what the government's doing it at. Now, how could they possibly do that? Because the government doesn't have any fucking competition. Does that make any sense? Well, to me, it does. I mean, to me, it makes perfect sense. I, 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 the what ifs, I, and thanks for your comments, Greg, and that was great. Um, I'm glad it rang through to somebody. I mean, I was kind of ranting there for a little while, I felt like, but uh, um, no, exactly. Um, what is it that, that we're doing that we think we can make it up, make up reality, you know, just by writing it down and creating it, you know, based on what we're just deciding on as, as a group, and we can see just looking back at history, even just the 20th century alone, that consensus reality is not really going to result in uh, order and freedom and prosperity like we all claim that we want to have. And so the reason for this discussion for me was to bring up the fact that I, I see people around me that are meaning good, 
good and they're good meaning people and they want freedom and they want happiness is the number one thing people claim they want. And, um, but, but then their, their behavior and things that they support, I don't see that resulting in what everyone's claiming that they would want. And I don't know if it's understood completely by everyone why that is. And if we, and that's, and it comes back to, well, what's the difference between right and wrong and why is there so much harm being done to other people? Uh, um, a lot of people are perfectly okay with the system though, as, as it sounds like, you know, Greg, like coming, it sounds like you've had discussions with people about this kind of a thing. And uh, what I get back from most people is, is more of a, well, what do you mean this? I'm perfectly fine with paying the taxes for the services that I'm being provided. You know, the, the protection, the roads, like you said, uh, the different services that are provided. But do we have to do it through forcing people? Do we have to force people to provide these things for us? I mean, can't we come up with systems that don't build roads under the threat of a gun? I mean, didn't is this the best that we can do is make people uh, pay for our, our ideas? And the roads, I mean, this example is kicked around so much it's ridiculous, but let's talk about the war on drugs as an example. Well, who's going to continue to build, do the war on drugs if we don't force people to give us money to fund an operation that failed 40 years ago when it started, you know, yep. or whatever, you know, it started 30 years ago. But, but it, I think you get my point is that, you know, what about the failed systems? The roads are an example of a system that you could say was successful. You know, what about the systems like the, the war in Iraq that cost, the American taxpayer is, you know, <laughs> billions and is, and, and is going to be paid for if we continue on with this system for the next, for, for the, for the unforeseeable future, we owe the federal reserve $18 trillion and that's how the system is designed. So we're always going to be paying this foreign entity, this banking cartel, the federal reserve interest and i mean i don't know if we want to go this way with the discussion but that's my example was forced taxation is immoral obviously because it's yeah a mandatory claim of ownership on other people's property so if some if someone wants to go back into the basic definition of what i'm getting at here of the difference between right and wrong we can definitely circle back to that because it only for me it only takes a couple minutes to kind of get at what i'm meaning with that but Yes, I would like I would like to get in discussions about what that means in society now, not just getting into well, my factoid about morality I mean, I, is this, I, I and my factoid about morality is that. But for me, um, we don't need to get into the factoid of what is morality because that that goes into religion, and that that's a dead end conversation. Religion is a dead end conversation in Western culture in the United States. I don't get into conversations with Christians. I avoid them. I don't get into conversations with Muslims. Anybody that says religion is a topic, I don't want to talk about that because we're not going to accomplish anything. But what Tyler is saying, if you're listening, is let's just talk about human energy, the pound of flesh that's being extracted from you. How many times do you have to get up out of bed and go punch the clock and pay whatever it is that you're paying? And, and welcome Kay, by the way. He's, um, Carlton is just amazing at talking about this kind of stuff. Yeah. All it gets down to is... I don't care about your religion. You know what? That's ridiculousness. What's your belief? I don't even want to know what your belief is. I don't even want you to know what my belief is because my belief is nothing but air. It's nothing but ridiculousness. There's nothing solid to my belief other than I just believe it because I feel comfortable believing it. How much of your flesh 
and your sweat, your blood, your guts, and your tears are you giving to the king, right? And why does the king believe? There we go with the word belief again. Why does the king even expect that from you? Why? Because for centuries, the masses have been giving it to him and her, and they expect it. And as long as you're willing to give it, they're going to continue to expect it. Does that make any sense? Well, absolutely. And and we could get into the we could we could we could talk Hours, about the nature days. of this yeah. problem for days and days and you know we, weeks whatever. I'd like to kind of boil it back down to the root of that problem. Well, why why is that occurring? You know, why are things like forced taxation under the threat of a gun occurring and uh, being yeah. Hello, lively debate. Yes, you're blushing because we both recognize that you joined the room with us. But again, talking about the cage and and the nature of the cage all day is fine with me. I'm more than willing to do that. But the title of the discussion kind of brings up what, what I'm trying to pin down is what the difference between right and wrong actually is. And I and I know I kind of said you know, or that you said, Greg, you don't really want to go there because it's more of a religious conversation. And that's another point of mine is that I don't feel that religions or governments create the difference between right and wrong. It's a, it's not just that I'm picking on taxation. Yeah. I don't want to just bring the discussion into that. But then also that religions think that they can also create the difference between right and wrong. And I, I live here in Salt Lake City, Utah, where the LDS church is updating their moral code on a monthly basis. Um, suddenly, you know, God has changed his mind on gay marriage and now so on and so forth. So, um, but it clearly it's not God deciding that yeah. and it's, it's moral pressure from society that's pushing the church in that direction, which is again, completely not what, the real difference between right and wrong is in reality that that is something that's been obfuscated or occulted as the title of the discussion goes, because if you can get people or large groups of people to not really know what the difference between right and wrong is, but even worse than that, you can get those people to believe that man can create the difference between right and wrong. So not only are you getting them to not really understand and be confused about property rights and the difference between right and wrong in reality, you're also getting those people to, to believe that they and their groups of people that they call government can create the difference yeah. between right and wrong by writing it down on paper. When And, you know, just let me, Greg, if you don't mind, really quick, I just want to run back through for the people that recently joined the discussion, when I'm talking about right and wrong, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because rights are based in property. So if we talk about what's moral, this is uh, derived from or relating to principles of right and wrong behavior. So, well, what's the difference between right and wrong then? Well, the difference between right and wrong, there is such a thing and it can be known. It's not hard to understand and it's not some long um thing uh drawn out thing that needs to be you know meditated on for years and you don't need to read uh long lists of philosophers to get this point we all inhabit a body and we all are owning our own property by the fact that we inhabit that body we come into 
our body and we own our first piece of property. Based on that fact that we now own a piece of property, you have the right to exist in that body without being harmed by anyone else. That is the difference between right and wrong. If my actions are causing harm to someone else's property, then it's a wrongdoing. It's immoral at that point. But if my actions are not causing harm to anyone else, then it is a right doing. It is correct. It is my right to carry out that behavior because it does not cause harm to anyone else. So again, religions can say that, you know, having premarital sex is immoral or a government can come along and try to write legislation against alcohol for and make it immoral or wrong, a wrong behavior and throw you in a cage uh, by creating that law. But it doesn't change the fact that if I go and have a drink during that period of time, that no one was harmed. I did not cause harm to any other person. So if no one was harmed, then it's correct. Therefore, it's moral because morals are, are based in rights and wrong behavior. So if it's correct and no one was harmed, then it's moral. And this is all coming back to the fact that I have the right to own my property. So it's based in property. Morality through rights are based in property or is based in property. And hey, Tyler. We'll join up Carlton hey, hey, here. Hey, Greg. Yeah, yeah we, we had this discussion the other day. We, kinda, we, 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 went, we went around and around for a little bit and we kind of ended. So it's always nice to revisit, revisit this. I, I guess I've got the same question, though, that, I, that we sort of you know, left with uh, earlier, which is that it, it's and I'm trying to grasp the, the sort of the, the the concept that you're that you're putting out there, Tyler. But the problem where I'm having a difficulty is 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 that it sounds as though all we are doing is we're we're moving the goalpost in terms of what we are stipulating to be you know axiomatic or true. So you're 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 saying that. We all have possession of our body. Okay, let's grant that for the moment, right? But but you're saying, and then and then you follow that immediately by saying, therefore, we have a right, you know, not to be harmed in our body or not to have that control taken away from us. But I would ask then, but what is the justification for saying that we have that right? That seems to be just something that you're stipulating to be true but that we can't really justify as necessarily being true. Um, who says, in other words, who gets to say that simply because I'm born in my body that I have a right not to be harmed in my body? Where does that law or precept come from? Well, first of all, based on the empirical evidence that I'm currently inhabiting a body and I do not want anyone to harm my property, and I would afford that right to everyone who in inhabits a body that they also do not, uh, that they also do, you know, hold that right as well. Based just on based on reality, I guess Car uh, Carlton is the answer is based on based on the truth of the agree. existence around us, based on what has occurred. You know, that that's what it's based on. It's based if on we're what saying, has maybe come into existence. Then, you know, but. If we're saying that, okay, just for example, right? So, okay, so our constitution, right to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Um, you know, depending on, on what we mean when we say right, 
okay, uh, right to own a gun, okay? Um, does that, is it, is it a right simply because someone has given it to us, which would imply that they could just as easily take it away from us and we would no longer have that right? Or is there some notion of a right that exists above humanity that that humans have no control over whether someone has that right and 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 this is kind of where i i, I see what you're, what you're saying right that you 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 have this desire to not you know to have rights over your own body and you grant that right to anybody else that's human that you come across and from a functional or pragmatic standpoint everybody else also grants that same right to everyone else affords them i'm sorry grant but 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 I, or affords them well, not, it is, not except, except that i think that the meaning is the same a bad word to i use think there, but. that if 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 i have that right for basically two reasons one i want it and two you you're willing to afford it to me then ultimately there's no reason why you have to afford it to me you could decide tomorrow carlton's a son of a bitch i'm no longer going to afford him the right to be secure in his own body i'm going to come visit him with a baseball bat uh, mm -hmm. so it seems that it is still of the same kind of right that can be taken away okay let me make the point there you, okay so first of all um my words are being used a little okay. bit okay in the in the way that i wasn't meaning to imply them there i'm affording oh. them the right but i'm recognizing okay. that they have the right not that i have any ability to kind of give them that that's my whole point here is that man does not get to create the difference between right and wrong it exists in in nature it exists in reality so and the reality of the situation is is that i happened sure. to come into a, a body just as i see many others have around me that's that's a yes. fact that i can define that has occurred and the truth and reality are that which has occurred that which has undergone the formality of actually occurring out of the many possibilities of things that could occur in the infinite possibilities of things that could occur the okay. truth and reality is that which actually has occurred so what, what what has occurred and what i can recognize in my life anyways is that there are th things and there there are people in this world that i'm living on there's a world there's a planet and there's physical bodies or seemingly physical. I mean, no, we don't want to no, get into that discussion no. of if there's physical or matter or energy. I'm not going that route. The point is, is that I'm recognizing the fact that I'm having a discussion now with other individuals that, in, from what I can determine, seem to be inhabiting bodies themselves. And so based on that reality that I'm observing through that evidence of just using my sensory data that's coming in, I'm, 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 deciding that that's a reality that yeah. i've that i happen to be in a body so i'm concluding that i'm just i'm deciding that uh, that's a fact i'm, I'm not you. i'm not leaving that up to interpretation and i'm and i'm and I, as a person i've decided to say yeah. i believe i not yeah, i don't believe you're, that you're, you're, i know that body, right? i know it as a fact and so, so i'm extrapolating out i'm extrapolating mm -hmm. out from there in and i bodies. think you we, we agreed right. on this well, in our I mean, last discussion yeah, I, 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 we're I guess all i would probably say we are a body, a body. Than a body but it <laughs> i don't think it matters so that's a different okay okay so, well we can go so the from king, there and extrapolate right? uh, well, we don't have a king but well, it doesn't that. matter we'll pretend we have a king so so the king sits on the throne that's a fact this has happened does that mean that he has an inalienable right simply because that's where he is? 
No, he has the inalienable right only if you believe he does, and you give it to him, and you cow to him. Okay, right. Which and that's kind of what I, what that's kind of what I'm getting to. So even though you are in a body, and now I understand what you mean by a forge, that's fine. So even though you are in a body, you still make it is still you or me or whoever. It is still you who makes the assumption, and it is still has to be an assumption that because you are in a body, that therefore there must exist some right for me to to be in this body or to own this body. No, and, no. This is what we need to do. We need to strip okay. away the rhetoric, and we need to strip away the minutia and simply go, look, we're going to go brute here, right? I'm getting ready to eat some food. You come to me and say you will not eat this food. I have two options. Walk away and let you eat the food or physically fight you. And whoever's physically stronger is going to eat the food. And right. that, will, that, will, that will determine yeah. who, who gets to continue to live That's in the body. Point. That's all it is, man. It's a great point. It's a great point, Greg, because it comes down to we can have these discussions and it can all be this ther- the- theoretical and, and great discussions, by the way. But when the rubber meets the road, that's when I understand the difference between who owns my body and who doesn't when someone's forcing me to do something that's not that's that that's when i quickly realize that hey my will is being compromised right now and someone's trying to not maybe use coercion with the threat of violence and maybe even do violence to me then that's when this discussion and the rubber meets the road because at that point it's very clear and i will like greg says stand up for my right to be in my property without it being harmed and recognize that fact Right there, because if you don't, and that's the point that I'm also making here, because if you don't, and if large groups of people right. don't, then what, what could we get well, people but, but, to but, do but based on their I, belief in the fact that man could just make up what's right and wrong? But, if people but don't understand these my, things, then we could get them to do harm to large groups well, of other people but, yes, but, but just we because do. of their belief my, that man can write down you what's still, right and wrong. We are, you, no matter how far we track this back, you are still, it is still a man-made decision. So if you... If, 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 as Greg says, Greg, Greg and you get into a fight or somebody gets in a fight with Greg and Greg believes he has the right to eat his food and somebody beats the crap out of Greg and then takes the food and flushes it down the toilet, does Greg still have the right to eat his food? No, has it's Greg not, lost it's not that about, right? It's not about the right, Carlton, because the right is a, is a human word. And dogs don't have the ability to sit around and have these discussions. Right. And, and we could I, say, I well, well, we're mere brutes, Greg. No, we're not. The bottom line is this. We can be as intellectual as we want to be. I can be as smart as I want to be. Yeah, I can, I can determine what the diameter of the sun is. I don't give a fuck what that means. If I don't eat food, I don't fucking live. I don't survive. So the bottom line is this. Okay, What are you willing to do to keep what you have the ability to do to keep your body alive? And here's the problem. Taxation is indirect use of force. And what we've been led to believe is simply this. No, it's for the betterment of the good to build the roads. I'm so sick of hearing that. Who's going to build the roads, Greg? Are you that fucking ignorant? Are you really that ignorant? Because that's what you've been led to believe, that if they don't take my human energy by me, from me, by the, by the barrel of a gun, no one will build the roads. I have news for you. Roads didn't exist 10,000 years ago. And what, what, what were we, amoebas? No, we did just fine, didn't we? I, I agree. I mean, I, and, I, and again, I, I like the discussion on taxation because obviously that's an easy example that we can use of a current example, uh, current uh, institution in our society that's going against the basic principle that I'm operating off here. Obviously, Carlton doesn't agree, and that's fine because I would like to continue that discussion as well because 
I think we kind of did nail down to the very base of what we're getting at here is that I think, and, you know, many others would agree, although there's many on the other side of the debate here too, that I think that just based on the fact that I'm inhabiting the body, that that gives me the right to operate in that body during the time that I'm utilizing it without being harmed or having any threats of harm done to me, which as the example that we've been discussing here, mandatory taxation or claims of ownership on other people's property. Now in Carlton's point, something like mandatory taxation is subjective to each individual that comes across this scenario. And each individual has to decide for themselves whether mandatory taxation is right or wrong. Where I'm making the point that no, uh, mandatory claims of ownership on other people's property is incorrect because no one has the right to, you know, assert a claim of ownership on someone else's property if, unless that person uh, is contracting with them. And we can get into that discussion as well. It, well, we are contracting with them. Oh, well, you've signed documents. Well, no. Again, this is all done under coercion and the threat of violence. So, Again, if you show me the checkbox where I can check out of the mandatory taxation thing and go earn a living and pay my bills and not feel like I have to worry about being thrown in a cage, then I'll take that route. But currently in this society that we live in now, there is no route for someone like me who would rather decide what I'll give my money to. I can make donations to uh, road programs. I can make donations to private protection programs. I can try to use my money in a way that I see fit rather than a society based in violence, which is what we have now. I just feel like we could do much better than a society based on forcing people to do, um, you know, what large, what the large majority decides to do, which is this, you know, democracy we have now. But again, this is pointing out just a huge sore thumb that goes directly against the basic fact of what morality is and why it's been hidden from people and why it's been occulted, quote unquote, is why I titled it the discussion occulted is because it's been obfuscated from people on purpose, because then you can get large groups of people to go along with things that are causing harm to other people. And not only do they not even understand what they're doing is causing harm to other people, they don't know even the difference between right and wrong themselves in order to make the discernment if what they're doing is right and wrong. And if you can obfuscate this from large groups of people, then you have what we have now. And we can go around and we can describe all the different things that come out of this basic fallacy. And when you try to build huge societies based on fallacious reasoning and fallacious uh, practices, you end up causing negative chaos because you are basing your society on violence, on a wrongdoing right out the gate. So everything you do is based on forcing other people to pay for what you're implementing, which is, of course, wrong because you cannot make a claim of ownership on someone else's property because they have a right to own and keep their property without others making claims of ownership with threats and, you know, using violence against you and your property. I think most people would agree with that conclusion, 
But then maybe when you get into the wider discussion of how it's yeah. operating in society is where yeah. we could start and to I'm, split I'm hairs. Stop with this and I'll somebody yeah, else thank you for letting in me there. in. I greatly appreciate it. Carlton, I love your conversation. And I didn't mean yeah, no to problem. you. I didn't that was No, mind. no, no, I didn't it wasn't taken personally. That's why I mean you're you are mature enough to know nobody's I, I, came, I came into this, you guys were already already heated, so and <laughs> you already warmed up. <laughs> this, this is this is what's fucked up with Western Western culture, and I mean America specifically, because that's where I was born and that's probably where I'll die. This is the reason why the conversation we're having now is not ringing more true to more people is because people in the United States do not know, have never been trained and have never been taught to critically think and say, is there a difference between morality and religion? There is a tremendous difference between morality and religion. And if you don't understand that, you will remain blind and you will remain taxed until you die. Thank you so much for letting me in, Tyler and Carlton. You guys have a great weekend. I love you, brothers. All right. Thank you Have so a much. Going, Greg. Take it easy, bud. Thanks, Greg. Uh, hey. I guess I haven't read anything on the sideline here for a while. Let's see. Yeah, it's hard to keep up with it. And I think kind of the tone from the last few statements I can see is is, you know, hey, you know, this topic is not something that most people want to talk about and hey most people don't understand what you're even getting at here or even interest and again that's kind of the point and why even again why i titled it a cult because i feel like this particular topic is purposefully sidelined and uh, it's not brought up you're not definitively taught the difference between what's right and wrong on purpose because um, people who understand the difference between right and wrong would not put up with tyranny they will not allow tyrannical institutions to exist, you know, in their presence, it wouldn't occur. If the majority of people truly understood the difference between right and wrong, then you would not be able to collect large, you know, militaries and invade other countries who have not provoked any violence against you. Here's kind of the the other half of the discussion, which I didn't get a chance to have there before uh, Greg left, but, and and that's this, let's, let's, I think there are two pieces here of information, and we're we're fighting about one and not the other. I I I I think that kind of as I said before, I think that the notion that we have a right to be in our bodies, I think, I think everybody believes that, but I don't think that that makes it any kind of a, um, any kind of a um, a law that, or, or I don't think that makes it a belief that you can't change and still be right. That aside, so let's the, the other half to that though is. If everybody does, you know, basically accept that, which I think is probably a reasonably fair statement, right? Well, then how are people, how is it being hidden? In other words, if people already acknowledge the fact that they have a right to do, you know, to do what they want to do, then how can, in other words, how can they, how can it be being hidden from them and at the same time say that they all have an understanding that this is true? Well, if they all understand it's true, then it's not being hidden. Um, well, I I don't know if maybe I said that incorrectly or something, but I don't, I don't know if I made the assertion that everyone understands that it's true. I, I think people can recognize truth when it's put a certain way. And I think when I can boil it down to certain statements that I've made throughout this um, discussion, it can be recognized as truth, and but then it falls apart when you try to extrapolate it for some people. But... I don't mean to say that everyone inherently knows the difference between right and wrong um, as adults. I think as children, 
I think as children, you, 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 you actually do. I mean, children understand property Stupid rights asshole. very quickly. Um, if you try to take something from a two-year-old, you'll very quickly see that they, you know, mine, that's mine. They, they see that, that they have the right to own something without someone else necessarily coming in and taking that from them. And I think with children, you can kind of see that they do get, I mean, try to take, you know, a game that a four-year-old's playing with away from him, whether you think it's unhealthy for him to be playing the game or not, whatever, but they sense this sense, uh, kind of self-ownership and ownership of things that they're utilizing at the time, which is, you know, how I define property. I define property as what I'm utilizing at that time, whether my lawnmower sits in my shed for five months and then I pull it out during the summer and utilize it for three and put it away for the rest of the year. Whether I'm using it that entire time or not, the whole time it's still my property. I'm utilizing it. It's, it's a tool that I'd like to have in good condition so that I can uh, use it to do what I what I need to do, and that is my property. Now, um, no, not everyone does understand what a property right is. And I've had discussions with people, and when I ask them the question, you know, who owns your body, and they can't answer that question, they don't say immediately, "I own my body," with a definitive, you know, statement, kind of like point. almost upset. You like, know, why I, would you even ask me I, that? I, I, I think, own my I body. I, I think I that's own not, my body you know, at this point in time only because you're, nobody else right is, has made a competing claim for it. Nobody else has nobody else has taken control of it. So yes, I do own it. That doesn't for me translate to some inalienable right to own it. It simply means I view it I view it as mine, right? And I'm and I am well, and I am then we have, in the same way that I'm using the pen in my hand. I view it as mine. I view it as mine to use, you know, how I want to use, but that to me doesn't translate to some sort of a magical right that sits over everybody just because it does. It's only so because A, I view it that way and B, because no one else has has taken it away from me yet. But I could easily lose that right regardless of how I perceive it. Somebody could take it away from me and I could lose the right to do what I want with my own body. So if I can lose it, if, if I can lose it, yeah. then... It's not great, really great an inalienable right. It is a right that I have solely due to circumstance. Okay, so if we get into if we get into that, if it's just based on circumstance, then at what point, at what percentage, is the claim of ownership over your body acceptable? Or in other words, one hundred percent of my claim of ownership over somebody's body. We all know what that is, and that's called slavery. Um, yeah. Back when people were literally owned by other people as property, that was called slavery. And 100% of that person's labor um, was considered to be someone else's based on a claim of ownership, right? And this gets at the question that just came into the chat. Thanks. You know, what is the opposite of what we're talking about? If someone doesn't truly own 100% of their own body, then what? Well, you know, well, then what's the alternatives here? Does someone else get to come in and make a claim of ownership on your body? And so if it's 100%, we can all clearly see that that's slavery. Everyone would agree that if I chain someone up and beat that person into submission and make them pick my fields for me and demand 100% of that property that they just derived is mine and all that is mine, that's slavery. We can all see that. But at what at what percentage at what magical percentage well, does I that think, definition change I, yes. from slavery I, I to? 
no, I own one hundred percent of my property. Is there thirty percent? Is thirty well, percent different thing, than one hundred percent? And Oracle, I'm not. I don't think I'm conflating the idea of morality with the practicalities of defending it. I think the difference is okay. The difference is what I am saying is, if I believe that I have the right to my body, okay, let's just assume that for the start, okay. And somebody comes and physically takes away my right to my body. I am not saying that that changes my moral precept on whether it's right for that to happen. The fact that I've lost the right to my body, I still think I have, for example, I still will think that I have the right to my body. This is how, this is how I view morality from my perspective, but it doesn't, it doesn't mean, okay, the fact that I think that does not translate to a demand on the other person who has taken my freedom to see it the same way. He, his morality is how he sees his morality. He thinks he's right in what he's doing. I clearly don't. I don't think my morality hasn't changed because I've lost the right to something. All right. I still think my losing that right is morally wrong, but that doesn't compel him to feel the same way. Right. And, and, and again, this is circling around the same kind of discussion (laughs) that we've had and that's fine. But, um, perceptions of morality and actual right and wrong are, are not the same thing. So I'm not disagreeing with you that someone can have a different sense of what's moral than another person that my, that my, and, and, now, now, do I think that? Do I think that people should have different senses of morality? No, that's the point I'm making. But do I? I don't discount the fact that that's occurring. That people are right, holding but, different right, principles would, and I mean, different values. One step beyond that, what though, morality what I would say, is. Just to clarify that, is that I think from the perspective of the other person, not from mine, but from their perspective, they are perfectly valid with the moral position they hold from their perspective. So I don't think. Okay. And right. I, well, let me rephrase that, right? If I look at what you do, right? I can say, I don't think Tyler should be beating his dog every day. Okay. I think that's immoral. But the fact that you think it's perfectly moral to do that is also a perfectly valid position for you to hold. In other words, there is not a third party arbiter that can say to both of us, this is in fact wrong. This is in fact not wrong. It has to come down to how the individual perceives his own actions. Right. Yes. The two individuals are perfectly allowed to pretend that they can create the difference between right and wrong. However, they do not create the difference between right and wrong. Someone can support and be an advocate of slavery and it never made it right, whether in reality. So uh, uh, the the 99% of people on the planet and could agree that yep. slavery over other individuals, it doesn't you know, human right ownership is moral. Um, those people are all allowed. Those people are all allowed to attempt to create the difference between right and wrong in their own head. However, they are not changing the reality of the scenario that um, harming those individuals and taking away their right to exist. Yes. And, Ruining their your entire life mo- and yes, wait, taking them it's into your moral position. Is but wrong. it's your 
and it's based on it's no it's just it's it's based on the fact that those people have happened to inhabit bodies it's based on the fact that but, right. a slave happens to inhabit a body so no one can they can everyone can attempt to but claim that they own that person is, i don't know no I, one we, we actually we always do, we always do end up going reality, two different ways here but that's my point Tyler, right and, and i i feel like you you, you keep stepping over that stone and it's a big stone and then that is your assertion that that this is universally wrong even if they believe it's right is based on an assertion that because they were born into those bodies that there is some universal right that they have but that's your yes but that's your yes. morality that's your perception you, of morality you got it. that doesn't make it but that doesn't make it but that doesn't make it an but it doesn't make it an external it's truth based on simply because it is common or even or even um 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 sorry um what's what's the word I'm looking for e even though if even if it's adopted universally that still doesn't turn it into anything other than how you see it well. where you see a person's rights come from it's where you see it but because you see it that way doesn't doesn't necessarily make it some sort of a truth that exists beyond you that has to apply to everybody else. That's my point. It's still well, subject to your human creation. You made that rule. What would you say to me if I were to say that I'm sending someone, you know, just obviously hypothetically speaking, but yeah. let's say let's say that I was an evil person and I said, Carlton, sure. I'm sending someone to your office right now. Yeah. And they're going to collect your computer. Because right. I believe I have a higher claim to that computer than you do. What would you tell me in that circumstance? I don't know what I would actually say, but I suspect I'd probably lock my door and and sure, protect right. my you, computer. You, right. That, see, so that's what I mean. You, so the idea of, of course, you want to protect it, right? So it, that, that's I think intellectual honesty is important here because when we are um, answering these questions, we it really comes down to uh, thinking of you know putting ourselves in the position of the actee. But right. that's so my point. Circumstances, do you is if everybody agreed, if everybody on the planet, that's my point. Universality, universe, yeah, universality doesn't translate to a, a, a third part, a, a third party reality. In other words, if every single person on the planet said I would protect my computer, okay, everybody without exception, that still doesn't mean that if a guy gets born tomorrow who says, you know what, I'd let you have my computer, it doesn't mean that he's doing something immoral or invalid the, because everybody agrees with it only means that to each person's morality we all share a well, common I'm perception but it doesn't mean that we can that there's that that means that this is some universal law that we can impose on somebody else to, to determine whether their actions are moral or immoral it doesn't mean that at all but you, you just said you would impose it you said you would lock your door and you would impose your of course, I I will yes, I will behave according to my morality. Yes, no, I will behave according to my morality. And yes, I will condemn you for behaving in a way that I think is not moral. But there is no third party arbitration that I can say you are you are in reality, if I can use Tyler's expression there, doing something wrong. All I can say is from my perception, you're doing something wrong. And that's the and that's the only authority that it carries.
Yeah, and I think I think what I think you're correct in what you just said, and I think all Tyler is saying is taking the truth of what you just said is that it really is what is right or wrong for the use of your equipment and your body is really only naturally logically up to you. As you said, there can be no third party. But no, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that there is a third party. Well, absolutely. Well, let me. No, no, no. Let me. Let me. If I may, just continue the thought. <laughs> yeah, sure. I, I want to get yeah. the thing. Yeah, I'm sorry. The, um, no, it's okay. I know you're you're a fair. Uh, I appreciate the way you interact. So. Um, but it, so I think you're absolutely correct. But the, the, I think the reason there can be no third party is because it is a it would be a fallacious notion, right? Like who could decide what I want to do better than me, right? So if you want to interact with my physical body, the only way you could properly obtain that well, access uh, to my body or the fruits of my own is to convince you that it's right, your best to do that. Exactly, right. to convince me that it is in my well, interest. We, we 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 can agree. Let me clarify. You know, we could agree that there's not a third party in man. I think maybe we can all agree that that man can't decide for other men, or you know, let me let me broaden it. Humans can't decide right. for other humans what what right and wrong is. And but the point that I'm making is the third party that you guys are throwing out the window is reality itself. The fact that I inhabit a body. Gives no, me the right to in no. inhabit that body without being harmed by others. <laughs> other people, yes, it does because because of that reality. This is this is something I'm observing to be true based on what that which has occurred. Yes, reality is right. that you're, which has undergone, saying, undergone the formality right. of actually you're occurring. You're saying that you have the right. Let me see if I can. You're saying that you have the right because everyone affords you that right. No, it's not up to people. This is a this is a natural law, something that exists in reality, and it's something that can be observed. It's not. It's a science. It's not something that I'm saying. This is something that I'm observing, and that can be observed in reality. That people inhabiting a body, yes, have the right to be in that body without being harmed. So morality mm -hmm. is based on that fact. Morality is based on rights and wrongs. But that's and what not is, an what is, what thing. Is a, what is a right? Wait. A right is something that you can do that doesn't cause harm to other Wait. individuals. You're so saying that it's an observed right. thing, but it's not an observed thing. Well, I mean, is, I'm sorry, I, I don't have to look very far to see lots of people that get born into bodies and they get harmed all the time. So to say that they have the right not to be whoa, harmed whoa, whoa, because whoa, that's whoa. an so observed thing. I'm not thing. saying that harm doesn't occur. Harm well, absolutely then, occurs. Harm occurs in reality then, all so around why, us. So then why are you saying day, that they but, have a right not to be harmed based on what? Okay, so it's, again, We're based on reality. Behavior, so we have to go back and discuss if reality exists or not. If we want to get into that discussion no, of if there is a reality or not. No, is there such a thing as, the, as something that is occurring because, right now? Because something exists. It, let's, let's, just, let's, let's not even go there. Let, okay, we'll all stipulate that there's a reality. If just because something exists is not the same thing as to say it is a right. It is a happenstance. It is what is, but that doesn't make it a right. Uh, it, that doesn't make sense. I mean, a flower grows, a weed grows up in my rose garden. It, the fact is it's there, but the fact that it's there doesn't mean it has a right to be there. That, that's, the two are not the same thing. I have a question for Carl whenever, uh, if, if, if when, whenever I stop running off the mouth. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Yeah, no, 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 you didn't. I'm sorry, did I did I step on your words? No, you didn't step in at all. I was kind of good. I did that on Tyler. I'm sorry. Oh, good, yeah. I um so so it sounds like if I'm hearing you correctly, it sounds as though 
because on the one hand, in my observation, you appear to conduct yourself what I would define morally. I have not seen you. Uh, well, I have seen you advocate the use of violence against other people. But I haven't seen you use it. But I think many people could be excused for the former because of the confusion around this issue. But just come after my computer. When, you, when you're deciding in your own life, when you're deciding, um, when you're faced with a quandary of over whether to uh, uh, aggress against someone else sure. or their property, like how, how do you make that decision yourself? Or is it just based on the opinion of the ambient crowd? It's not based on the opinion of the crowd, but I, but I definitely would say that each situation is going to, going to elicit a, a, potentially a different response. Sure, but um, I'm saying like, what, what's the process by what, what's the principle by which I don't, you, I don't, I don't know that there is. Here, well, you know, taking out physical violence today, basically. Yeah, I think taking out physical violence is unfortunately one of those times when we're not always thinking rationally; we're just reacting emotionally. But if, if, if I guess if I have to answer it, sort of armchair quarterback that. Um, you know, I, I think that there are circumstances where I would feel comfortable using violence. I would feel comfortable sure, using violence to protect somebody. I would feel comfortable using a limited form of violence to 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 stop somebody from doing something that I thought was was wrong or was harming somebody no. else. What, I would. So it would yeah. be all defensive. It sounds like basically not. You would not initiate violence. I don't know. Again, I, I I can't I can't answer that until I'm in the situation. So if you put me if I put if you put me in some war torn country where I had absolutely nothing. Um, yeah, I might go rob. A, I might go rob a grocery store. I might steal a loaf of bread out of somebody's hand if it was a matter of him eating versus I'm me eating. I don't know though until I'm actually there. So, yeah, and and I, I would use an example like, for example, if a, if, a, if myself or a loved one were truly starving to death, like I probably would, uh, you know, before I would expire or see my loved one expire, I, I might steal a loaf of bread in that circumstance. But I, I wouldn't consider that right. I would just say I have aggressed against my fellow man on a limited basis, but in this instance, but I, I would not, I would not sanctify. Go ahead. Okay. I, I would like to jump in actually make a distinction from something you guys just said there. Um, and that would be the difference between force versus violence. So okay. violence is, is a violation. And, I, and I'm sorry, Carlton, because if we can't get past the difference between somebody not being, you know, having the right to not be harmed, the non-aggression principle. If we can't agree on that, then a lot of the discussion really doesn't, it's really actually not even relevant. No, we do. The thing, the thing um, is, we do agree but, about that. But all I'm saying, though, is all I'm saying, I mean, we do agree about that. I don't, I'm not challenging you on whether or not I think that that's a valid moral principle. I do. All I'm saying is it, 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 it's not reified. It's not something that I can demand of somebody else to see that way. That's okay. all I'm saying. Okay. And, and so maybe we can build from there then. I mean, we can, we can agree to disagree there and then build to, from there and say, you know, we can extrapolate further, but, 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 but to say that, um, you know, there is no third party as in there is no baseline consensus of what morality is ties right back to your opinion so you agree with the fact that nobody else should be harmed you agree with this moral um standard or was yeah. you're considering it a standard well, but you it's did, my, you, it's you, my you, morality, you don't yes. feel you don't feel that it's a universal thing. i don't feel like no i don't feel that there's any okay. way if 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 oracle didn't hold to that 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 precept I don't think that there is any authority that I can hold over his head to say, well, you should because it's right. All I can do is convince him that I see it that way and here's why. But I can't say he's wrong in, in from his perspective. And there's, there's no 
there is no external moral authority that I can use to say he's he's incorrect. I can simply disagree with, you know, his way of looking at things. I know that sounded that yeah, sounded very yeah, close to the same thing, the but way, I didn't mean it that I way. See it as, I see. I think the moral authority. I guess the way I think of it is that the moral authority is distributed. Essentially, it's democratized uh, natural by way of it natural is. order. Yeah, I, I think and it is. That that authority has been vested in the vessel uh, of your physical body, and and only you know some people will suspend themselves from hooks from the ceiling for pleasure. Right? Other people might find that to be torture. So, the difference between assault. And boxing right. is consent, right? From the difference between lovemaking and rape is consent. Like from space, they they might look I, exactly the I same. I would agree. Some circumstances. Um, so it's it's the, the only logical uh, answer to this quandary, because of course, if there is an external authority, let's suffice it to say, none of us appear to be in communication with it. So yeah, we are left to solve this problem as human beings on our own. And I observe through scientific method that. People who do not initiate force against their fellow man tend to live more peaceful, happier existences as do the people around them. And so I simply observe this as a cultural scientist. And I notice that the most peaceful civilizations tend to be the happiest and most prosperous and the most peaceful people tend to be. Exactly. uh, You know, so it just it just seems to make a lot of sense. And then the question is, well, how do we become peaceful? And I think what Tyler's getting at is that there's a cognitive virus that has run rampant through humanity that has allowed us to otherwise extremely well-meaning people to sort of accidentally be uh, find themselves in the position of advocating some fairly um, uh, violent and and horrible things that that in many cases they're so disconnected from that uh, they don't even know it occurred you know for example if i were to ask for uh, free cell phones from the government you know there's always the case of the the marginal taxpayer, you know, the person that was just, but for that little increment, they were just hanging on, right? Like just hanging on to that house. And now this little bit of an extra tax is the difference between being $50 ahead at the end of the month and $50 behind at the end of the month. And now they're unable to meet that requirement. So for the people who requested this quote unquote free service, they're now effectively uh, you know, tacitly and, and unknowingly, you know, there's certain, I don't believe anyone's wanting this to happen, but the reality is that that bill has to be paid and the, the, well, the, that bill is handed to someone else. And if they can't pay it, then they're yeah, asked. To I don't, I don't have any problem. With that. If they I, want to leave their domicile and they're ushered I, into their, their I actually think Tyler and I probably I think are, I think we agree far more than we, than we disagree. And I think our disagreement is simply over, Maybe maybe hair splitting on on the word choice. I don't know, but activist activist says God doesn't like that. I said, you know what, activist? I'm far more worried about Oracle coming from my computer than I am God. So, <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I said I'm far more worried that you might come from my computer than I am that oh, God's no, going to punish I'm a, me. I'm a peace, I'm a peace okay, man. so if as you hear as well, if if there is no baseline morality. Then the problem is, is that we and we just highlighted this, so I'm just re-going over what was just said. Yep. We empower man to decide for us what is right and wrong, whether it be through government, whether it be through religion, whether it be through social pressure. Not for we, us. We, we empower them. we empower these groups to decide for us what is correct no. and what is not correct. No. And they do because that's right. what legislation is. And it's, it's not forced, no. it's whoa, used whoa, whoa. through the, hold on, let me finish. I, I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm not God. able to I'm ever sorry. make a point because I can't finish out my thought. I'm sorry, God. So if we empower these groups of people to decide what's right and wrong for us, 
they do force us to abide by what they have decided what's right and wrong. So, for example, we can use examples like prohibition on drugs or the war on drugs or the prohibition on alcohol as an example of me. I can decide for myself that using alcohol is perfectly okay and moral to me. I can also recognize that through my use of alcohol, I'm not causing harm to anyone else around me. I can yep. easily extrapolate. I mean, I could. I could definitely potentially use alcohol and then go harm someone, but that's different than just using, having a couple drinks and going to, to bed at night. I don't see that as immoral. And through my, uh, like um, the previous guest who dropped off just said, um, through my extrapolation of reality and scientific method of just the fact that I have the right to do what I'd like to do with my body based on the fact that I own my body, then I, I, I'm perfectly fine with having that drink. But there were groups of people during a certain time period that thought that they were suddenly empowered to come and bang down my door and throw me in a cage for making that decision. Now, if we don't know the difference between right and wrong as a society and we empower large groups of people to decide for us and enforce their morality upon us, then then this is what we get. We get um, immoral things such as throwing people in cages happening and then people agreeing that it's okay. We get chaos. That's chaos, basically. We get large groups of people wandering around the planet. We have the United States currently, you know, invading countries that have not aggressed against us and deciding that we somehow have the right to invade and aggress against them, even though they haven't aggressed against us. So it's violating the non-aggression principle, which is in violation of the very basic point that I'm making here, that there is, you know, a right to inhabit your body without being harmed. And also you do not have the right to harm other people, which is the non-aggression principle, right. which is what the discussion is based on. For me, it's the non-aggression principle that I'm I, getting at the point that man does not create the difference between right and wrong. I think no. Where I disagree, I, I, I think there's two things I disagree with here. Um, I agree with most of them, though, most of what you said. But I think there are two things. First of all, I think we are, we are, we are blending the notion of morality and civil law. And I, and I think they are, they are distinct. So while I, while I agree with you, that people let's in power. Let's go to the can, definition then. Wait a minute. Well, well, define morality then. Well, I will. I will. I, I'm going to. I, I, but I think while we can agree that a group of people can be in power and they can effect legislation to push their moral views on everybody else, okay? They, what they can't do is they can't make that somebody else see things or believe things are more they can't change those people's morality all they can do is limit what it is they can or cannot do legally now i might as you pointed out i might disagree with what they do i might find what they are doing itself to be immoral right and, you know as you, and, you know, like you pointed out maybe prohibition maybe it going to war there could be a lot of situations i mean that's what the vietnam war was all about um, I, I think that I can find them to be immoral, and I can certainly challenge their actions. But again, no matter how much power they have, they can't change nor affect my morality, right? I find nothing immoral about a prostitute offering sex for money. That said, in most places, it's still illegal. Now, it's probably illegal, like you pointed out, because the people who made that law 
think of it as being immoral. But that doesn't change how I still view it. I mean, it means I can't participate in it without going to jail. And I might have a problem with that notion. But it doesn't mean that my morality about it has been forced to change. Yes. And not only does it not change your morality, you know, but it also doesn't change the morality in reality, you know. Right. In reality, the legislation doesn't change the difference between right and wrong. And that's the point that we're making here. I mean, right. that I'm for, getting I know. At, for me. Okay. Sorry. Is that man, man cannot create the difference between right and wrong. So if, if we define moral, it's relating to the principles of right and wrong behavior. It's not relating to some obfuscated, far out idea that's hard to grasp and that, you know, we need these institutions and priest class to decipher the words of God down to us, you know, regular people in order to determine what the difference between right and wrong is. That's all been obfuscated in, and in my opinion, intentionally, thus my wording of the title of the discussion. It's been occulted on purpose so that people don't understand the difference between right and wrong. But moral is not, uh, you know, the difference between moral and, and, I guess, civil law or common law, you know, I guess you can split hairs there as well. But I would just define moral as relating to the principles of right and wrong in behavior. So it's a right is an action. A right is not just an object. It's, it's a noun. It's an, it's an action. A right is something that you do. So it's a behavior that you take. It's either a, a right, which it's a correct, which means that, that it's moral action, or it's wrong. Thus, it's, it's, it's incorrect. Thus, it's a wrong yes. doing. I so right and I, a right and, a, and, and your rights are the same word. It's the same thing that we're talking about. What you have the right to do is what's moral. So what, what your actions no. are are what is moral. So that is based in property because rights are derived from property. What's correct is derived in property because that's what we have. I happen to own property by the fact that I come into this body, thus What's right is based on my property because my property is mine. I own 100% of my property. There is nobody else in on this planet that can make a claim of ownership on my property. However, this however, there's people that do make claims of ownership on my property. And that is incorrect because, you know, they don't have the right to make a a mandatory claim of ownership on my property. That's called slavery. If we if we make a claim of 100% of someone, someone's property and we, we claim to own that person, then that's what we all recognize as slavery. And there is no magical percentage that you can reduce that down to that's not violating that right of that person to own their property without it being you know forcefully extorted through government or through taxation or through... Um, you know, coerce, coercive behavior. But if we don't understand the difference between what right and wrong is, then we may just allow these things to occur. We might even advocate for these things to occur to other people and we'll pretend that we can create what's right based on what we write down. But rights are not derived from what man writes down on pieces of paper. Rights are based in natural law. Rights are based in the, 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 the moral law that is written in the reality that we exist that can be recognized through the scientific method is a science. It is not something that is um, opinion uh, subjective based on people's opinions. Um, 
the, the fact that I own my body is not my opinion of that scenario. It's not my observation that I own my body. That's a, a, the fact of reality that I've come to conclude based do, on my perception. Do, do well, animals, I would agree that you do own your body, and as such, you have certain rights to it. But where you're saying that ownership comes into play, that's not where we get our rights. And we don't get our rights from mankind either. Our rights come straight from God. Uh, and our founding fathers knew that as well. And you know, it says in the documents, founding documents, that we are bestowed with certain inalienable, I can't say it, rights. And those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yes, and they're not granted by man, and they're immutable and inherited. But, you know, and I have no problem using the word God. If you could uh, mute your microphone, we're getting major feedback. Oh, sorry about that. Turn down your uh, speaker. But I have no, I have no problems with using the word God. I, I personally just define it as the creative force in the universe. I'm personally not an atheist. And this is where your rights come from. And again, rights are an action. Rights are, are based in action. They're based in what you have the right to do. It, it's based in behavior. Morality is based in behavior. And again, it's not something that man can legislate. Even by writing it down on a constitution is redundant because rights exist in nature. It's an immutable thing that you inherit by coming into existence, by coming into a body. So it's not something that we need to write down. Writing it down is redundant because if we can recognize that it exists in reality, we don't need to go and write it down because that's just writing down that which is. That wholeheartedly. You know, I don't need to go write down, you know, this the sun came up this morning. That doesn't make it true. The sun came up this morning regardless of me writing it down or not. That I could agree with you. But what happens if you write it down that the sun's coming up in the morning? But tomorrow morning, you've been imprisoned and put in a cave uh, by somebody who forced you in there. If we don't have some way of actually stating here is our rights and you have this right to do something and you can go no further beyond this line, it's my rights. And that's what happens. Those uh, uh, lines are blurred or, or just uh, erased away altogether. Exactly. And that's the point that I'm making here. If, if people don't understand the definitive difference between right and wrong, which can be understood and it's not that complicated, then those groups of people could end up causing, you know, getting uh, they could they could cause uh, large amounts of harm to groups of other people. Um, un unknowingly or knowingly, uh, based on their belief in the fact that that man has the right to create what's right um, on the fly through legislation and through consensus reality, which is incorrect. And so the belief system that we have in society, though, is that, you know, I don't have the ability to go and extort money from my neighbor. I cannot go force my neighbor to give me 30% of his paycheck, let's say. Um, I can also not go rally up a bunch of my other neighbors and you know, since my neighbor won't give me his 30%, get more people together and, and then use that force to, to kind of coerce him into doing it because now we're forcing him to um, give his labor to us. We None of us hold that right. Not you, not I. 
I don't have that right to use violence and coercion and aggression against other people. But somehow, through this magical belief system um, in authority, basically, people feel that they can grant those rights to other people. So people are fine with advocating for government to go and force other people to give them 30 to 40 to 50 percent of their income. And that's fine to be held under the threat of violence and coercion and threat of being thrown in a cage under these circumstances somehow. Um, but in reality, no one can actually uh, properly grant rights to others that they don't, first of all, hold themselves. So if in the first place, I didn't hold this right myself to be able to extort property from my neighbor, then there's no way that I can properly actually grant that right to a large group of of, of people called government. And so if I don't understand the basic difference between right and wrong behavior, though, and that's been obfuscated or occulted, as I've titled this talk, um, and in my opinion, it's been intentionally occulted in order to get large groups of people to go along with the controllers that wish to utilize them as basically units of energy to carry out their agenda. Um, if these people don't understand the basic difference between right and wrong behavior, how will they know what to say wrong to, what to say no to? How will they discern what, when to finally put the foot down? If they think that each individual walking around is somehow creating what's right and wrong in their own head, or that man is creating right and wrong by writing it down through legislation, um, or that a priest class of religious priests is creating what's right and wrong based on what they're deciphering through the books and deciphering through their prophecy, then uh, how will we as individuals be able to discern what's right and wrong if we don't understand this basic, um, very basic definition of what morality is, which is, again, based in right and wrong behavior. Morality is based in right and wrong behavior. So, Rights are derived from property. Property is what you own, and the first thing you own is your body. Go no, ahead. No, unfortunately, that's not where they come from. Uh, because, again, if you have somebody that's in a position of uh, not being able to go out there, uh, crippled or handicapped in some way, what do they own? They don't own nothing. So the fact is we are endowed by our creator with these rights, not by property. God gave us these rights, and we are supposed to stand up to whatever government it may be to keep our rights. Now, I did agree with some of the stuff you were saying that, um, again, we've been forced into doing a lot of things. Uh, you know, when we had the uh, revolution from the, uh, the big pond, from the people across the big pond, well, heck, they were only taking like 25% of our income. Now, we're sitting back and we're getting hit with 40, 50 percent, depending on what tax bracket you're in. And yet we don't even bat an eye. Why is that? Because we know that the government owns, here's your ownership area, the government owns bigger and better weapons than the citizens hold. And now here comes the issue. If we were trying to do something like set up a, a revolt, then we have no chance of winning that because we have allowed our weapons to be degraded and taken away from us. And now the only but only person that holds real weapons is the government. True. And I'm not, I, I'm not splitting hairs. You know, you know, you're, you're using wording of God granted us our rights and I have no problem with that. I, I don't necessarily use that phrasing because of the, uh, I don't know, the abrasiveness, I guess. Um, I'd rather just 
say, you know, that your rights, yes, are a part of natural law, that natural law is what um, not grants you your rights, because, again, a, a right is an action. A right is based in behavior. It's based, you know, a right is an action. So if you are taking an action that ends up causing harm to another individual, then it's not a right. If you are taking an action that ends up causing harm to another individual, then it's a wrong. And that's all that morality is. Morality is based in, does it cause harm to somebody else? Then it's a wrongdoing. If it doesn't cause harm to somebody else, then it's a right doing. And it's each individual can have their own moral compass. I'm not saying that that's not possible. But what I'm pointing out is that in reality, there is a baseline difference between what right and wrong actually is. It's not something that's all that complicated. And it's also something that most people just don't want to hear. The human ego does not like definitive statements. It does not like someone coming along and definitively telling them that there is a difference between right and wrong behavior and then explaining what that is. Um, but this is not my opinion. It's not my, it's not me saying this, that there, that the, the right is something that doesn't cause harm to somebody and that wrong is something that does. This is, um, what I've come to observe and know through observing reality around me and through empirical evidence of being in a body and happening to observe these laws around me. So, um, the reason why this has been occulted is because if you don't understand the difference between right and wrong, then how are you going to stand up against that tyranny that the previous caller was talking about? Um, when will you decide to finally put your stake in the ground and stand up to what is actually be a wrongdoing that's occurring? Or what will you just tolerate? And if you've been taught to believe that man creates the difference between right and wrong, and that man can suddenly just create the difference between right and wrong based on writing it down on paper, and that one day, you know, a person can have a certain substance in their pocket and be driving down the road versus the next day, man can suddenly throw you in a cage for having that same substance, uh, maybe in a different boundary or crossing a different state line or something did that action actually become immoral now that there's a certain group of people around there that think they can throw you in a cage for having a particular substance for example or did that action always remain moral and it's only the other person who's mistaken to think that they have somehow have the right to harm your property by throwing you in a cage and you know finding you or whatever And law forbids us from doing the wrong things that tend to destroy that social harmony. But law is more than the policeman on the corner, more than the courthouse where our laws are enforced, more than the jail where lawbreakers are punished. Law is one of three forms of law which regulate our daily lives. Custom, what we usually do. Moral code what we should do, and law, what we must do. Now, just how do these social controls affect us? Well, in the teen canteen in our town, we'll find part of the answer to that question. You see, 
The canteen is always busy early in the evening. But on weeknights, the crowd thins out gradually. So when the clock approaches closing time, things quiet down in a hurry. The club has its own laws about closing and the members obey them. After closing time, you won't find anyone there, except for the three members whose turn it is to clean up. But did I say three? Just us, Betty? Aren't there always three on the cleanup committee? Yes. I wonder who's missing. If it's that Jack McGregor again. It is. I've heard he always ducks out early. Bad enough with three to clean out. But only two. And he's supposed to be business manager of the canteen. You know, Betty, I'm going to bring this up at the business meeting tomorrow. I'll show that Jack McGregor. I meant to tell you and Betty, honest, Jane. My dad insisted that I be in the house by 11 o'clock. Can't you explain to him? He wouldn't want you to run out in your responsibility, would he? Take it easy. Getting anywhere this way, staying to clean up is a problem with a lot of us. Even though I'm the chairman of the canteen, I've had to skip cleanup duty to keep from being out too late. See, maybe weeknights we ought to close the canteen earlier. You'll never get anyone to agree to that. I don't know. Maybe that is the answer. Tell you what. Let's meet again and we can have our advisors in to help us work this thing out. As you know, our civic association has been with you from the start. I believe I can speak for the association and as your advisor in recommending that it would be very wise for you to close the canteen on weeknights at 10.30 instead of 11. After all, that's customary in our town. The drug stores, the ice cream stores, most of the places of business are closed by that time, and, well, it seems to me that you might close, too. The theater stays open later than 11. But we're not a theater. Some people may question our behavior when we keep the canteen open till 11. I don't think it's right for us to stay out so late. Who's to say what's right? We know what's good for us. Nobody has to stay here till 11, just because the canteen is still open. There's no law that says you have to stay or you have to go. You're a lawyer, Mr. Parks. There's no law, is there? No, Jack, I don't think there is. Now. But I have heard people talking about your late hours here. You'd better realize that the town could pass a law which would compel you to close at 10.30 or 10 or even 9. You see, whatever the community decides is best for itself usually becomes law. The community? Well, aren't we part of the community? Well, of course you are, Jack. But thinking of the community as a whole... Well, I wouldn't like to see our town pass a curfew law, as some other towns have. Don't you think it would be better for the community and for you if the canteen were to pass its own law to close weeknights at 10.30? And so Jack is learning about social control. It's customary, said Mrs. Brown. It's right, said Jane. It's the law, said Mr. Parks. Yes, they can all see how these social controls, custom, moral code, and law have always played a part in the activities of the teen canteen. Here, as in our general society, there are a great many customs, and we accept them.
Customs of dressing. We're neat and clean. Customs of courtesy. We're thoughtful of others. What happens if we violate a custom? It isn't serious. Perhaps we simply lose a little prestige. Nevertheless, customs do control us. We make a habit of following them. And then there are moral codes, sometimes called the mores. These are society's standards about what we should and should not do. They are more deeply ingrained in us. We simply don't cheat in games. We and the society in which we live think that's the proper way. In the canteen, there's no drinking or gambling. That's in line with the moral code of this group. And what happens if we break the moral code? He loses social status. He no longer belongs. He's an outcast. And then there's law. Let's return to that business meeting where a new law or rule has been under consideration. It seems we have four good reasons for setting the closing time of the canteen at 10.30 on weeknights. For the convenience of the cleanup committee, we need an earlier closing hour. Then there's the custom in the town. And some feel that it's not right for us to stay out late. Finally, we want to be sure that we stay within the laws of the town so that we can continue to govern ourselves without outside interference. With all these reasons, I'm sure the majority of canteen members will vote for 10.30 closing. What do you say? I think it's the only thing to do. I'll agree. Well, we're only advisors. You make your own laws. But I think you'll find that your new law is a good law. Law is a whole body of rules for our conduct made by representatives of the people and enforced by established means. We all know that there are many don'ts in the laws we make. Law prohibits what the majority decide is wrong. Law directs what is agreed to be right. Laws require you to go to school so that you and society will benefit. And laws provide the schools for you to attend. Thus every day you come in contact with social controls, with custom, with moral code, and with law. Suppose this were you. What social controls affect you? Well, in your family, and your school, and your church. In your whole community there are customs and moral codes which guide your actions. Many of these customs and mores are enacted into formal law. The town or city in which you live has laws which control you. There are state laws passed and enforced by state government. And the federal government in your name makes laws which affect you. And we are hopefully working toward a still higher level of law. The law of nations united for world peace. You are guided by all these laws and controls. The new law for closing at 10.30 was agreed upon by a majority of the members of the teen canteen. It's a good law because it agrees with the customs, the moral codes, and the laws of this group and of this community. In a democracy, 
Such laws and social controls belong to the people who live under them. These laws are yours to make wisely, to change intelligently, to understand and live by.
Then he picked up the pool stick and started beating everybody up. He made his point. And he made his point. George White was not a man of understatement or subtleties. His boss at OSS, Stanley Lovell, referred to him as deadly and dedicated. In this note from White's diaries, it says, Call Lovell regarding TD. TD was a rather transparent cover for Truth Drug. George White worked with the Truth Drug Committee here at St. Elizabeth's Hospital in the nation's capital. They experimented with mescaline, scopolamine, and marijuana on unwitting victims. The committee soon learned there was no easy panacea, no truth drug at this stage. But White and later colleagues would not stop crying. The goal remained the same. As this 1952 CIA memo says, the aim is controlling an individual to the point where he will do our bidding against his will and even against such fundamental laws of nature as self-preservation. So, we're going to be talking about really the fundamental thing that is causing the loss of human freedom. And as sad as it is to make this statement, here's as simple as it gets. Human freedom is being destroyed and lost at the rate that it is being destroyed and lost at for one basic overarching reason. Human beings, unfortunately, have come to a point in their consciousness where most of them no longer know the difference between right and wrong. That's it, folks. That's it. If you want to know why the events that are happening are happening, that is the causal factor right there. They do not know, not believe or think or just have an opinion about. They do not definitively know the difference between right and wrong. And there is such a thing. And I want to make a real hard, definitive statement here. Any spiritual teacher that is not telling people that there is a definitive objective difference between right and wrong is a fraud or a deceiver. They are a fraud or a deceiver. Okay? Or both. Or sadly, they're a, a useful dupe who really doesn't know the difference themselves and is trying to make a buck. Okay? So let me be as plain and as clear about that as I can. The people who are telling anybody out there that there's no such thing as really a difference between right and wrong and, oh, this is just further polarizing people and, you know, when we make it about right or wrong, uh, you know, we're adding to the problem wrong. There is such a thing as right and wrong. There is such a thing as objective morality. Okay? It is based in natural law principles. And when we started this show 78 weeks ago, one of the first things I talked about was the ideology known as moral relativism, which is destroying the people of the earth. When I 
then went into all of the methodologies of mind control and helped people to understand that it is dark occultists who, who propagate all of these mind control methodologies. And what their ultimate religion is all based upon is moral relativism on the shows that I did on Satanism and dark Luciferianism. This is their foundational ideology, that there really isn't any such thing as right or wrong. It's all relative. It's all based on what we think, our preferences, based on the current situation at the time. And if you believe that, you are under mind control put there by dark occultists. If you believe that there is no such thing as objective right and wrong, you are under mind control. And that is the problem. That so many people actually believe in moral relativism. That's the problem with the people of Earth. And that's why the people of Earth are going in, into deep slavery. And I'm, I'm choosing my words very deliberately. Okay? And people will not like to hear this. They will rebel against this in whatever way they can. Because they want to abdicate personal responsibility to, to know the difference between right and wrong. And then to choose the right. They don't want that responsibility. They want to claim ignorance. I didn't know. I didn't know as I was uh, hoarding people into work camps that that was the wrong thing to do. I thought it was fine. I didn't know as I was signing off on all of these bad loans. I didn't know. I didn't know that I was basically telling, taking away these people's rights to speak and make their opinion, voice their, their, their uh, concerns and opinions, that I silenced them. I didn't know that was wrong. I was just doing what I was told. I was just following orders. I was just doing my job. How, how long are we going to let this fly as an excuse, as a people? We heard that at Nuremberg. The Russian secret police that worked under Stalin claimed that. It was, it's just a job. I wanted to keep working so I could feed my family. The Schutzstaffel who ran concentration camps were saying that. Well, our government was telling us it was okay. People behind all of the, these loan frauds and all of the, the, the rape of the economy are saying, oh, but my, my superiors are just telling me to do that. That's okay. That's company policy. And then they just do it because it's just pass the buck down the line. Just abdicate your own responsibility to know the truth, to know right versus wrong, and then choose right. They're trying to say, oh, no, we don't have that responsibility. That's someone else. I'm just a foot soldier, I'm just a person pushing a pencil, or I'm just a person carrying out the actions that my owner tells me to do. And we think that's acceptable, that that's okay for somebody to just continue to abdicate that personal responsibility and say, well, they're the ones actually doing these things, that they're not responsible for doing them. Nonsense. Bunk is what I say to that. And that's what you should say to that if you have any understanding about the real dynamic that's taking place here. You should call people on that. You should call their BS on that. Because that's exactly what it is. 
And it shouldn't fly in any kind of a moral society for someone to make claims like that, that they're not the ones responsible, even though they're the ones actually doing the action. Well, someone else told me it was okay. Think about this, folks. This is as common sense as it gets. See, because that's ultimately what we're talking about here today is common sense. That's a key phrase that's going to be coming up. So that's the dynamic. People really don't know the difference between right and wrong. They don't know what their rights are, and they don't know what their rights are not. And I told you when I started the section on natural law, I told you two things. And remember my words. This is the most deeply occulted information on the earth. And it's some of the most basic. But it is the most deeply hidden truth. You're never going to hear anybody talking about this on television. You won't hear this on the nightly news. Okay? You won't even hear it among some of the top alternative media. This is the most occulted information in the world. This is the information that the dark occultists who are running the show know and are using against people as a weapon and ultimately are trying to get people not to ever look at. This is what they want hidden from your sight, which is what the word occult means, hidden from sight. Okay, another form of mind control is trying to make one word associated with something that it's not really associated with at all. And one of the best forms of mind control is associating the word occult with evil. Because it means no such thing. It means hidden. Because it is hidden knowledge about objective morality and the workings of natural law. Which if you do not understand, you can only create chaos. You can never create a world that you want truly that you in which you live and are free from self-imposed suffering we're doing this to ourselves ladies and gentlemen no one else is doing this to us in our ignorance of morality and natural law we are creating this heinous hideous situation of the loss of freedom and the slow spiraling descent into servitude we're doing it And it's being directed by clever people who know how these laws work and have subsequently hidden that knowledge and taken it out of general circulation. So we're going to talk about right and wrong and really get down to the true differences between these ways of being in the world. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. Don't go anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. back. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Cassidy. We're going to be getting down to the real causal factors of why humanity is experiencing that which it is. And it ultimately comes down to knowing the difference between right and wrong. And there is such a thing, and it is objective, and it can be known. 
and there are people who know it. And many people don't want to hear that. And again, they'll rebel against it. I told you to expect ad hominem attacks against me for stating these things. Because when people cannot refute something that is based in truth and based in principle, they will just attack the messenger. That's it. And it's always done by people who don't want the personal responsibility of knowing the truth, knowing right versus wrong, and then choosing the right. That's who always does that. They want to be absolved of the responsibility of having to choose the right when given the choice between right and wrong. They want someone else to choose that for them or and tell them, here's what you're going to do. Go do it. And they say, yes, I'll go and do that. And then they can blame it on this other person. And that's all it comes down to. And I don't care. Again, I told you, I don't care what time period in history we're talking about. That ideology, that way of being in the world, no matter what time period, no matter what people, no matter what land, is the ideology of a Nazi. I don't care whether you call them British redcoats. I don't care whether you call them people uh, in um, waging tribal war warfare against others just to eradicate uh, the opposing tribe in some region in, in Africa someplace. Okay? I don't care whether we're talking about communists. I don't care whether we're talking about um, any form of radicalized police state controllers, no matter where they were. Roman centurions doesn't make a difference. It's the same mind state. It's the same mind state. I'm going to do this whether it's right or wrong if I get something out of it. If somehow I benefit. It doesn't make a difference who I'm harming, who I'm hurting, who I have no right to be doing these actions to, I'm going to make the decision willfully to do it anyway. And 9.9 .9 out of 10 times, I'm going to point the finger externally when asked, why were you acting like that? You don't have any right to act like that. The action is wrong because it results in harm to someone else when you had no right to cause that harm. I'm going to point the figure and s finger and say, that person told me it was okay. And there's nothing anybody can say, no matter how much you want to say, say oh, I agree or disagree with politically what happened during that time of the world or why these actions were taken. Nobody can actually refute the wrongness in morality of the actions of these people and claim that they are not pointing the finger and saying, that person told me it was okay. Because they're a mindless follower. That's all it comes down to. And I'm, I want to be harsh about how I'm wording this. It's deliberate, harsh language. Because people need to get used to not hearing garbage, politically correct speak, speech. You need to hear hard, harsh language when it comes to evil. When it comes to deliberately choosing wrong. Just because you think you can get away with it. That's all these people's mentality is. 
And that's what a socially Darwinistic mentality is. There is no such thing as right or wrong, good or evil. It's what you can get away with. That's what moral relativism and social Darwinism is at its core. When we look at the words right and wrong, just the words, again, so much of what I do on here is get down to the actual meaning of the words. Okay? I consider myself a wordsmith. And if we really want to understand what's going on in the world, we need to look at words. Words are actually imbued with energy. They are sound energy that leave our mouths, that we generate. And therefore, there is a magical quality to words. And you could scoff at that, laugh at that all you want. This universe is created by sound energy. And when we speak, we are creating. In that sense, we are like the creator of the universe. Having been given that gift of speech. Because we can speak a world into existence that we extraordinarily benefit as a result of. Or we can speak a world into existence in which we live as slaves. The choice is up, is up to us. Because what we are, what we speak and what we listen to, that becomes who we are as a people. And unfortunately, what we've been listening to and what most of us have been speaking is pure garbage. And it doesn't take into account natural law principles. And it doesn't take into account other people's rights. Right and wrong as words. Just think of the words. Right. When you say the word right, depending on the context that you're using it in, it can mean either correct or moral. Two plus two equals, what's your answer? Four. You are correct. That is the right answer. It's a based in objective truth. He did the right thing, meaning he did the moral thing. What he did did not result in harm to others, meaning he chose right. Correctness means based in truth. And we use the same word for correct and moral. Moral means based in natural law principles. Not resulting in harm to others. That's what moral is. Yet the same word, right, we use in different contexts to represent both of these things. And there's a reason that we use the same word in English to represent both of those concepts, because those concepts are equivalence. There isn't any difference between those things. If something is based in truth, it is based in principle. Principles are always based in truth. And when we make a decision to act in accordance with true principles, not ones we think exist, which are really based in natural law, we have done the right thing. We have taken the right action. Therefore, we're specifically using this word right in both of these 
contextual situations, not by accident, because it's telling us that the correct thing and the right thing are the same thing. The correct thing and the moral thing are always identical to each other. Therefore, the more we know about truth, the more accurate our understanding is when it comes to what is true, the more moral our behavior will become. And again, if you don't think there is any such thing as truth and you're a solipsist, turn the show off because this show can do no good for you. If that's what you think and you're committed to staying at that position. If you go back to show number one is what I would say and understand the danger of solipsism, meaning the belief that truth can't really be known. It's all just a matter of opinion. And everybody has differing opinions. So you can't really ever really know the truth. That's called solipsism. And it's the most dangerous ideology out there. It is the antithesis of philosophy. It is not a philosophy. People who call it a philosophy don't understand the meaning of the word philosophy. Solipsism is not a philosophy. It is not based on the love of Sophia, the, the love of wisdom, the love of the goddess at all. It is an erroneous ideology that is based in ego. So on the other side of the break, we'll start looking at what the word wrong represents. Okay? Because we need definitive delineations, definitive definitions to understand the differences between these two polarities and why choosing one will get you one thing and choosing the other will get you something completely different. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. We're back, folks. This is What on Earth is Happening. We're at the top of the second hour. This is a short segment. So in this segment, I'm just going to concentrate on continuing to explain the difference between right and wrong. And it's sad that this is what needs to be done at this point in history. You know, I, I sometimes think it's even sadder that the task falls to someone like me. Because I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination ladies and gentlemen, I never claimed to be. I just said I had a high level of consciousness or awareness of what's really going on, both within me and around me, and in a wider global sense. But don't ever make the statement that I ever claimed that I'm any in any way some kind of a perfected being, because I am not. And, you know, when I think... The, look at the task I'm attempting to try to explain to people of the earth the difference between right and wrong. I don't always, you know, follow moral guidelines 100% perfectly. I attempt to do that, but no one is perfect. You know, we all fall into different forms of temptation or into doing different forms of wrong now and again. Some of us in greater degrees, much greater degrees than others. But, you know, no, I don't think anyone lives a perfect existence. And that's not what I'm saying anybody needs to do. We need to start choosing the right 
much more frequently than we choose the wrong. So when we look at the word wrong, we looked at the word right before the break, before the top of the hour. Now let's look at the word wrong. It means both. Incorrect, as in 2 times 3 equals 7. Incorrect. You gave the incorrect answer. Wrong. You're wrong. Not correct. Not based on truth. Not based on actual point of fact reality. Okay? And it also simultaneously means immoral when we use it in a different context. Well, that man raped that woman last week. He did something that is incredibly morally wrong. We'll talk about the transgressions of natural law, which is actually a much, once we have a solid understanding of those transgressions, we'll have a much better understanding of what our rights actually are and what they are not. So it's actually very important to look at what wrong is, moral wrong. We're going to do that today. Moral wrong is always actions that are not based in natural law, that are a violation or a transgression in some form of natural law. So we use the same word wrong to mean incorrect and to mean immoral. Not based in natural law. Because if our actions are based on things that are incorrect, that we believe in, that are not based in truth, then they will be immoral. They will create chaos. They will result in harm to other beings. That which is true and right is always going to be moral. The actions that are taken in that state will always be in harmony with natural law, and they will not result in harm to other living beings. Conversely, when we are wrong in our information, when we have not taken in enough information to make an accurate decision based upon its veracity or its level of truth, then we will act in an immoral state. And the actions that we take in that state of consciousness will always result in harm to others, and therefore they will always create chaos in the world. This is intricately interwoven into natural law and its expressions. To study one is to study the other. We'll pick this up on the other side of the break. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening on the Oracle Broadcasting Network. We're back, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Passio. Today, as we have been for the past many weeks, we are talking about natural law. Not the law of man, but the laws of nature. And how adherence to these natural principles are either going to result in order or chaos in our lives. And that they're not up to us because we didn't put them in place. The only decision that is up to us that we have free will over is how we will either live in harmony with those natural guiding principles or we will completely ignore them. 
Living in harmony with them will result in freedom and order and everything that we call good. Choosing to ignore them and continue to think that we just may do whatever we feel like doing based on likes or preferences or dislikes is only ever going to get us more and more chaos or what we call evil in our lives. Suffering, in other words. And that's just how it works. It's nothing to get upset about. It's, you know, nothing to rage against. It's how it works. These are just laws that are put into, a, into effect by creation. But see, the ego wants to think it's the highest thing in creation. It doesn't want to accept that there's any higher power or force in the universe. It wants to be all-powerful. And it wants to say, no, you can continue to do whatever you feel like doing, even if it's in violation of another's rights. That's not going to create more and more harm and more and more chaos and more and more evil in the world, even though that's exactly what it does. And then the ego wants to say, you could just point a finger and say, that person made you do it, or you didn't know. Claim pure ignorance, as if that will somehow absolve you of that wrongdoing. So what it all ultimately comes down to, we just took a look at the words right and wrong. What it all ultimately comes down to is knowledge. And here's another place where I'll tell you new age proponents and, you know, this, the new age movement teachers will tell you it doesn't, knowledge doesn't matter that much. Once again, pure bunk and anybody trying to sell you that there, that there's a way to freedom without going through knowledge is a liar, a liar. That's why the path of knowledge, the sefer, the, the, the hidden sephirot, the one that is not actually a sephirot on the tree of life, okay, one of the sephirot on the tree of life, is called dat, and it is the sphere of knowledge. And it's occulted knowledge. See, it's not quite on the tree. It's actually behind it. It is occulted and that's on the middle pillar. I'm referring here, of course, to Kabbalah. And you can go back into the uh, podcasts on the website to look at the shows, listen to the shows that we did on Kabbalah to understand how this is a powerful tradition to understand the self and natural law principles at work in the world. You're not going to get to the top of that tree that make that climb out of base consciousness to higher consciousness without learning, without understanding the difference between truth and fantasy, understanding the difference between right and wrong, understanding the difference between love and fear. That's what we're here to do. And there are no shortcuts New Agers want to tell you that there's magical shortcuts. There aren't any. It's hard work. It's not so overly complicated that you can't learn it or it can't be done because it's not ultra complex. There are simplicities to it. Don't oversimplify them. Take them for what they are and build upon them. But simple and easy are two different things, as I've said many, many times. The corner that we've painted ourselves into makes the job difficult and often dangerous at the point that we're at. 
but we let it get there. It doesn't mean that it's overly complex. Truth is basically simple. It's building blocks. And you assemble those, and from that assembly, you gain more and more understanding. So, what is this knowledge that we need? Of course, it is the knowledge of how natural law operates, which I've already said many times is the most occulted knowledge. And again, I said... The second part of this would be people will come out of the woodwork to attack this point because this is the ultimate solution. Again, we're not talking about the problem anymore, really. This is the solution to the problem. Coming to the the awareness of this information about natural law is the solution to humanity's problems, which is why the words natural law will never be talked about in mainstream media. This is what is the most deeply occulted knowledge, and that's also why you'll see people come out and attack anybody trying to put this knowledge into the consciousness of humanity. They will be, those individuals who are the messengers of these laws will be attacked. Ad hominem attacks will be launched upon them. Because this is what they do not want anybody to look at. All of the distractions of life, every forms that that these distractions take, entertainment, mindless, uh, inane trivia of all kinds, okay, are all put in place to get you to not ever take a look at this information. Because what they don't want truly developing in humanity is the the all-important concept that I have listed on slide number eight which is conscience. Because if conscience is truly born in human beings, the new world order falls flat on its face, the dark new world order. No dictator, no dictatorship can ever work with beings that truly have conscience born in them. That truly know the difference between right and wrong consciously actively, willfully and are going to make conscious, active, willful decisions to choose the right and not choose the wrong. That is what conscience is. It comes from the Latin language. Con is a prefix in Latin meaning together or with. And then the second part of the word, which is obviously the word science, which is where we get the word science from the verb sciere in Latin, scio sciere, which means to know or to understand. Which means you're not going to get to the truth. You're not going to get to freedom without truly knowing or understanding. And not just individually, but together. Because conscience means to come to a place of knowing together. True knowing, knowledge understanding it is common sense that's what conscience means knowing together common sense and that's why they want to hide the basic principles of natural law its expressions its effects in our lives from us they don't want anybody looking at that the most occulted knowledge there is because they don't want common sense developing. 
We'll be right back. Don't go anywhere, the folks. Oracle You're listening to Water. Broadcasting Radio Network is on a... Welcome back, everyone. This is What on Earth is Happening. I'm your host, Mark Tassio. We've been talking about natural law, morality, how these things all are inextricably connected to the dynamics of human freedom. And unless we understand that, we're navigating blind and we're going to be condemned to eternally be slaves here on this planet. If we do not understand these principles. So we looked at conscience and what it really is. And conscience has everything to do with knowledge. Because in order to make the right moral decision, you need accurate information. You need to be able to choose the factually correct information in order to make the morally correct decisions. It's axioms, okay? Fundamental principles that we then apply. So if you believe that 2 plus 2 equals 5, and you accept that as a fundamental axiom, a given truth, and then you start doing all arithmetic operations based on that axiom, when you then get to multiplication, division, etc., and higher forms of math, your answers will be completely, completely, in orders of magnitude, wrong. You'll never be even close to getting the accurate answer. And then if you make your decisions based on those answers, more and more chaos will emerge. So it's not a matter of simply reforming the system we already have. We need to go back to the fundamental axioms upon which our worldview is based. And one of the first solutions that I say that we need to enact, in my list of solutions anyway, is a worldview healing and we can't do that until we completely reevaluate the fundamental axioms upon which our worldview is based. And I'm telling you folks, the worldview of most of the people out there is based on the fundamental axioms of moral relativism. And that's why until that is completely abandoned, we're not creating anything here except chaos. The end for all time. I mean, you're free to believe otherwise but that's never going to make it true and you're never going to be able to create chaos that way, uh, create order that way. It will never ever happen for as long as anyone lives. You will only ever create chaos. So conscience is what they don't want people to arrive at as we saw in slide number eight. They don't want common sense. They don't want the people knowing together. Knowing what? Knowing the truth about what's being talked about right here on this program. They don't want anyone knowing about how natural law operates. The occult controllers. 
They like the chaos that we create for ourselves. It makes us easier to control. More chaos breeds more fear, and the cycle starts all over again. These are fundamental laws of creation, ladies and gentlemen, and we need to wise up and understand how they work. The main thing that comes from developing conscience is to know your rights. To know not only what your rights are, but even more importantly, to know what your rights are not. And we have an entire segments of the population who think that they have rights that they don't have. Whole groups of people actually believe they possess rights that other people do not possess. And then base their actions on these non-existent rights. Think that they can do the actions that they're doing with impunity. In slide number nine, I explained the best way to go about understanding one's rights. And it's quite simple, actually. Okay? When we talk about rights and what they are, there, we have so many rights, we couldn't possibly list them all. There's so many things that we can choose to do. It's almost of infinite possibilities that would not infringe on the rights of other people. It would not cause harm to other living beings. So those things are all fall into the category of our rights. If you can do it and it doesn't result in harm to another being, you're allowed to do it. That's one of your rights. You are within your right to take that action because you have caused no wrong. You have engaged in no wrong or an action which results in harm. It is better to understand our rights in what is called the apophatic sense. And this is very, very critical. And I'm going to go into explaining what apoph apophysis is. Okay? And this is a critical term. We're going to look at it in the next slide. Actually, we're going to look at it very soon, right after I take this first point on slide number nine. Rights are best to be understood in the apophatic sense. And this generally means the negative sense. Okay, To know which actions are not rights because they cause harm. There are fewer actions that we do not have the right to take because we can define what harm of another living being is. And then we could say the actions that fall into the category that cause this harm to other living beings are not rights. And then, therefore, everything else is a right. This is done through the negative pathway to truth, a form of logical reasoning that involves negation, affirmation through negation called apophysis. Okay? So let's hold that slide there and let's jump ahead to 10 and then we'll come back to 9. Okay? And let's look at what apophysis is. This is slide number 10 now on the radio show page at whatonearthishappening.com or with the podcast. Okay? Apophysis is also known as apophatic inquiry. Okay? And it comes from the Greek language. The word apophysis in Greek comes from the Greek word apophani. 
Apophani means to say no. Or to say by not saying is another way of looking at it. Okay? To affirm something by negating something else. So, in other words, I think 9-11 is a great example of where apophysis has already been used. We can't tell you the exact events that occurred and how things exactly went down because so much of that knowledge is occulted, but we can rule out what the official story claims happened. We can negate that and in doing so come closer to the truth about the actual events of that day or the truth. Okay? So apophysis, it's a method of logical reasoning employed when given a limited set of possibilities, as in what actions are right, what actions are wrong, in order to arrive at knowledge, knowledge by way of the exclusion of known negatives. It's a process of elimination, in other words. It is describing what something is by explaining what it is not. We'll pick this up on the other side of the break. Don't go anywhere. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. We'll be right back. That's exactly what they want you to do, obey and not think for yourself. As masterfully expressed there by the teacher David Icke, as he's describing the scientific uh, allegory, the uh, science fiction allegory called They Live, there in that uh, break music. But going back to the concept that we were talking about before the break, uh, which is apophysis, or the negative pathway to the truth, in other words, okay? When you have a certain uh, set of possibilities that you are, you are exploring and trying to get the truth or to arrive at knowledge, okay, you can do this by the exclusion of known negatives, or in other words, to describe what something is by describing that which it most certainly is not. This was mostly practiced um, in the early uh, church history, and there are two schools of theology. Uh, one is known as the apophatic theology, which attempts to describe the qualities of the Creator by explaining that which what the, that which the Creator most certainly is not, or qualities which would not be embodied by the divine. Okay, so that's the apophatic. Um, Describing something in the apophatic sense, okay? <clears throat> As I've said, it's affirmation through negation is an easy way to look at it. The opposite of that would be uh, the cataphatic pathway to truth, which is attempting to directly describe what something is, as in cataphatic theology, okay? So apophatic inquiry. Arthur Conan Doyle, in his science fiction, expressed this beautifully. 
he said, made the famous statement that once you eliminate the impossible, whatever remains, no matter how improbable, must be the truth. And again, 9-11 comes to mind and is an excellent example of an apophatic inquiry. Okay, We may not have 100% of the um, data that we need, but we have enough to show that what is proposed in this ridiculous narrative called the official story is not true. Therefore, another explanation is most certainly much more logical and definitely warrants a new investigation. We can say what it is not and what it, it was not is the official story. Okay, The same thing can be applied to knowing what our rights are and what they are not. We need to take a look at what our rights are not in order to understand how we should behave in the world and to know what our rights actually are. Okay? So, I want to go back a slide now, to back to slide number nine, to get back to the pathway for knowing our rights. Okay? The first thing is, it's good to understand our rights in the apophatic sense, to know which actions are not within the scope of our rights because they cause harm to others. The second part of knowing our rights is to understand that natural law and morality hold true meaning they are in effect regardless of how many people are in the world. Okay? And this is one that people have a real hard time with because of ego. Ego gets in the way of understanding this one, folks. Big time. Okay? Because people will say, oh, well, given a small group of people, that's fine. But when you have a whole bunch of people doing that, that's going to create chaos. And the people who always talk against natural law and for the laws of man will always invoke the creation of chaos. When in fact, they're the ones who are creating the chaos through the advocation of their position. They don't understand that what man's law is doing can only create more chaos in the world. Yet they'll say natural law, allowing natural law to exist and just be in place, would create chaos. See, this is how man wants to be God. Man wants to unmake what creation has made and then remake creation in his image. This is what the ego is. That's the force of the ego, ladies and gentlemen. That's it. You want to know what ego really is, that's what it is. It's the force that will never say, I'm wrong about anything. It's the force that will never admit when they that... that being has actually committed a wrong and say, it was my fault. I did the wrong thing. I don't want to blame it on anybody else. I want to accept responsibility. The ego will never do that. Okay. And it will always try to invoke chaos if natural law gets to rule the day. Okay. You're crazy. You can never allow that. There would be chaos. Fear is always invoked. Instead of actually understanding the dynamic that causes order versus the dynamic that causes chaos, and then choosing the one that causes order, they're always trying to fear-monger and, and promote the idea to other people who clearly have no understanding of natural law that going in the direction of natural law is what's going to cause chaos, when in fact it's the other way around. So 
the, the population issue, here's how I tell people to look at it, okay? When in doubt as to whether an action is in harmony or disharmony with natural law, you want to visualize a scenario in which there are only two people. Visualize a scenario in which there is only two people and no external, external events actually getting involved and interfering with the interaction between these two people, and then look at the action. If that person has a right to take that action in a situation where there's only two people, then they have a right to take that action in a situation where there's 7 billion or 700 quadrillion people. Okay? If they do not have the right to take that action when there's only two people, they do not have the right to take that action when there's 2 billion, 2 trillion, or 2 Google people in the world. It wouldn't matter how many people ever exist. If a right does not exist in a one-on-one -on -one encounter, okay, Meaning, that person is not imbued with that right. They do not have the right. It is not actually inherent and was not actually granted by, the, by creation itself. No one can just suddenly claim that right and pull it out of thin air. Nor could they ever grant it to anyone else. Rights cannot be granted. Wrongs cannot be granted. No one ever can say, you are now allowed to do this. And that's, pro that's one of the big failings of this country. We created a system that advocates personal responsibility and tried to give a subset of individuals calling themselves government rights that other individuals don't have. For example, taxation. A perfect example in which the, fr the framers of the Constitution went completely against natural law principles and clearly did not ultimately know what right and wrong is, ultimately. And they chose wrong over right. Because in a one-on-one -on -one situation, one person cannot say to another person, I'm taking what you have, and I'm going to take a certain percentage of what you have, whether you feel that you can afford to give that to me or not. In a one-on-one -on -one situation, that would always be wrong. Yet, government, people who set up government, thinks that they're allowed to create a subset of people because there's a whole bunch of people in the world and we're going to give a subset of people this right that doesn't exist for any individual. Because it's theft, period, and very quite simply it's theft. Anybody that is, is so under mind control that they can't understand that taxation is theft, go ahead and continue to believe that it's not. You're delusional and you're fooling yourself. Of course it's taking from one person that you don't have a right to take from. It's always has been that since the dawn of time and always will be that. The ego needs to take a step aside to understand a lot of this information, folks. Many people will be angry at this and the tagline is get as angry as you want, get as offended as you want. Go put it on a t-shirt, okay? Get as offended as you like by this information. Natural law doesn't care about how much you're offended by it. It's what is. And you're creating as a result of your adherence to what is or your ignorance of what is. So we need to look at what rights are definitively not in order to understand what's really going on in the world. There are four basic transgressions of natural law.
And ultimately, when you boil it all down, there's one transgression against natural law. And I'll explain that. The four major transgressions against natural law, or in other words, against another living being's rights, are as follows. Murder, rape, theft, and trespass. Murder, rape, theft, and trespass are the four major natural law transgressions. And I'm going to come back and explain what these things are and how ultimately they're one thing on the other side. In the meantime, don't go anywhere. You're listening to What on Earth is Happening. Welcome back, folks. This is the last segment of What on Earth is Happening for this week. I'll be back live on Oracle in two weeks' time. Next week, again, I'm taking the day off to support my partner, Barb, as she has a presentation next Sunday. So, before the break, we were talking about natural law transgressions, or in other words, actions that are not within our natural law rights to take because they result in harm to other living beings. There are four major natural law transgressions, okay? And they are murder, rape, theft, and trespass, okay? Murder, the taking of another's life when one has no warrant to do so, okay? Rape is the violation under coercion of another person's sexuality, which one does not have a right to do under any circumstances. Okay? Theft is the taking which of goods that one does not have the right to take from other people. Of the the actual just stealing of resources. Okay? And trespass is basically taking security away from someone in their own Lair that is obviously where they live and work and thrive and sleep, etc. So it's the ingress into another person's lair without their consent in a place that they've clearly set up as theirs. So someone's home, you don't have a right to go in unless you're invited in. You don't have a right to take things from their home, which would be theft. You don't have a right to uh, sexually engage in any sexual relations with someone unless it's consensual. That would be rape. And you don't have a right to uh, attempt to take the life of another person or actually do so. That's murder. Every one of these boils down to one basic, overarching, fundamental transgression. And that is theft. If you think about it, every one of these things is taking something that you do not have the right to take. Murder is the taking of life that you do not have a right to take. Rape is the taking of someone's sexual um, energies and sexual uh, um, boundaries that you do not have a right to take. Theft is the taking of someone else's goods or property 
and trespass is the taking of someone else's security in their own space. Okay? So ultimately, all natural law, just like sovereignty, is based upon ownership. It's all based upon ownership. And all transgressions of it are based upon taking something that you do not own. You don't own someone else's rights. You don't own someone else's life. You don't own someone else's sexuality. You don't own someone else's goods. You don't own someone else's space that they are using and happen to be in. It's all theft. Ultimately, every wrong that we commit in some way, shape, or form is a theft. If you sit down and truly philosophically think about it, this is common sense. And it's quite simple. It's not complex. It's not unknowable. These are what our rights are not. If our rights do not fall into these things, we have a right to engage in that activity. And no one has a right to stop us from engaging that inactive, in that activity. So again, trying to stop someone from engaging in things that don't fall under these categories of theft in different forms, one does not have a right to take. That would be taking someone's rights. So stopping someone from speaking is taking their rights. Stopping free assembly is taking someone's rights away. Trying to take someone's freedom away and turn them into slaves through corporate personhood and other mind control measures is not someone's right to do so. They're in the wrong by engaging in that activity. Protecting criminals from engaging in their criminal behavior is not within our rights because other people are engaging in theft and murder and then they're being protected by other people. You don't have a right to do that. You don't have a right to help people to continue these natural law transgressions and then try to stop other people from bringing them to justice. That's not a right. And this is what police and military do every day. And then attempt to set up situations and circumstances where they block us from engaging in our rights of assembly and speech, etc. No one has a right to do that, nor can anyone be granted that right. See, that's another part of natural law. You can never grant things that are not rights to anyone else. If you don't have something, you can't give it to someone else. I want to read this next quote, and I'm going to wrap this up. When I come back in two weeks, I'm going to explore in depth this gentleman's essay and some quotes, uh, some um, uh, responses written about that essay by some other individuals, okay? Uh, his name is Aquinas. This is not the philosopher Thomas Aquinas. This is simply uh, an internet handle by a person who was posting on some forums, and I happened to find this essay, which I thought was one of the most brilliant, concise explanations of natural law I've ever ever seen or read. 
I'd love to have him on the show. If anybody knows, knows who it was, they could put him in touch with me and I'd bring him on as a guest. But he made this statement about why we're losing, why freedom is dying. And here it is. I call this the fall of the republic. Okay? Because choice is subsequent to a judgment upon the truth of the matter presented, it is an immutably true principle. I have a slight typo there. I should say it is an immutably true principle that human liberty depends entirely upon judgments which conform to natural law. If a judgment which does not conform to natural law, which is therefore objectively false and immoral, is acted upon by the will, then it becomes a source of grave disorder in society. Exponentially multiply these numbers of individual immoral acts, and you have a republic that collapses from moral decay in a short period of time. That is why we are going into bondage as a people. Because too many people are choosing the wrong over the right, thinking they have some magical right to do so, and then teaching these values to their young who then go out and multiply these numbers of individual immoral choices and acts. And therefore, a quantum effect is created. Chaos always results as a result of that disorder and chaos, as Aquinas so eloquently put it. And therefore, we are going deeper and deeper and deeper into chaos and enslavement. Because we have a society that is based on moral relativism. Aquinas concludes his essay by saying, True liberty is an essential property of objective truth and morality. Therefore, there can be no true liberty in a civilization that enshrines moral relativity. And in two weeks, we'll be exploring that essay in depth right here on this show for probably the entire show. I apologize that I did not get a chance to take any calls today on the show, but I think the information that is presented here really needs to be distilled, broken down as much as possible, and then gone over again by everyone who listens to this show. Get it out there to people. This is the most occulted knowledge that they're, the occultists, the dark occultists who own this place currently, want to keep hidden. And we need to get it out there to people. I'll be back in two weeks, folks. I want to thank everyone for listening to this edition of What on Earth is Happening. We'll be analyzing Aquinas' essay on natural law and human liberty in two weeks here on What on Earth is Happening. Until then, I'm Mark Passio. You've been listening to What on Earth is Happening here on the Oracle Broadcasting Network. Stick around. Chris Everhart is up next.
Demon's life. I feel that what we've done is monstrous. What they've done is magnificent. Will they come back? Yes, and go again and again. Till the landing is made and the moon is conquered. This is only a beginning. But if they don't come back, my son and your daughter, what of that, Cabal? Then, presently, others will go. Oh, God, is there never to be any age of happiness? Is there never to be any rest? Rest enough for the individual man. Too much and too soon, and we call it death. But for man, no rest and no ending. He must go on, conquest beyond conquest. First, this little planet and its winds and waves, and then all the laws of mind and matter that restrain him. Then the planets about him. And at last, out across immensity to the stars. And when he has conquered all the deeps of space and all the mysteries of time, still he will be beginning. We're such little creatures. Our humanity is so fragile, so weak. Little, little animals. Little animals. And if we're no more than animals, we must snatch each little scrap of happiness and live and suffer and pass. Mattering no more than all the other animals do or have done. It is this or that. All the universe saw nothingness. Which shall it be, Oswald? Which shall it be?